everyone, and welcome to Winnie Sheets, episode number 327. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, we are now in November, and you ended October in quite the uh, uh, bang, I guess to speak. So uh, You, you came your- so close, you almost said with a bang, and I was like, wait, where is he going with this? And then you went back to it. So talk about your experience seeing Asushi Onita explode, exploding death match with Matt Tremont live on Halloween night. It was, it was interesting because the, it was a weird night at first show didn't draw nearly as well as I think anyone hoped. I think in part, in large part, because of, as we talked about during halftime last week, there was a surprising lack of push for it online and well another thing too is is halloween well halloween (laughs) night and a sunday at eight yeah so there's that too of course but i feel like we didn't see that and against the world series which i don't know if that had anything to do with it nfl football that night there's a lot of different competition that's going on you know in different places of course i'd be curious to i'd be curious I'd be curious to know the numbers of the people that watched it on IWTV. And how it did compared to other, like, bigger IWTV shit, live streams and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I w- yeah, I'd be curious to see how it fared in that way. That would be a test. Yeah. For sure. But go ahead. I mean, especially since I feel like there weren't that many promos during intermissions on the other live streams or anything. But. Yeah. Yeah, perfectly fine. H2O undercard. You know, about what you would have expected. Uh, you know, only difference being really that Effie missed his flight, so he couldn't team with the G-Raver, so Jimmy Lloyd replaced him. And then the main event comes, and, you know, we see them bring out the stuff. I'm guessing due to the, excuse me, due to not wanting to have too much setup time, they only put explosive stuff on one side of the ring. They didn't do no ropes. They did, you know, wrap barbed wire on two sides of the ring, although no one ever went into it. But, you know, they're doing the match. Onita comes in hot, unfortunately making it that MLJ did not get to do ring intros, which sucked. But we're getting the Onita smoke and mirrors, and then they start doing the teases, and then finally... He slowly gets Tremont out of the ring into the, you know, barbed wire explosion pit. And clearly something that was not supposed to happen happened, but in the opposite way of the AEW time bomb dud. Here we got a big, fiery, smoky explosion that looked amazing. Then some pyro. And then the pyro kept going and shooting into the air for almost a minute. <laughs> Which it seems like, because they also had the sirens and stuff ready to go, they were going to do the time bomb thing, and most of the explosions they meant to use for that got spent in that. But they made what they could out of it. Uh, honestly, because so much of the explosive stuff is smoke and mirrors, I wasn't crazy about them doing a straight-up fire spot at the finish. But... Got the, you know, we got a big, impressive-looking explosion. There were light tube bundles in each corner. What no one expected was that one of them would explode, which also happened. And no one saw that coming, because it was not telegraphed at all. And overall, it was a heck of a spectacle. Onita did his Onita promo after. He 
had his water bottle and was throwing it at everyone, you know, throwing, you know, the water from the bottle into everyone in the crowd. So I can't say I was disappointed. Well, that, well that's all that matters. Like, you know, it's a once in a lifetime experience because who knows if I need to be doing anything else here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, quite the show way it looked and uh, not a good day in independent wrestling yesterday. No. Injury wise. Halloween was definitely a cursed day as we had Mance Warner, Danhausen, and um, was, who else was hurt? Wasn't there somebody else hurt too? Did, did, did Warhorse get hurt? I think Warhorse I know Dan- was just at the hospital with them. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, not a good day. Forgot. And, and th- Danhausen and Mance both. Uh, Released from their contracts just days earlier. Well, from their... Mansur had asked for his, and it's not like he was getting yeah, paid still, a guaranteed salary still, or anything. Well, maybe not, but still, well, you know, he shitty he thought. worked for MLW in a year or whatever too, so it's like it's, it's I, 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 that doesn't really affect his situation. Um, I haven't seen now. Danhausen broke his leg. I haven't seen what Mans's actual diagnosis was. That diagnosis was. Have you- I think it was a knee. I think. Um, let me check I know and the see here. The initial concern was ankle sprain and possibly knee injury. Um, but I know at least at first everyone was saying they were worried that Mans had the broken ankle. So supposedly broken ankle. I don't know if that's. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's posted anything himself. Um. Yeah, but Dan Housen did give his own diagnosis, and also just looking at Mance's Twitter, uh, his last tweet as we record this five hours ago, "I love you," quote, quote tweeting that Pro Wrestling Cinema tweeted that after Mance got hurt and then the show was over, you know, with him at the hospital, that um, I don't recognize the Twitter name here. Oh, that one of the referees, Calvin Tankman and Ali Catch, all made a point of working Mance's gimmick table. So he'd be making merch money, you know, to help with everything. Well, he, need, he needs it, that's for sure. So. Yes, and both of those guys are real good dudes. So, yeah, especially, very best wishes and for a speedy recovery to both of them. Yeah. All right, well, we got a Patreon show to talk about, too. A uh, new Patreon show came out. Well, we should probably also tell everyone what to do if they want to subscribe to watch the FMW slash H2O show on IWTV. <laughs> well, go ahead. Um, they don't have any coupons per se, but if you haven't signed up, use code BTSPOD, and we will get a referral from your subscription as long as you say, stay a pasted. I don't know why I can't talk. It must be the weird hour since we're recording this on Monday that I kept. Uh we get a referral fee each from each month as long as you stay a paid subscriber. So, there you go. Code VTSPod. As always, all this is in the show description. So, yes, we do have a new Patreon show. Yeah, part two of our look at the 20th anniversary of the birth of the New World Order from August to November 1996. And we'll talk about uh, Hogwild and Hogan winning the title there from the Giant. We'll talk about the Giant turning... Bit heel and joining the NWO in September, um, the beginning of the Sting angle. Um, 
We talk about the NWF the Ace Awards. We'll have uh, Eric Bischoff's uh, turning to the NWO. We'll have the beginning of the uh, NWO stockpile where we have DiBiase and Sean Waltman. And then, of course, Bagwell comes in. Uh, we have the, the Nasty Boys and the Booty Man trying to be NWO members and failing. We got a lot going on this show, so you definitely want to listen to that. Plus, we'll talk about the shitty booking of WCW at this time period, too. NWO was getting red hot, um, and business was starting to get better. The booking was completely shitty. And talk about the reasons why the NWO was overcoming it. And it was outside the ring. So... All, all that more, $5 a month at patreon.com slash You can listen to uh, all the shows that we've done so far in our five full years of our Patreon. And we'll have a free preview uh, clip coming up uh, after the end of this show, I guess. We haven't decided proper on what that would be yet, but still, it, it would be from the show, and it would be a good clip. So there you go. And next month, the month of November... John Collins's main event championship wrestling. It's been 20 years, folks, and this is going to be as uh, crazy of a show as we've done in a while. As uh, you take the Global Wrestling Federation, you take the Paul Heyman shows, you take the Herb Abram shows, and you get a little bit of everything on this one. So this will be quite the entertaining show next month on patreon.com slash between the sheaves. So you definitely want to be a part of that. So go ahead and uh, put that $5 down now. First of the month is always a good time to do it. So you get the whole month. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Anything else on that? Um, I did want to add that I think the thing that people might actually find most interesting is all of the stories leading up to why Giant joining NWO happened. Because that feels like a thing no one talks about now. And it's quite interesting why that happened. And we'll talk about, um, you may be very surprised at the business cons- comparisons between WCW pre-NWO and as the NWO angle gets started. And t- between television ratings and especially house show attendances, you'd be very surprised at that. So uh, definitely check it out, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, so let's go uh, to this week's show. We're on show number 327, and we're discussing the week that was November the 3rd through the 9th of 1996. And we begin with the World Wrestling Federation, and what an episode of Monday Night Raw we have here. I honestly can't believe we didn't do this sooner, actually. That's how how it ended up. But here we are now. All right, so Dave Meltzer starts with this. There are three cardinal rules to remember when watching pro wrestling on television. One, everything is a work designed to get over storyline. Two, the word work is a euphemism for con game, lie, or an often entertaining one, but it's hard, one nonetheless, with a bit of a nicer ring to it. Work is a carnival word for con, just as mark is a carnival term for gullible sucker, not a term of endearment for sports fans or loyal customers. When in confusion about anything, remember rule number one and realize it really means rule number two. They're turning some of a controversy this week regarding to the reaction on the November 4th Monday Night Raw television show where Steve Austin supposedly broke into Brian Pillman's house and was basically held off with a gun. And something that was either a groundbreaking angle in wrestling or an act of total desperation. 
Day after ran a live angle on November 4th based on scenes in the movie Cape Fear. The same movie responding with the Mercy character, where Steve Austin broke into Brian Pillman's house and Pillman held him off with a gun as his wife was screaming. The angle was done to establish WF's new time slot one hour earlier or raw, and to establish the idea that even though WF matches are taped three out of every four weeks, that a major live angle will take place every week on the show. The angle started with him establishing the scene at Pillman's house in Walter, Kentucky. It was his real house. And then talking about Austin threatening to come back during the show, and Pillman pulled out a gun in case he got in. Austin did a phone call from a supposed car phone on his way from the airport. It was established the two were longtime friends, and you acknowledged they were a championship tag team in WCW, which goes against former WF policy of not recognizing incidents and angles in WCW. Austin showed up. It was met in front of the house by two of Pillman's friends, actually two students from Les Thatcher's wrestling school. And the in the one really lame scene, Austin had a bad fight scene with the two of them, slamming one into the car and throwing the other into the algae-infested kiddie pool. Seven minutes later, when they went back to the house, Austin broke a window on the door and got in the house, and Pillman hobbled off the couch and pointed a gun at him. At this point, the picture died, and they tried to tease for the rest of the show as to what happened. After doing a taped angle to build the Shawn Michaels-Sid match and a tag title match on next week's Raw, which the law read all had to be totally ineffective and a bad idea to run that angle at a point when it couldn't get over, they went to another taped Razor Ramon versus Mark Merrow match. That match was a backdrop for a phone call between Kerwin Silfies, a WF producer, and Vincent Mann, claiming the lights were off at the Pillman house, but the lights were on the rest of the neighborhood, that the police who were called hadn't arrived, and they couldn't figure out why other than Pillman's house was in the sticks. They had no idea if satellite transmission would be restored. When asked if they heard a gun go off, Silphie said he heard a sound that could have been that. After teasing it throughout the rest of the show, the picture went back on at the end with the commotion in the house and the idea that Pillman shot that then hit Austin had scared him away. But Austin came back at this point, and the two were held apart from each other with Pillman hobbling around, pointing the gun and swearing at Austin, which wasn't edited off the delayed West Coast feed, which makes Day believe it was fine USA Network. And there's a much larger story than the Monday Night Wrestling Wars here, because USA, which used to phenomenal ratings with his murder, she wrote, Raw, still stalking his lineup, has gotten beaten across the board all night by TNT's wrestling, and USA's probably ever been as desperate, if not more, than WF to do something for Sean Valley to change that trend. While Kevin Kelly screamed for someone to call the police and went off the air at that point. Pillman either gently sprained or twisted his knee hobbling around doing the angle. Was it a good angle? Did it go too far? Was it offensive? It's a good angle if it works. Pillman and Austin's acting in the angle was good. Other aspects, in particular, Austin beating up the two jobbers was a little corny. Being to talk of wrestling, which it was for one day, can be a good sign, but if it doesn't translate increased ratings or money, it still doesn't make it successful. Days beginning to fear we're entering a wrestling environment filled with angles that have one-day shelf lives, which means by Wednesday everyone's forgotten about them long before they really amount to anything. Oh, just you wait. Next week's ratings across the board be an indication that this angle had legs. Too far? It's new ground. Dangerous ground in that they're creating an environment, and WCW has as well, where absolutely nothing that goes on in the ring matters anymore. The outside the ring storylines everything, and action in the ring is meaningless. WCW had a tremendous match going on at roughly the same time with Chris Benoit against Hector Guerrero, and the live audience of Grand Rapids, Michigan had their backs to the ring and were looking at the NWO guys instead of watching two great wrestlers work their ass off. Was it a Fitzim? Not to Dave, maybe to others. So different any other violent television show. The only thing on wrestling that night today was the offensive to him was the uh, racist stereotype of Sonny Ono. We'll talk more about that later. The bottom line is that WCW drew a 3.4 rating and a 5.1 share. WF drew a 2.3 rating and a 3.4 share. 
Nitro's replay did a 1.2 and a 3.0 share. In the head-to-head hour, WCW did a 2.9. In about second-hour competition, picked up through a 3.8. It actually would have been 3.7 for that hour, but they went 11 minutes past the hour with all the Hogan Piper stuff again, and that managed to give them an extra 0.1 in the ratings. Look at the quarter hours tells another story. WCW had a full-point lead at 3.0 to 2.0 when they did the teams for pill and pull out the gun, and the signal went out. Curiosity over that did make a significant difference as the third quarter saw them neck and neck with a 2.8 rating. Most interestingly, despite the Dave's teasing to get viewers stay tuned, and this shot Dave, WCW for the final quarter hour with Benoit and Hector doing their match picked up to a 3.2 while Dave dropped to a 2.5. Bottom line, the angle worked. I knew this was a Bret Hart interview two weeks earlier, but it worked for a few minutes. It was also teased for too long in between segments. It was a major turnoff to the WF traditional kids audience. The idea was to keep viewers from switching back to the end of the show. The end result was that viewers switched back to Nitro while Raw was still going on in the final 15 minutes. It's still early, still too early, as we need to wait a few weeks until they fully establishes a new time slot as to what the effects and the change are. Raw's number was slightly higher than it's been averaging over the past few weeks. But even with that angle, the increase wasn't much. Nitro the past few weeks has been doing huge in the first hour and slightly falling off in the, against football and then Raw in the second hour. Before football season, when it was Raw, Nitro almost always gained in the second hour. It's clear without Raw the second hour that Nitro is going to do huge ratings. Whether Raw closed the gap in the head-to-head hour is something that remains to be seen. As this was closer than been in several weeks, with the exception of the week where DF had both Brett and supposedly Mr. Perfect return on the same show. You can say that in this first week with the show, not even established at a time slot yet, that it did a slightly better number than before, and the gap was close to positive. Or you can say, with the most hardcore hot shot, pardon the pun, angle to date, they still only did a 2.3 rating and lost viewers to Nitro as the angle went on as an overall negative. The WS drop in the final quarter hour consisted of 125,000 kids switching off. Most interesting is at the same time, Nitro gained 124,000 kids during the same quarter. So you got to figure they're basically the same kids. That's crazy. 11,000 teenagers switched off. 63,000 men, 18 to 34. 105,000 men, 35 to 54. 49,000 women, 18 to 34. 20,000 women, 35 to 54. And 12,000 women, 55 and over. The only audience that stayed with the angle as opposed to switching to Nitro in the final quarter hour was men, 55 and older. Nitro gained at the same time in every grouping except women, 35 to 54. The angle, and more willing to switch off that in the final 15 minutes, saw it become the first time Nitro has beaten Raw with the kids' audience, winning by a 53-47 margin. Raw had a 55-45 edge of teenagers. Nitro had a 61-39 edge in adult males and a 56-44 edge in adult females. Which is actually when it comes to adult females, Raw's best showing in a while, so perhaps the idea of the wife held captive in her own house had some appeal to women watching, because aside from that group and the teenagers, Raw did worse head-to-head than usual particularly in kids, which was the group they figured to pick up with because of the time slot move. The other notable thing when it comes to demographics is that Hogan's Piper, Hogan, the Hogan-Piper stuff, despite the age of participants, seems to have the most appeal with teenagers and men 18 to 34 and a lot less of a appeal to men 35 and 54 that one would think grew up on watching wrestling with those guys. WF opened the show at 7.57 p.m., while Nitro started at 8 p.m., something Dave suspects will be changed in future weeks. The general feeling of WCW at this point seems to be the NWO is what everyone wants to see and what is feeding with the current increase in ratings, which actually aren't up as compared with pre-NWO this year, but are up judged against the same time last year. More on that, patreon.com slash Sheets. Buy rates, which are only actually slightly up, 
house shows, which actually were, were down last time we checked as an average, although some recent houses have been way up, and merchandising, which is way up. While many wrestlers have been upset over them having NWO guys in the stands and basically killing their money television matches, Regal and Hoovy were really upset last week after their Nitro match. The belief in the company is that the NWO guys aren't on television, people will switch stations, forgetting that ratings before the NWO angle were almost at the same exact level. Anyway, the plan right now is to do NWO Monday Nitro head-to-head with Raw and WCW Monday Nitro in the second hour. Although Dave's not sure how many weeks it'll be before the change takes place. All right. So, let's start with this first. We'll start with the rating situation. Yeah, if you want to hear us talk about this more, it's on the Patreon show, patreon.com slash between the sheets, where Dave goes more in depth with the numbers from a few weeks before this, comparing house show attendances, TV ratings, pay per view buy rates from pre-NWO to after the NWO was born. And like I said, we're not going to get into that here. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. But it is definitely interesting to compare the numbers. But what it is here, to me, is that the NWO has all the major players in it. So when you got the major players in it, I'm talking about Bischoff and Hogan and Hall and Nash, of course. They're going to see any type of increase quote-unquote as it being nwo driven so that's why the nwo was being pushed on all these segments on television even though the numbers say that it's not that far off of what it was before the nwo yes although bishop hasn't joined for a couple weeks or a week or yeah a couple weeks but again perception like we talked about on the patreon show it's all about perception bigs the NWO was perceived to be the hottest thing. And when something's perceived to be the hottest thing, you could push it as that and actually talk it into existence, which is what they did. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. Boy, these specific ratings numbers among all the demographics is interesting, isn't it? That Dave has here. Now, I don't read The Observer anymore, but uh, does he go this deep into the numbers on demographics now as he did did here it's about like all of these numbers i don't think he goes even this deep now no kids teenagers i mean all the different age groups he's got all the the numbers that switched on and off i mean that is crazy deep well the person who's studying the numbers most closely in wcw is sending him everything one um, i'm a one hundred twenty-five thousand kids switched off, and one hundred twenty-four thousand kids turned on Nitro. That's that's insane. It's one thousand difference. Wow, right? That's all clearly the same, the same audience. Yeah, like Dave said, that's insane. And how about the fact that Hogan and Piper's most popular demo was teenagers? Are we to assume that's kid people who were watching them as little kids? I guess, yeah. It had to be. Teenagers and men 18 and 34. It had to be. Less of appeal for men 35 to 54. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's wild. But, um, yeah, what happened is Raw moved to 8 o'clock. Well, 7.57. Well, yeah, 7.57, because it was, it was at, in, at the 9 o'clock position, you know, for since its inception. 
because they took the old primetime slot. So they're moving up to go against the first hour of Nitro. And this is the big way to boost that up. Um, it, <laughs> it definitely got, you know, got attention. Uh, but strangely enough, though, as you were telling me before the show, it didn't get enough attention in the train magazines. I searched both one file and ProQuest, and there was nothing. I did yeah. a World Wrestling Federation search. I think for one of them, I did it. I limited it. I did it throughout all of November, at least. I think for maybe for both. Uh, yeah, because then I limited it to magazines after, and nothing. Which is interesting for reasons we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, because we'll, yeah, we'll have more. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Just because we didn't talk about this before we started, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, when are we going to? When are we going to be wanting to play the clips here since we don't have an actual well, recap in here? Well, we're going to run down the show. So okay, we, we, I we got all the... have a rundown. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we're getting that in a second. All right, uh, there's, there's something I want to talk about, though. It's Dave talking about the shifting in wrestling angles, where now everything is more about skits and stuff like that and not about the stuff that's going on inside the ring. Um, <laughs> well, and also he's talking about that there's a lack of like angle progression. He mentioned that so many of these just go away after a night. Basically like this angle. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? I mean, they're doing this big Austin Pillman angle and it's a guy who can't even wrestle. And you're doing Austin and Brett a Survivor Series in like, what, two weeks? Maybe even less. I mean, what's day Survivor? It's gotta be. It's gotta be two weeks. Survivor Series '90s because we've done that show. Uh, Survivor Series '96 was on the 17th, so 13 days. So you got Austin and Brad on 13 days, and you're doing this major angle involving Austin and Pillman, which has nothing to do with Austin and Brad. Not a thing. And Pillman can't work, so you're doing this huge angle, and there's no in-ring payoff for it at all. Zero. Now, Pillman's... Well, actually, no, wait a second. I was going to say Pillman's first match back, but no, Pillman's wrestling for a few weeks, I think, at least, before they do the Austin match. And that's not till June. And it's not treated as that important or anything. No, because, I mean, <laughs> shit. This is the first of November, so you've been, you're eight months out from this. And I know, I mean, I know back then things are still slower as far as memory spans, but attention spans, I mean, but, uh, still, yeah. I mean, by that point in time, the whole thing's about Bill Murphy and the Hart foundation and Austin's beef with them more than Austin's gun beef. This is what it, it's desperation. Well, also by the time they do the match and the Hart foundation feud, both of them have turned. Yeah, Austin's a babyface. Well, Pillman, would you say Pillman's a babyface here? Yes. I, I don't think he is. I think he is the babyface. I don't know if he is a babyface. But but the thing is, is that, I mean, what, what you have here is desperation. And Dave brings up an interesting point. And I, I guess we'll get into it when we talk about USA. But it's not just WS desperation, but it's USA's desperation, too. Because, like I said, their ratings dropped for that block. So... 
Yeah, we'll get into that as we go along when USA comes back with their message. All right, so let's go to Raw. Uh, taped on October 21st in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, so it's a tape Raw, but a live angle. All right, so the show will highlight the Austin Brett interview last week. Austin was at Dojo Studios. Austin do a tantrum, and then they preview the show. They show Kevin Kelly outside Pillman's house, previewing the interview later in the show. All right, um, Goldust with Marlena, Mr. Perfect, Hunter Hus Hemsley, crushing Jerry Lawler. Yes, Survivor Series time. Beat the Stalker with Mark Merrow, Rocky Maivia, and Mark Henry. Stalker wore red and black pants, a WRT shirt, no makeup. So it's Barry Wyndham, everybody. What a shock. Doc, Doc Hendricks interrupted the beginning of the match saying he had Steve Austin on his car phone on his way to the Pillman's house. Um... Was this as a separate thing, Bex, on the clips? No, but he says it's the beginning of the match, right? Yeah, so let's uh, let's go to that. Let's go to Vince talking to Austin on his car phone. Sure. Well, actually, it's live, so maybe it is legit. Yeah, it probably is legit because they're doing the commentary in Stanford. And we've seen from interviews and stuff, a lot of WWF wrestlers had cell phones or car phones even back then. Yeah, probably so. Like, legit, so... It's not a stretch. So, anyway, let's see what we got here. Yeah, I mean, Monday we... Night Raw, and oh my, the fireworks getting underway tonight. Brand new star. I guess I should skip ahead through the entrances at least. Yeah. So let's see what we got here. All right, because we'll we'll see a graphic, I'm sure. So I'm going to mute it. I don't know if they show Doc. I mean, maybe they show Doc because it says Doc interrupts. Yeah, I'm assuming we get a graphic or something. Oh, is he supposed to be in Slam Jam Land, maybe? I guess. Barry with his blonde uh, handlebar mustache. Yeah. Well, at least they finally got a blow off after all these years. Uh, all right. Yeah, here we go. He is on camera. All right, here's Doc. Vince, 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 Jerry, what? Listen, I hate to interrupt this match. I know it looks like it's going to be a great one. Is that you? Yes, it's me. I'm in the studio live on the phone. I just, I'm contacted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He says he's in a rental car, has left the Cincinnati airport, is headed to Brian Pillman's, and he wants to talk to you, Vinny Mac. (laughs) Do you have him on the phone? Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Steve Steve Austin? Yeah. Are you actually in the car on the way to Mr. Pillman's house? Damn right. I said I was going to be last week. And anything I say comes true, Vince. Yeah. You know that. I'm the biggest star in the world, so who's going to stop me? <laughs> what are your intentions? I don't understand. Why Why are you going to Brian Pillman's house? Hey, he's the one that brought this whole mess on. He took my interview time, tried to turn it into a shrine to worship Breath the Hitman heart. And inspired a new verse out of the book of Austin. Austin 25-17. I will strike down upon your ass with great vengeance and furious anger. And that's what's going to happen. Mr. Austin, I must warn you, there is a welcoming committee there. Ryan Pillman has his friends around that house. It is not wise for you to go there. And I got a six-pack of whoop-ass riding shotgun with me, son. Remember, don't intimidate me in the least bit. If I got something to do, then it's going to get done. Stone Cold, Stone Cold, listen what? to King. Listen, that idiot Pillman threatened last week, said he's going to have a gun there. All right, knock it off. Well, he yeah, said he that. got the guts. What? I'll do whatever it takes to get my hands on Pillman. You'll find out. Mr. Austin, we're what? talking about trespass here. We're not talking about 
It's something in the rustling world. We're talking about trespass if you make good on your promise. Well, listen, Vince, if something happens to me, I'm sure you'll make amends for it because I'm a big star. I'm in the big matches Survivor Series. You can't do without me. I can do whatever I want, and I've got the mindset, and I'm ticked off enough, and I don't really give a rat's ass. I will do what I say regardless of the consequences. Steve Austin apparently on his way to Brian Pillman's home. And imagine Brian Pillman is sitting, ladies and gentlemen, Whoa. with his wife Melanie at home in Cincinnati watching this. Melanie, hey, hey, look at this. Man, look at this. All right. And Gold gonna... That's it for this. Okay. All right. So, yeah, go ahead. You know what the most interesting thing to me is about that? Austin's voice sounding nasally. That was one of the things I noticed, that his voice sounded very different. <laughs> At the beginning, it almost sounded like Heyman's impression of him. Yeah. But I, I did notice that. But the main thing I thought was interesting was Vince's comments about, this, this, that would be trespassing. That's not something in the wrestling you know, world, blah, 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 blah. You can tell Vince knows there could be some blowback the way he's setting this up. Yeah. Also, Austin yeah. was clearly on a legit car phone from the way it was cutting out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, all right. So there's that. The match itself wasn't bad. Both men tried, although windows still seemed to step slow. That's commercial chaos broke out when the minute ring slide resulted in the double DQ. Faces could the ring in the heels. Boy, can't wait to see the face get revenge in the pay per view. Wade said. Then we get a slick new commercial here for Survivor Series with Steve Austin. Dot hosted the Survivor Series that day, a clip air for superstars, where Mankind, the execution of Paul Bear, did an interview, Undertaker then dropped a bear doll in a cage in the aisle. And then we go back to Pillman's house. So let's go to Brian Pillman's house. Thank you very much, and let's take you yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. We are live now, suburban Cincinnati, with Brian Pillman, along with Kevin Kelly, and of course, everyone knows of the injuries sustained, rather, uh, at the... Well, WWF Superstars about a week ago, and uh, Kevin... Melanie you, uh, Pullman looking like Kelly Bundy yes, circa uh, 1950. Yes, and also Pillman wearing the Hammer Strength sweatshirt because Chris, who was one of the owners of Hammer Strength... Uh, Kim Wood. Mm-hmm. He's got his jersey in the wall uh, in a frame. Yes. I also completely forgot that the gun was mentioned before this. I also can't get over Melanie Pillman looking like Christina Applegate and Kelly Bundy on Married with Children from 1990. And we're in 1996. The hair, <laughs> the clothes. Yeah, she's very she's very out of date, I guess, as far as style in this era. But that's interesting. It is, I guess, suburban Cincinnati. Yes. So. Also, you can tell that whoever overlaid the graphic that said live Brian Pillman's home, Walter, Kentucky, did not consult with Vince because I'm – Pretty sure Vince keeps saying suburban Cincinnati like he just yes yes as yeah yes Vince you know we cannot name any small towns for God's sakes especially in Kentucky God that's not Cincinnati it's not Kentucky when we go to England don't say Birmingham they'll think it's Alabama fuck <laughs> it's a very tense scene here in suburban Cincinnati tonight <laughs> oh, he got the message. You. After the unprovoked savage attack last week on WWF superstars, you had, I understand, reconstructive surgery once again on your ankle. Okay, also, I don't even know if we would notice this if we weren't on headphones. Why are they playing fake crowd noise? 
it's obvious. It's so obvious when you saw that with another thing for that match, the the uh, win them to uh, gold dust match. Since they had the audio of Austin on the phone, they weren't sweeting the crowd, and there was no noise. <laughs> Zero. I thought I'm the only one that notices that, Chris. Well, I mean, you notice it when that in that part right there, there. There's a dead crowd because they got the Austin audio. So, but this is so stupid. Like, yeah, we're occasionally hearing from Vince, maybe, but that doesn't mean we need to hear the fake crowd noise. They're buzzing in the building. Oh, do you think they? Well, I don't remember there being like a big crowd reaction they play. So let's see. But I'm curious. There's not because it's not live. <laughs> no, I mean a fake one. They're not playing it live in the building. We'll see. I, I mean, mean a fake one on the on the feet. But let's see. Can you give us the prognosis? What have the doctors told you about your recovery? Look, Kelly, I'm alive and well. I got an excellent prognosis for 97. But let's talk about Mr. Austin's prognosis. I've been in bitter feuds many, many times in this sport. There's a fine line between business and private lives. Austin, you've crossed that line. You've made this personal. And now we're operating on a whole different set of rules. Brian, we heard earlier that uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin could be on his way to your home here tonight. Uh, I, you Actually, can't Kev, if I can interject this, uh, I have, so I'm told that, uh, in fact, that we have... Uh, Mr. Austin circling the neighborhood, and I just wonder oh. whether or not, from your standpoint, uh, Mr. Pillman, if you can hear me, it seems to me that considering your vulnerability... Wait. How are they supposed to be able to hear Vince? <laughs> no one has a headset. Maybe he's, wa he's watching. Uh, well, maybe he's watching. Oh, great. Yeah. that That's how that works. Um, it is. We'll see if we give Kelly, a, a delay in advance. At least? No, at least not on that side. No, hey, they're watching that. They're watching it on TV. I'm assuming they have some way they're actually hearing Vince, though, because they're reacting at the right times. Yeah. Or they were they set this up very well. But anyway, and boy, Brian Pillman, Brian Pillman is uh, a completely different type of guy when he's not on the road and not having the, and not having all of his gimmicks, isn't he? The thing I noticed was having not watched this stuff in quite a while compared to like some of the 97 stuff i had never i had always thought that the idea that he looks strung out in 97 was kind of oversold especially with how gassed up he was on steroids and growth hormone but you can see it here because his face is so much fuller than it would be in 97 uh yeah <laughs> he's at home well, Steve, it's like pause well, yeah it's like Carrie, you know, when Carrie had his shit, when when he remember when he returned, you know, and, and the promos he cut, it went uh in for world class when he wasn't in action, and he wasn't around all the shit, totally different person. Oh, the Lance thing, yeah, like we saw, like we yeah, talked about totally earlier different in the person well, uh, in other stuff too, totally different person because he's on the road, he's not, you know, with the gimmicks and everything, yeah. Or the WBF championship thing where he's at the expo. And, yeah. and uh, which we didn't play on here because I found the home video version um, after we did that week earlier in the year. But, I, you know, I tweeted it and people can look it up. He's a few weeks out of rehab. I'm not even sure if he was back on the road. And he sounds yeah. like a completely different human being. Yeah. And there are times Carrie looked kind of strung out too, but. 
Oh, uh, sometimes. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I mean, physically, not. Uh, but anyway. Well, I not think what, do you his feel rage has blinded him to the fact that his best friend knows him better than anybody. Do you feel it? His strengths, his weaknesses, and certainly his fears. Yeah. Notwithstanding okay, your bravado, do you feel a hostage? Do you feel like you're a hostage in your own home tonight? Ah! Steve is a dead man walking because when Austin 316 meets Pillman, oh my God! Nine oh, oh my God! I'm gonna blast his serious straight to hell. Steve Austin's out there now, man. What? Samurai Ninja. Oh, stop. And now Samurai. <laughs> well, I don't know if this went straight into this as it aired. No, it went straight to commercial. Coming back to commercial. Okay. Commercial. Okay. <laughs> Something I forgot too is that the screams aren't necessarily for him pulling out the gun. Because he pulls out the gun like right as they notice that Austin's outside. This is oddly set up though, because the gun is still framed as a surprise, even though it's been made clear that he mentioned it the week before, and then they bring it up again going into here. So yeah. why is the gun being treated like a surprise when everyone that's there should know that he has the gun? Because he's, I guess he, he's going to use it. But anyway. Yeah. Alright, so here we go. Here, here's Austin showing up. You're not going to read about the Karate Fighters Invitational in the recap? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> who is it? Marlena and who? Yeah, because it's not in the recap. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Wait, they care about it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with, with Mariah. We are live. We are let Stone Cold Steve Austin. We had heard that Austin had arrived on the scene as we left you for break. Stone Cold Steve Austin's out there with Brian Pillman's friends, and Pillman's friends are trying to keep Austin away. Look at this. The shots are live. Okay, oh. puts the black guy in the pool. Hey, God, Steve Austin. Stare. Oh, it's wrestling. Look at this! No! Don't you ever mess with me, son! Amazing that they have a light stand set up, even though they hit. In theory, Steve didn't know Austin, Austin was coming until a few minutes ago. On the outside of Brian Pillman's home. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> he just stiffed that guy with some kind of pool to What the fuck? <laughs> he Austin. threw a wagon at his ass. <laughs> he threw a red wagon straight at this dude's head. He threw Brian Jr.'s wagon at him. <laughs> Holy shit. He threw Brian Jr.'s uh, wagon <laughs> no, but also, why is Dave talking about how bootleg and shitty this looked when Austin's just braining these dudes? <laughs> yeah, he's fucking them up. And Austin is wearing Pillman's shirt. Yeah, imagine his ECW shirt. <laughs> Ryan Pillman on the inside of his house with his wife Melanie are watching these pictures as we are live. Austin is outside of Brian Pillman's home. I also like that Austin has to go to the back door to try to break in because that's the one with the glass. Or, well, okay, it's not the back door. Okay. Now he's at the front door. Some sort of a publicity stunt. Austin trying to get into the house of Brian Pillman. Vince is clearly uh, 
worried about how this is going to look. <laughs> He's never done that like this before. Yes. Also, I know they don't say the street. They really should not. I mean, in 1996, it's going to be much harder to figure out. They should not have shown the uh, street number of the house on TV. <laughs> It's a different time and place, Bix. I know, I know. It would be much harder to find, but still. Uh, that, that's not a great idea. Different time and place. Okay, so he does go to the back. That's right, because he did good. Uh... Think in the front. Austin yeah. literally trying to break into Brian Pillman's home. Now, he went trying hard enough. Tearing around the, the corner. And we're back on all right. back in the arena. New Orleans, and uh, Jerry the King Lawler has Alex the Pope has rejoined us. What is going on? All right. Okay. Yes, that's Alice the Pug Porto using the Steiner Brothers music. Yes, which they decided, I guess, signified amateur wrestling, even though it was very specifically a knockoff of the Michigan fight song. Well, it's amateur wrestling. So anyway, um, the Sultan, with Bob back on the Iron Sheik, beat Alice Bud Porto. McMahon and Lawler barely announced the match, talking about the Pillman Hall situation in grave tones. So, Sultan wins, back to Brian Pillman's house. Sheiky, but no Backland. He's there, supposedly. So. Oh, yes. Okay, he's just not celebrating. Back now to the home of Brian Pillman. Kevin, oh, come on. Vince, all right, we heard Stone Cold Steve Austin outside. He's been making his way around all the way to the back of the house, screaming and yelling. Pillman's got this pistol out, and I don't know what the hell is going on here. This is ridiculous. Pillman's got this. Oh, what the? What the hell is that? Does somebody call the police? It's Austin! Get out of there! Don't go in there! Don't go in there! Help me! We've lost our satellite feed. This is exactly what timing! We have we have no idea what's going on in, in Brian Pillman's house. We have we have no idea. This is all we have. This is what we've had for the last three minutes. And Jim Ross in the ring has no what? What, what is Lawler talking <laughs> what? about? What timing? <laughs> and by the way, amazing. I don't think they ever explained this part, do they? No. But amazing how the satellite goes out right when Austin gets in the house. And this, that can't be Brian Pillman's house. No, it is his legit house, I'm pretty sure. Are you serious? They had the refrigerator by the fucking door? The refrigerator's not even in the kitchen? <laughs> I've never heard anything other than that this was his legit house. Holy shit. It's the same house where Melanie does the interview a year later when he dies. I guess so, but damn. Your, I mean, your refrigerator should be in the kitchen, not there in the living room. <laughs> what the fuck? Maybe it's an extra fridge. I get what well, they, they keep their uh, their meats, and like a meat fridge. I, I don't know. Uh, why, why, why? I don't get it. I don't get what the point of this is. I don't get. I don't even get if there were. I, I mean, I get what the initial point of it is, but I. I don't even think they intended to follow up on this. Do you? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they did. I just. I think it's just a shot value angle. Well, let's keep going. All right. So. Uh, yeah. So how do you follow follow that up? You know, you have Jim Ross do a face to face with. 
Sid and Shawn Michaels. So anyway, um, McMahon said he didn't know Sid Michaels and Ross any idea what was going on in Cincinnati because they were in the green room preparing for the interview. <laughs> Uh, Lawler said Austin went too far going out in the Pillman's house. Pillman, he but said Pillman definitely went too far by having a gun. They showed footage of Sid Powerball Michaels on April 3rd, Raw, 95 Raw. Michael C. forgave him. He said he went to the Looney Bin and got him out because he's still his buddy. Sid responded, That's bullshit. If you're stupid enough to believe I walked my ass out on a Looney Bin into WF, then you can be just that stupid. My man told my man, Michaels told Sid that he can deny it, but it's Michaels who deserves credit for bringing him back to WF. Sid called Jim Ross fatso and said it was a mistake when he hit Michaels. Michael said he said the apology is done, but that he beat Sid at Survivor Series. Michaels told Sid to beat a man, you got to beat the man. Sid called Michaels little man and predicted victory. Michaels hopped over the podium and told Sid to back down. They shoved each other. Jim Cornette interrupted. He wants to ring with Vader, Clarence Mason, Owen Hart, and British Bulldog. They ended up with, uh, uniting Michaels and Sid, who cleared the ring when the heels attacked. So there you go. See, they're doing these type of segments in 1996, folks. All right. After the commercial, they replayed the footage they captured prior to losing the link. Lawler wanted to allow they to call anyone. McMahon said they didn't have any information on whether the gunshots were fired. So then we get Razor, the fake Razor Ramon, with Diesel sporting new hair extensions and raised boots to make him taller than a Razor and close to the seven-foot height he's advertised at. Uh, going against Mark Marrow. Razor beat Mark Marrow. Hunter and Mr. Perfect in the ringside. Hunter shot Merrill top rope. Ramon took over and set the Razor's edge. During the match, Jim Ross accused Vincent Mann of pulling the, the Austin Pillman stunt for ratings. He said, if anything happened to anyone, McMahon would have to take the blame. McMahon told Ross this was no time to take the, quote, popular stand, unquote. Lawler said, let's call the match. Ross said, that would be different. McMahon told Ross this wasn't the time for such comments. So <laughs> the Vince JR angle is still going on here, but all right. So let's, this is all, all during this match is when Vince is having this conversation with Kerwin Silphies on the phone. So we talked about that earlier. So now the match is over with, Oh, so no, let's no, go. I do want to play that actually. Okay. I'll, expl I'll explain why you'll, you'll get, I think you'll get an idea, but How, um, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Everything went dead all at once. I saw the same thing I did. The truck went dead. There's no power uh, in the house? No, the house is the house is totally dark. Uh, all the other houses in the neighborhood have lights, so whatever happened, happened up there. Have you seen Austin? Have you no, seen no, nobody came out of the house. Uh, nobody's gone anywhere near the house. Um, the Austin car is still up in the driveway. So, uh, what, what, about, what about any noises? It, yeah, did you hear any gunshots? What, what was well, when everything went dead, I heard something sounded like Gosh. a couple of explosions, but I don't know what they were. It, I guess it could have been. I don't know. What Everybody's about, what about, a little shaken here. What about restoring our satellite feed? <laughs> um, yeah, I asked, I asked the guys about it, and they're out working on it. Uh, they're, you know, they, they're not, they want to stay in the truck. They're not real interested in going anywhere near anything, but they're working on it. They said they'll do the best they can. They're a little bit spooked right now. Justifiably so. I mean, obviously, everyone's safety is far more important than, than our feed. Nonetheless, we appreciate what you can do for us. But this, uh, Thank so you. Sure. That, that was Kerwin Silphies. Are they going to continue? Are they going to try to get us a 
some pictures from there. Better stay safe, but they better do and not worry about the darn pictures. Did Vince shoot hang up on Carwin? (laughs) Who knows? Okay, so I think Kevin Kelly continues with this at the beginning of the close of the show. But the reason I wanted to play this is the thing they end up playing it off as when there are people that claim they heard heard explosions is that it was whatever caused the power to go out. Which, like, fuck you. Like, even I'm watching this as, you know, a 12-year-old kid or whatever, and I'm like, that that doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, just randomly something happened to explode to cause a isolated power outage in one home at the same time as he pulls the gun on him? Why did you even need to say that someone heard something? <sighs> it's weird, right? Yeah. So, alright. Let's see what we got here. As we're, uh, got less than a minute and a half left in the show. That's what happened. We lost... We are live. This is live. Power's been restored, Vince. Guys... Everybody is here. Kevin Kelly, there's chaos there. I do not know where Stone Cold Steve Austin is right now. Had, uh, was any, was, was, did anybody Sorry, fire a shot? Is, is anyone hurt? It's a crazy scene here inside the home. Did anybody get shot? And, and Brian Pillman being restrained by his friends. Nobody's been shot. What? Nobody's been struck by any of the, any of the explosions. Do you, do you know where Austin Nobody has been struck by any of the explosions. <laughs> it's interesting seeing Vince second-guessing himself so much throughout this, isn't it? Yeah. Austin is. Vince, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Do you know where Austin is? I do not is? know where Steve Austin is. What, was more he damage? saw the gun. Was he more saw damage? the gun and he left. Oh what? my God, he's back. God. I like how he just teleported in. Son of a bitch got this cover. Let him go. I'm going to kill that son of a bitch. Let him go. Call the police. Call the police. Why didn't have anyone call the police? All right. Get him out of here. Grab him, Kevin. Grab the gun. Let him go. Oh, my God. Grab the gun. Shut up. Somebody get the gun! (laughs) And that's how it goes off the air. Okay, before we get into the fallout, I think you're going to agree with me on both of these things. One, boy, this angle so much worse than I remember. Yeah. And two, this is tame even for 1996. Maybe not for wrestling, but by the standards of television, he's a homeowner... With a gun ready to protect himself in case someone breaks into his house. Mm-hmm. That's it. Even, like, the most pro-gun control person you could ever talk to, I think, would consider that at least mildly reasonable. Like, even in the, do you agree with me? Even in the context of 25 years ago, this doesn't feel that bad. <laughs> it's the gun. But the gun is... No one's pulling a gun in the ring. No one's pulling man, a gun in a traditional a, in-ring wrestling angle. It's a gun. Huh. I remember laughing my ass off at this angle when I, you know, when I watched it back then. I'm just... I, I, you know, I'm 17 at the time, so I'm, you know... I know everything going on, basically, and... 
I was like, this is just fucking desperation. They're getting their at they're getting their asses kicked. Their their television show is looking so dated and just not good. I mean, Austin Austin's Austin and he's hot, but the the promotion itself is just yeah, bleh. And this is them trying to make it, you know, make some type of statement or trying to get notice. It's desperation, and it failed. It made them. It made them more of a laughing sight than anything else. You know, I mean, it's just that simple. Because, all right, let's look at. I mean, so let's look, okay, mm-hmm. at the raw ratings for the next week. If I can find it, because um, I'm still at the torch, so I just fast forward to the torch. Um, actually, it doesn't have them where I thought it would be as I scroll down. Trying to pull them uh, from somewhere else. Uh, okay, so that would be November 11th. Yeah. This doesn't have the um, opposed hour. It's just the total okay so okay here we go all right here we go all right so november 11th raw and nitro but began with 2.7 ratings in the first quarter hour raw then went 2.3 2.5 and 2.7 averaging a 2.5 3.6 share nitro grew from the 2.7 to a 2.9 3.3 and 3.2 averaging a 3.0 so it's 3.0 2.5 all right so the eight that's that's the week before survivor series 18th, they tried to, they were hoping to beat Nitro after Survivor Series. Are you only talking about the opposed hour? I'm just talking about, yeah, them going head to head, yes. Okay, because yeah, um, Nitro did a 3 7 overall on the 11th. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, all they care, well, they don't give a shit about that hour. They care about the, the, po- the sure. opposed hour. So on the 18th, Nitro did a 2.8, Raw did a 2.4. So. It, it it basically was not that much of a, a, a you know a growth. No. The angle did not did not turn anything you know did not bring more people to make a difference. Put that way. No. So it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. No. So it just it, it's just something that's going to be remembered in infamy. Now let's go to the feelings at the time. So let's go to the Pro Wrestle Torch. WF released a statement regarding the incident on Raw. As you already know, we sometimes go to the edge to create compelling programming. For the last two weeks, we've transmitted live via satellite from remote locations in order to reveal to our audience the rising level of intensity of Stone Cold Steve Austin as he is determined to kick blank in the WF. Some of our fans via phone and AOL have expressed dislike for the actions and unfortunate language used just prior to going off the air last night. Many of the other callers loved the action and drama and thought it was the best show we've ever done. While controversy creates interest... Oh, 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 is... real quick, since we didn't mention this, I believe Pillman says, I'm going to blow his fucking head off, and it got censored here and on the West Coast. Well, they said it went over. On the, oh, that, so, no, 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 that, the whole, I thought he just meant the whole angle, not the... No, no, he said, no, he said the fucking head thing aired. Okay. On the West Coast, he said that. But since we didn't dwell on that, and since I didn't notice it on the network version, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that. While controversy creates interest, it's never our intent to allow unnecessary vulgarity to defend the portion of our audience. Last night was actually an incident 
in the live TV programming, and we are taking measures to ensure it will not be repeated. That's why they're apologizing, Pence, because it got on the air. <laughs> anyway, reactions to the angle varied. Since the angle wasn't designed to promote a current feud, somewhere down the line, Pillman will also probably wrestle, but that isn't going to happen until next spring at the earliest. And it was June. So Dave was pretty much right there. In actuality, it took heat away from the current feud. A key transition angle in the Sean Stid Sid store was sold in the same show. He got basically lost in the shuffle. Yeah, they fucked Sean over. Its real sole purpose was twofold to establish Raw's new time slot and to garner ratings. They promised to see in the former and did to a point in the latter, although Nuts Wills doesn't follow the angle would have, liked, would have liked. Yeah, just wait and see in the next two weeks. While pulling in one WCW's Nitro for a 15-minute blot was a positive, it had to be almost a devastating blow that in the midst of the ultimate hotshot angle for such significant audience to turn around in the final quarter hour when WCW went from dead even to a .7 ratings advantage. Some people were very offended by the angle, even to the point where Steve Beverly in the Columbus, Georgia Journal and on the Wrestling Observer Hotline suggested USA Network cancel Monday Night Raw. However, reaction on the internet ranged to 70-75% positive. We've heard none of the groups, and the reaction wasn't nearly a positive, but some call it the most compelling hour of wrestling television ever. Although if it was that compelling, the audience wouldn't have dropped as the angle went on. So Steve Beverly was calling for Raw to be canceled. I couldn't see it. In fairness, this somebody is like, very consistent for him. Yeah, somebody like yeah, Steve Beverly, who grew up wrestling fan in the 60s and stuff like that. I mean, this is not pro wrestling to him. And also, what had he previously been very upset about five years, well, I guess five, six years earlier? Sergeant Slaughter pointing a gun at the camera. Yeah, so, I mean, he's consistent in that, but yeah, ratings, like we said, uh, tell, tell the story there. Now, let's go to USA Network. All the controversy led to USA Network, which was in on the angle from the beginning, trying to diss this stuff in the angle and apologizing, saying they never let something like this happen again. And claiming to have had no knowledge as to the extent of the angle was going to be taken. WF at first apologized for the language used in the angle, which neither WF nor USA knew about in advance, which is the only aspect of the angle which occurred on the spur of the moment, as basically Pillman, and to a lesser extent Austin, got carried away with trying to make such a contrived angle as realistic as possible, but not for the angle itself. This led to the first somewhat fascinating segment of what up until this point had been disappointing live wire television show on November the 9th. With Sonny off in Europe, Doc Ken, uh, doing advanced for day tour in a few weeks, and Todd Pettengill with non-WF commitments. Doc Hendricks hosted the show and had Vince McMahon and Jim Ross as guests. All right, this is on YouTube. I didn't know how much of this we wanted to play, but I guess we can. All right, so Monsoon Classic has a uh, a clip up, a 12-minute clip. I don't know how much of this you want to play. I should have put it in notes, but I didn't. So let's go ahead and play it, right, and we'll we'll go from here. We'll we'll, we'll go see as we go along. Grab the link, the link, and yeah, let's see what we've let's see what we've got here. And the thumbnail is on the phone, Brian Bellman. Mm-hmm. So this would be the ninth, yes. First of all, we're going to hear from the CEO of the World Wrestling Federation. Vince McMahon is live here in our yeah, studio. Doc, and Doc, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Well, you know, you're flapping your gums so much. You're talking about this is the most interactive show on TV. How can it be? Because you ain't shut up since it started. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in case you cannot recognize the voice right now that you are hearing, it is the man that is in question, the controversial issue that happened Monday night at the home of Brian Pillman. And I'm speaking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mr. Austin, you have the floor. Yeah, all of a sudden you say the uh, night in question. There was no question about what happened. Oh, I, I think right? there, I think there's a big question about your reprehensible actions. It's not reprehensible. Brian Pillman tried to take my interview time and try to turn into a shrine for Brett the Hitman Hart. And no one's going to do that to Stone Cold. So they took a satellite to Brett's house. They took a satellite to Brian's house. Meanwhile, they were flying me all over the place like some jabroni. No, that's not going to happen either. I said I was going to go to Brian's house. That's exactly what I did. He had a couple of thugs out there, and they ended up getting hurt. And the same thing would happen to Brian. I just needed a little more time. Everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon because Stone Cold is red hot. I yeah, said yeah. I never needed nobody. Right, so I turned to shut up. I turned the heat up a notch higher, and everybody stabbed me in the back and wants a big apology. I ain't apologizing for nothing I said or nothing I've done. Well, let me just ask you this. Are you going to say that that was not uh, a publicity stunt? Pause. I mean, look. Notice they're focusing on Ross, and Ross is like agreeing with Austin as he's saying stuff. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean... You would think that that you would think that Ross this would be because Ross is doing his whole angle that you would think that this would be part of that, but no, I mean this is just it is what it is. It's this time and place deal, and nothing's made nothing's made of it. <laughs> you you know, spotlights on. Go ahead. It's strange, but yeah, let's keep going. Now, you're going to wrestle the legend Bret Hart next Sunday at Survivor Series. This was a publicity stunt from my perspective, and I think you went way overboard. Now, that's not denying the fact that the World Wrestling said no. Federation and the officials hold a lot of responsibility themselves for this volatile situation. Seems like you've been going way overboard at the dinner table, son, because I've seen you on the TV. Whether it's a publicity <laughs> stunt or not, I was on TV. I did what I said I was going to do. I'm going to be on Monday Night Raw this coming Monday. And if Brett the Hitman's heart, we can do this thing there. If, if Brett the Hitman's heart is going to be there, if he crosses my path, we can do this thing there. I ain't got to wait to Survivor Series because it's going to happen in Survivor Series regardless. Vince McMahon is going to back up anything I do because he wants the money as much as anybody. Absolutely. Bottom line is, I said I'd do it all for <laughs> free, and I would. I'm the best there is, the best there was, and ever will be, and that's just the way it is, Doc. Well, all right, fine. That's that's all well and good. And I've even gone to record saying maybe you are the best wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation today, but you're never going to convince me what you did was justified Monday night at Brian Pillman's house. Well, maybe the next time I see you, I'll justify my actions on you personally. And that's the bottom line, Doc. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. And now Vince. Publicity stunt, publicity stunt, publicity stunt. <laughs> yes. Back to Live Wire, and as you can see, we have been joined by the chairman of the World Wrestling Federation, Vince McMahon. Vince, I'll just cut right to the chase. They say it trickles down from the top. Uh, no question about it. Responsibility rests squarely on my shoulders uh, as the chairman of the World Wrestling Federation. And on behalf of the World Wrestling Federation, for those of you who were offended, those viewers, we humbly apologize for the incident that took place last Monday night on Raw. Uh, in an effort to bring attention to a new time slot of 8 o'clock Eastern, uh, there is no doubt that uh, we went overboard. Nonetheless, the actions and language of the individuals involved uh, was reprehensible, and we assure you and all of our viewers that something like this will never, ever happen again 
here in the World <laughs> Wrestling Federation. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Yucca. No, I think it's past due. I think he's did, he's done, Vince done the right thing. I'm not I'm not here to jump down Vince McMahon's throat every time he takes a deep breath, but the WWF made a huge mistake. At least he's man enough to admit it. Okay. We, there's no doubt we made a big mistake. All right, and, 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 and Night Raw. All right, right now on the phone Pause. is the man. All right. How sincere do you think Vince is here? He looks like Kay Koplovitz is standing off camera with a gun to his head. <laughs> I think he's sorry that I, I think I think he's sorry that Pillman said fuck. I think that's the thing he's most sorry sorry about anything else. Not not, not a gun, not anything else. That Pillman said fuck. But alright, so let's go to Brian Pillman. Well, or as Vince would call it, the fuck word. <laughs> Man who was somewhat terrorized by Stone Cold Steve Austin on Monday night, oh, Brian Pillman. Brian, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Doc. I uh, would like to say on my own behalf, uh, I sincerely regret the... I love, by the way, that because an AOL username couldn't be more than 10 letters, at the, well, 10 characters at the time, that the email is WWFLiveWire at AOL.com. <laughs> And one thing we gotta notice here is Doc and, and Ross are standing side by side. Vince is like on the other side how, of a countertop. On the other side of a counter for he's standing beside the printer. <laughs> the oh, fax, fax machine. machine. Yes. He's ready to read the faxes, I guess, when they come over. God damn, is the observer here yet? Finkel, what are you doing? <laughs> it's fucking Saturday morning. We should have gotten it yesterday. <laughs> Unfortunate language that was used on the program. I uh, didn't mean for that to happen. It was more a byproduct of a very heated confrontation. I would like to extend that apology to all the WWF fans and, and the USA Network. But by the same token, I'm not about to apologize for the actions I took to defend my family. I would definitely rather be tried by 12 and carried by 6. And I think WWF knew how heated this situation was, how tense and volatile and uh, that was certainly proven by Stone Cold the previous week when he attacked the production crew there at the uh, WWF studios. Uh -huh. And uh, he certainly went on to carry out his word when he barged into my home with a baseball bat. All right, uh, but Brian, let, let me ask you this. And before I do, let me bring in Kevin Kelly. He was a reporter mm -hmm. on the scene. I'm curious, what happened after Raw went off the air? How long did it take to calm this situation down? Well, thankfully, after we went off of the air, uh -huh. Stone Cold Steve Austin, as you saw, was pushed out of the home by Brian Pillman's friends. Stone Cold Steve Austin, this is what makes me think that this was a planned publicity stunt, Doc. He knew we were off the air. It was at that point that Stone Cold left Brian Pillman's home. Now, you can imagine, Brian Pillman's neighbors are all watching this on television. They started coming out of their homes, and it was a, uh, a very crazy scene. Walton, Kentucky is a beautiful residential area, but believe me, Stone Cold Steve Austin turned it on its ear. And I can tell you that uh, Brian's wife, we want to make sure that she's okay, because yeah. beyond words, she was absolutely distraught, as was I. I've never been involved in a situation like this ever, in personal life or professionally. It was the scariest thing that I have ever been part of. Brian, let, let me ask you, how is your wife, Melanie? And, I, and I'm sure she's got to still be haunted by this. Absolutely, Doc. Uh, she's been a nervous wreck ever since. She sleeps with the light on, and uh, I've had to make tremendous uh, efforts to increase the security around here because we never know when this psycho uh, rampant animal is going to show up again. 
Well, th that's true, but I might suggest that you probably wouldn't have to worry about it if it wasn't on live TV, because as Kevin, you know, nailed it right on the head, this was a publicity stunt that went way overboard. Mr. McMahon? And to Kevin and everyone who was involved, and certainly to your wife, your, all of your family members, your neighbor, everyone, everyone who watched this to the USA Network, uh, we, fare, we certainly bear the full brunt of, uh, and responsibility for, uh, for all the actions and, and placing a camera in that volatile situation. And we would like to apologize not only to USA Network, but to everyone uh, who was involved, uh, and certainly to you, Brian, and to your family. Well, Vince, hindsight being 2020, uh, everyone has a lot of regrets involving the situation. I don't think anybody realized at the time this thing was going to blow up in our face and, uh, I'm as guilty as anyone. No, I don't look at it that way, but thank you. All right, uh, Brian, r real quick, because uh, we, we appreciate your time. I'm kind of curious, did, did, did this, like, uh, take your uh, recovery back any steps? I seen you hopping around on Monday night. Did, did you further injure that ankle? Believe it or not, the uh, situation gave me such an adrenaline rush. Uh, I was able to hop up on one foot and, and bounce around, and uh, I certainly was concerned about the uh, ankle. That's why I made the preparation I did for uh, Stone Cold's arrival, but uh, fortunately I got out, got out of it with without uh, any further damage. Well, I think you're a very fortunate man for that. And once again, we want to thank you for being on Livewire with us this morning, Brian. Right now we're going to listen to Lisa from Florida. Lisa, oh, here we go. Morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, uh, go ahead. Okay, please uh, don't hang up. Um, I just had to say... Um, I like how she's clearly not originally from Florida. <laughs> well, who really is? <laughs> I'm sure most. Of, well, I mean, I know there are people that are originally from Florida, but Florida, of course, is a heavy transplant state. You guys need to really clean up your act. You know, the wrestling is a kids show. Kids do watch it, and um, you know, you guys been going downhill ever since Gold Dust been appear on, uh, came on. Uh, the language I don't feel is necessary. You can get your point across without the language. And, you know, there's no reason for the guns. Look at how much this Vince is, is a wrestling blinking. show. Let's see wrestling instead of the shows, the plays, and everything else. You know, get down to the morals, you know, where I had, I have a teenager now. My child been watching wrestling since a little bit the, the age of three. And you got, I would never, you know, I have, and my teenage short, and we both feel it was very bad, you know, sportsmanship and everything else. Sportsmanship. Um, you, sportsmanship. you know, you had, the previous Razor show, Good Morals. It's obviously uh, Staten you know, Island, so, Florida. So you guys need to get back to the morals. and or Long Island. You know, Excuse show me. some ethics. Okay, well, you. I, you know, I agree with Lisa from the perspective that obviously... A, but Vince addressed this, a, a ton of kids... Talking about ethics. All right, Vince. <laughs> I will hardly agree with you, Lisa. I, I think that, uh, again, the World Wrestling Federation has gone too far uh, in an effort to entertain. I think that we need to be far more responsible uh, for our actions far more responsible to uh, to whoever it is that we may be airing in terms of time zones that are very favorable to uh, to kids. So we certainly will be in the future, and we look forward to producing highly entertaining but highly athletic uh, in-arena activities. Can't fucking say wrestling. <laughs> Not even saying sports entertainment. Highly athletic and entertaining in-arena activities. <laughs> That might be the ghost. And, and, and just hearing this, knowing what's coming, is, is amazing. Also, though, right. isn't it interesting that Goldust turns babyface by saying he's not gay within several weeks of this? Uh, yes. All right.
I never Let's thought about going. that before. Have you? No, but we, we, we continue with more with Long, Long Island Lisa here. Bret Hart showed that he has good morals when all he's doing is putting down Shawn Michaels and just putting down everybody in the Federation. That's not showing good morals. Well, I like that. that way like, towards kids either. I'd like to address that here. Listen up her. Now, wait a minute. Why did you cut her off? Why did you well, cut her off? I was tired of listening to her. First of all, she's on and on. We got an hour program. Uh, Bret Hart has <laughs> never uh, personally knocked Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels is Brett's opponent, not his enemy. I think Brett has said that, so I think Lisa's wrong. Oh, just you wait. All right, let's take another call. Craig from Florida. Like Craig, okay. you there? Hey, Doc. How are you, Jr.? Good. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Craig. Jr. First, I just want to thank you for bringing back two great superstars like Diesel and Razor Ramon. It's great to see them back in action. <laughs> You're welcome, Craig. They're younger. They're better than they ever have been. Oh, they they look great. And they look better than ever. There you go. Um, <laughs> think, uh, Mr. McMahon. Yes, Craig. I'm not going to condemn the WWF in this mm -hmm. situation. Um, I'm going to take the side of Brian Pillman. He's defending his family, his house. It's just unfortunate that Steve Austin happened to be there, like you said, this publicity stunt. Is there going to be any actions against Steve Austin because of this? Um, I, I certainly beg to differ with Steve Austin's point of view that he can do anything and get away with it uh, only because we want to make more money off of his matchup with Bret Hart. I certainly take uh, great umbrage to that. But nonetheless, I think, again, the onus, uh, Craig, and I appreciate your point of view, and somewhat agree with the constitutional right of Brian Pillman, but notwithstanding that, we didn't have to have our cameras there. That's and, right. And we knew that there was a strong possibility that Steve Austin was going to show up. As a matter of fact, I dare say we even counted on it. Very strong. So, therefore, I, I really think that uh, the onus goes back on our shoulders. Absolutely. I don't, I don't uh, have a problem with Brian Pillman defending himself. Go ahead. Oh, you said Ross. I thought you said pause. No, I said Ross. I okay. just thought about Ross is like agreeing with everything Vince yeah. said. But uh, I think that our cameras there was not appropriate. Yeah, well, let, let me ask you this, Vince. And, and Craig, you I jump agree. in there as well. Sure. Obviously, this was all directed to try to intimidate Bret Hart. We know how important it is for Bret Hart to be a role model to children. We know how important it is for him to lead by example. Mm -hmm. How would you imagine Bret's whole take on the situation is. I think the onus, I think there's even more pressure. I think that uh, if given uh, restraints by everyone else as it relates to, to Steve Austin, I think there's more pressure on Bret Hart's shoulders than there is anyone's, quite frankly, because Bret physically can do something about it as it relates to Steve Austin and his attitude. What if Bret loses to Austin at Survivor Series? What then, does that do to Then he lost to a better wrestler by his own words, would be my I, estimation, JR. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think it's we're eight days away from this event on pay-per-view. Bret Hart and Steve Austin, I can tell you folks, from the locker room perspective, from talking to the athletes, there has never been a more eagerly anticipated matchup between two superstars here in the WWF uh, that I have ever been associated with as far as the athletes themselves are concerned. And like Vince says, quite frankly, Bret's got the opportunity to do something about it eight days from now in the Gardens. Okay. I have to agree with you, Doc. He is the, Bret Hart is the, the consummate professional. I have a feeling he will take care of business and take care of Stone Cold Steve Austin once and for all. All right. Well, that was something. <laughs> is it me or does it sure sound like Craig is calling from elsewhere in Titan Tower? That sounds like a lot like Russo to me, but yeah. I didn't think it sounded like Russo, but I th it, I, I thought he was a plant. Lisa, well, it's not, not Russo, but it, yeah, yeah, it sounded like Russo. But anyway, this is what Dave said. Uh, said Vincent Mann in his father Flanagan role apologized for the angle and says W.S. Fall in his in particular says he has the company. Try to divert, divert blame from USA Network, which by this point was no doubt sick of the heat when it was in the midst of its own change of management. But that's going on, too. I forgot about that. Also, yeah, this is this is Wade still, I think, because I remember the other Flanagan line from when I got the torch. At the no, time. it's not. It's, it's Meltzer because we got the uh, 11, 11 uh, slash 9. 
Uh, that's how you know it's Dave. Um, which by this point was no doubt sick of the heat when it was in the midst of this own change of manager, even the wrestlers themselves. Pillman and Austin were both on the show doing phone ins, where Pillman apologized for what happened. In particular, for that gay, gay character, the way with the language he used, all the man played down. Pillman have apologized to Carl the Blaine. They read the emails, took phone calls, who we were both very negative, and some that were positive about the angle. The man took the tack that even if the angle was popular with the public, it was the wrong thing to do. To buy how Kevin Kelly was on the show, explaining the high sides of publicity stunt, trying to tone down the breaking, the entering type of crime, it appeared to be on television, knowing that the minute the cameras are off, Austin left Pillman's house without incident. Of course, all that controversy gave the angle something of a life of its own. Remember the cardinal rule, anything that takes place on television shows a work, generally formulated, and sometimes not planned in advance, and designed to advance storylines. If anyone was really sorry about the angle, whether it be USA Network or WF, do you think the angle would have been hyped to death all weekend after and shown on every WF program on the weekend? It wasn't until after the angle that aired on every WF television show all weekend long that Jim Ross on Superstars sanctimoniously said how that footage would never appear on WF television again. Yeah, you know, on the last show to air in the calendar week. It should be noted that on Raw next night, the angle was barely even alluded to. The gun itself was digitized out in the replay shows in the USA, but not in syndication. There were mentions in the angle of replays of the gun existing, and even in digitized form, there was no question Pillman was cocking a gun. The swearing was bleak, but then again, this is Saturday and Sunday morning television. And one can't discount the fact that no one aspect of the angle, including the swearing, was edited off the replay version of Raw that aired three hours later in USA Network's West Coast feed. If USA was truly appalled, would that have been the case? The comparisons of ECW handling of an angle one week earlier where Raven crucified Sandman on a cross, then apologized. For most council articles, Gold Medal's Kurt Angle, I guess if ECW was furious to be a part of a show that included something like that, are most interesting. Yeah, this was the week after that. Uh, the ECW angle was never replayed, or for that matter, even acknowledged or mentioned on television any time. Even its generally uncensored home videos where all the cussing on interviews was left in. Decisions made not to put the card on video. It's not to say anyone should or should apologize for any of these angles whenever the invisible line, but saying that at least within the word aspect of pro wrestling, each should handle being sorry as one can handle being sorry, whether or not one chooses to, choose to question the true sincerity and motivation behind those decisions. They have handled it as a company trying to use a controversy to make the angle stronger would have. This is not to suggest that within the working environment of pro wrestling that they were wrong to do so, just that take anyone taking any apologies for something done that matter seriously would be the height of naivete. Perhaps pulling, pulling, pulling the gun across an invisible line. If that was the case, and WCW crossed it first. A few years ago, Harley Race only pulled out a gun, but shot Cactus Jack with a taser gun on a pay-per-view main event. Texas Step match against Vader. As we just talked about in between the sheets two weeks ago. More recently, uh, in a skit where the outsiders about to hit the ring with baseball bats, what appeared to be an entire Charlotte police force hit the ring with their hands on their guns, ready to draw. That's heard on patreon.com slash between the sheets. Right there on live television. This is not defending the angle either. Austin has broken through as a real superstar over the past few weeks, and Pillman can do a bona fide nutso at bearing the most. But the moment Pillman pulled the gun and the satellite went out, this became an incredibly contrived angle that reeked of desperation. Absolutely. While watching it, Dave agreed with the viewpoint. It was compelling and was shocked as anyone that they lost viewers to WCW as they teased going back to the house for the second half of the show. It was compelling because, like the fake Diesel, I mean, fake Razor Ds, or the fake Double J, and the weekly fake bombshell news stories that are teased and never materialized, or the fascination with just how desperate appearing the WF television appears to be, and afraid they come off as when it comes to inability to maintain viewers' interests. WCW is in the same war, and they do the same teases, but manage to do so within the framework of putting on a continuing wrestling show. 
Certainly they keep trying out the outsiders because they're afraid viewers will switch, and it does overshadow what could be some very exciting wrestling that they ignore and don't make it over. This angle was the ultimate with WF and do it so to a greater extreme. Dave fails to see how this angle in any way is any worse than the cartoon violence of burying someone alive or someone falling off a five-story building. It was not reacted to or portrayed nearly as dramatically as last year's angle with Shawn Michaels, which ultimately was successful, and that Michael seemed to increase in popularity, and the Royal Rumble did a shockingly high buy rate for his return. And that one, WFT, went off the air with the idea that one of his biggest and most popular performers who had, was beaten to a pulp in a real-life confrontation that was heavily, heavily publicized, playing off that reality, fate like he had suffered a stroke, heart attack, or you know, aneurysm, and went off the air teasing viewers with the idea that his life could literally be in the balance, and he laid in the rain. Now, that was tasteless. Racist and xenophobic portrayals, particularly when aimed at young children, which are part of almost daily pro wrestling activity, are really tasteless. A break in scene more mild than what normally appears on Silt Stalkings on the same night on the same network is just a contrived storyline. Uh, Dave is bringing up a lot of great points here regarding all that. You know, I mean, look at all the stuff that we had seen in the last calendar year from this angle. We had the giant falling off the roof at Kobo and go and appearing that night. You had the Shawn Michaels incident, you know, uh, when they did the thing with the Owen match where he who knows if he was going to live or die, where they teased right. it. Although we should note that they need a point of having someone say it looks like he's going to be OK before they went off the air. Yeah, but still. Um, but the, the difference is, like I said before, the gun. we have a gun. And yeah, the Harley Race thing was it. It was different. What was the Harley Race thing with the firearm? I, re- the, oh, I don't remember that. He had some type of gun, but the Taser guns what what was remembered more than anything else. Where he shot the Taser at Cactus. But what angle and show was this? It was how he had it. He had a regular. Gu- he had a firearm. He had a pistol at Havoc. I think so. I think so. Yeah, something like that. Okay, I'm confused. But and you know, even though it didn't come up in the report, but yeah, I mean, the Taser was Havoc. But, uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's a gun. And another thing, too, is Dave is absolutely right. If there was so much animosity between USA Network and over this with WF, they wouldn't have allowed it to air on all the weekend shows, which all the shows are on USA Network. Yeah, I think point, I think we're coming to a different conclusion than we used to have about this, where it was that, no, this did happen other times, where USA gave them permission for something and then blasted them in the media for acting without permission. Here, there's no media. No. USA has not done anything publicly about this at all. And the thing is, is that, you know, they got Vince apologizing on on Livewire and stuff, but again... They show it on on every show after that. The one thing that makes me think differently, though, is that Vince is going so overboard and being apologetic and conciliatory. Yeah, but still, there's no heat being put on the media. But and they let him. Pl- I mean, they play it on the TV. Now they do dig- they do digitize the gun on USA. But on the syndicated shows, they didn't. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what does that say? You know, I mean, there's something. There's mm-hmm. something. There's something going on here that we don't know. What I mean, I don't. I mean, 
So you, I if, if we if we had more of a media thing on this, then we might could know. I think so, but the Wavens is acting on live wire makes me think there is something legit. But what is it? If USA is not blaming them in the media or anything. Do you think you yeah. asked him to fix it? But, but that's the thing. No one, co- but no one's covering it. Like, did they get calls from media that didn't really end up doing anything? Yeah, I just it's, there's something that we're there's something that we don't have. But what is it? I don't know. I thought I had it. Oh, uh, where? Okay, I was gonna do a find and replace on the weird characters, but I'm. You, did you look at the lariat at all for this week? No. Okay. I'm just well, through in case there's anything else. Well, while you look, let me read what Kevin Kelly did an interview about this with Wrestling Inc. a couple of years ago. Oh, no. Ago. I just found something already. Well, let me let me read what Kevin Kelly said, then you can do that. Okay. All right. So Kevin Kelly asked and was asked by Wrestling Inc. about this you know, is what you 2018. Okay. He said, it certainly didn't start out that way as far as the, the angle. You uh, went to Cincinnati, Ohio, just outside Cincinnati. They interviewed Pillman said the lights go off gunshots ringing out through the house i'm panic stricken stricken i'm diving under chairs we got to a lot of trouble usa network there was a lot of fun in hindsight in the moment i was scared to death but the fact that now we're 20 years later people still remember that and talk about it i guess it really did have a big impact on a lot of folks it was a wild time no doubt so he says they got in trouble but what's the lariat say okay uh let me see where exactly i should be starting with this okay uh Talking about how the ratings went. And then says, the, okay, so the real test will be if the angle turns off more viewers than it turns on. This raises the question, did they get clearance to do this angle? The USA Network, who have issued denials through a spokesman, had to know this was coming. While the WWF is desperate, they have too many eggs in their USA basket to ever endanger losing their outlet there. Plus, the USA Network has never had a problem with airing violent TV shows, those with excessive violence. While not confirmed, I have to believe that USA Network not only knew about the angle, but endorsed it. Hey, they left the word fucking in their West Coast replay, after all. So, I presume that's Cheer saying that he talked to a spokesman for USA. Uh, Okay, I got got you. Alright, so this is from Alice Marvez's national uh, newspaper column. Um, he goes through the whole thing. Uh, WF and USA Network were still biased as raw. I've issued apologies, although the WF statement says some viewers love the action and drama and thought the special we ever done. As a network, we apologize for letting it run, USA spokesman David Schwartz said. We do not approve of it. It's a live event. There's no way we knew that was going to happen. That's the statement. Hmm. Huh. So, um, so they did still blame them. But it just wasn't a huge deal publicly. Okay, okay. Here's another one. This is from um, a, another column. This is from Ronald Jordan. He is in the. Uh, this is from the Greenwood Index Journal, Greenwood, South Carolina. This is from November twentieth, so it's two weeks and a half after this happened. The angle apparently angered a number of viewers who called up to complain. Also got the attention of executives of the USA Network, who issued a statement of apology the day after the show aired on November the 4th. The network said in the statement that its standards are not to have profane of any of our shows in any time slot, and we have a particular problem with the fact that it was an earlier time slot with kids watching. 
The segment was scripted, and even the scripted part was a little bit over the edge, according to a network spokesman. To all viewers who saw it, we apologize. It's not part of our programming standards. We don't condone it and won't air it. WF officials also issued a statement they had to broadcast to its public relations manager, Jay Adronico, not rapper Jay Electronica. As you already know from watching WF television, Smith and Monday Night Raw, we sometimes go to the edge to create compelling programming. And this is what we read earlier. So, same thing that Dave had. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was statements put out by USA Network the day after, but, you know, <laughs> it still feels like there's something more missing though. When, no, no, there's a statement. Let me put a statement out, and I'm I just know, going through the, but... going through these newspapers. That's all. I mean, that's basically all I see. Is that so? Yeah. I'm I'm curious though too. Is Alex the only one who asked? Well, we had that statement. He he had the basically the same statement that other guy just uh, yeah. I read, Ronald. Ronald Jordan had more than Alice did. So yeah. But anyway, let, all right. So let let's go more into that because this is going to explain more. This is back to Dave. Don't think for a second the angle wasn't carefully planned out. Vincent Man and Bruce Pritchard flew to Brian Pillman's house on November first to make sure everything was set up perfectly. The USA Network was informed of everything, and next only two items: the plan that Pillman's wife Melanie was was to take a bump. And that Pillman would fire two shots, which would turn out to be blanks later that evening. And then the satellite would go out. So they wanted the, fi- the shots to be fired on camera. And instead played as the satellite was going out. And Kerwin still, if he's in a later phone call, teased the idea he may have heard two shots fired. Even though, a lot of thing- even though things a lot worse typically appear in the USA Network programming, the network approved everything up to that point, but not the latter two items because it felt that pro wrestling purports to be realistic than standard fair television programming. The angle was actually supposed to be taped on November the 2nd and then inserted in the Raw as it were live. Austin was pulled from his house show appearances in Richmond, Landover, and Worcester, announcing the building as being injured for further preparation of the angle. For whatever reason, the decision was changed there at the last minute to not tape the angle, and it was actually done live. So there you go, Bix. You just said you knew of everything going on. They approved of everything, and the things they didn't, they next, they weren't part of it. They're sorry that the word fuck got out on the air. I'm trying to get an understanding of who complained, if anyone, though. I feel like that's still missing. Fans. But do you obviously to type? Yes. Obviously, both. I guess. Everything is subject to taste. To the people offended by something, it's an offensive angle. Today, it should be held to higher standards because the company is built around marketing the children. But today, there is a warning at the beginning of every television show. Parents who think the current direction is right for children to watch should take that warning at face value rather than blame the company for something they explicitly warned them about at the beginning of the episode. Maybe they feel guilty of trying to be all things to all types of fans, a scenario that it simply isn't possible to pull off. And more than that, if people have a problem with what's portrayed in pro wrestling when it comes to children's viewing, they should have realized that a long time ago. This is pro wrestling, whether it be Vincent Mann's or anybody else's. It's a something that should be trusted by anyone to be anything but what it is, a con game. And Dave's absolutely right. So, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see reaction. Go ahead. Okay, so now that we've gone through all this, so it is what we thought, but even more bullshit because it doesn't seem like USA needed to go this overboard in having them apologize. They're sorry the word fuck got out on the air. It's just that simple. Okay, great. 
that I mean, what, listen to the statement. They never apologize. USA never mentioned anything about a gun. It was the profanity. Read the statement again, since I don't have it in front of me. All right, let me pull it back up. Right. I don't have it. Oh, I you kept it open. I closed it. It's no, I don't keep. I, no, I don't keep stuff open. I I, I close all my tab. Okay. All right. Uh, let me find it again. The uh, Dayton Daily News was one of the ones it was in, right? Yeah. But that wasn't the one. It was the Greenwood thing. Well, I think uh, it's the same one. Okay, here we go. The network, the, listen, the network said in the statement that his standards are not to have profanity on any of our shows in any time slot. And we have a particular problem with the fact that it was in an earlier time slot with kids watching. The segment was scripted, and even the scripted part was a little bit over the edge, according to Network Spokesman. To all the viewers who saw it, we apologize. It's not part of our programming standards. We don't condone it and won't air it. Profanity. No good. Okay, well, well wait. So here's what... The, so wait, the statement to Marvez was... Wait, is this the same statement? The There was no way we knew that was going to happen? Or is this a different statement? Um... I don't have it in front of me, but it seems a little Okay, what Marvez included... Uh, is the network we apologize for letting it run. We do not approve of it. It's a live event. There's no way we knew that was going to happen. Okay, so that's in both... That's in... It's the same statement, but for some reason Marvez didn't run the whole thing. No. Okay. But again, it's apologizing for the profanity. Which is not clear from the part that Alex ran. No, it's from the other one. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They never mentioned a gun at all, at all. All of that said, as we've said before, holy shit, did they take WWF for granted? Oh yeah, they just figured that Vince would and Linda would never wise up. That maybe they should put the shows on the market the next time the contract was up. And they were in for a rude awakening when that inevitably happened. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, you can shoot a gun, but you can't say fuck. All right. Um, the belief in hindsight that Pillman's ankle didn't heal properly the first time because he never took time off to let himself fully heal, as he was constantly traveling and put pressure on it too early, going on all the TVs, doing ECW, negotiating, etc. Having to get infected didn't help. This time he's going to have to lay off of it completely for months. Yep. All right. The move to Raw to the new time slot was a decision made by USA, not WF. While the move is positive for WF in the long run, WF doesn't have the power of the USA to change its primetime schedule. And in fact, USA only gave WF about nine or ten days' notice of the change because it was doing so poorly on Mondays and decided to make a quick change because of November sweeps. So, As yeah. It's not well, well, it was WF's fault. Well, of course, but. As a reminder, sweeps do not exist on cable. <laughs> sweeps sweeps aren't even technically for national numbers. They're local ratings. It's because that's when they're doing a more detailed local ratings across the country. You know, in smaller markets that don't necessarily have as much, you know, rating, you know, coverage in terms of the Nielsen sample. That's what sweeps is for. Um, and also I think it's like that sometimes it would set ad rates based on that, those four weeks, etc. So anytime you see something about cable and sweeps, it's either wrong or a reference to counter programming network sweeps programming. Yeah. So like that part could be true, but it would be because they're worried about going up against what the networks have for sweeps. 
It has it has no direct effect on their ratings. Hmm. So, yeah. So it's USA desperation. USA needs help. They need a boost. Mm-hmm. Torch. The FS slated, now we move on to different things. The FS slated January 4th as a start date for their newest television show, dubbed Shotgun Saturday Night. Working plans for the one-hour show to take place every night at midnight, 9 p.m. Pacific, and emanate live from the nightclub in the New York area. The show is meant to capture a niche audience and feature a more aggressive style of wrestling and more adult-oriented content. Funny how this is happening as <laughs> we're having this controversy mm-hmm. over the adult-related content. Uh, the only question that remains unanswered is whether the show will actually air. Originally, the concept well, no, where start the show pe- will air, not whether. Where, yes. Original concept was planned to start this past September and air on pay-per-view. Because of the ice-cold recession for cable operators, the WWE had delayed and adjust their plans. Cable industry sources said there has been no movement on the pay-per-view front, which means WWE may at least have to start the show for free on television. While it's conceivable the show would be carried by USA Network under the cable channel, maybe in the premium channel, apparently being limited to a New York cable clearance first. Press WF will take a tape of the first few shows, show it to the cable distributors, and attempt to get them to change their minds, but on pay-per-view. The events will presumably force WF to pull 8 to 12 wrestlers from the Saturday Night House shows, assuming the evening show is within driving distance of the midnight event. Saturday Night House shows are one of those better drawing nights, and cutting into the death of the lineup could cost them money at the gate. Okay. When the original version of Shotgun launched, did you get it on TV in Atlanta or Macon? No. Okay. So, when did you first see all of this stuff? Years later. Other than the little bits you might have seen on some of the recap shows. Yeah. Okay. Well, we also need to know, too, the other thing that makes this interesting, which is not mentioned here by Wade for some reason, they're coming right off the decision for the fall season that they were not going to pay for TV time and syndication anymore. Yeah. So they know that they have this uphill battle from how they poison the well. Yeah. Boy, that was too many metaphors together. That said, um, it's still interesting. Like, do you think they were trying to get the weekly pay-per-view idea back going and would use this as sort of a pilot? Or do you think that's just way speculating? Or I don't know. I'm looking for the earth. Okay. Shotgun debuts in Atlanta on August the 23rd. So after it's just superstars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and it airs it, it, and it's on a very cheap. Oh wait a minute, no, I'm sorry. It's on fri on a Friday night on Channel Twenty Two, which I that is a very 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 low low power station. Mm-hmm. Like really low on a Friday night. So was that talking challenge or shotgun? It's just, or? It just says WF shotgun. Okay, so that's the one that was just called Shotgun. I never really understood whether or not there was a difference between that one and Shotgun Challenge. Then it would, yeah. Then they moved it to ten o'clock, so they moved it back an hour, uh, the week later. Hmm. And uh, I think it pretty much stayed on that channel for a while. I never, see. I never. I didn't have that channel down here, so I never saw it. And Macon never carried it. So, yep. All right, so Bret Hart did an AOL chat this week, and the torch has the highlights. Mm-hmm. On why on why he returned to WWF, 
I came back there to put the real all caps back in the wrestling and to bring a little more integrity back to a profession that sometimes appears like it's going down a toilet. I have the responsibility of millions of wrestling fans, in particular to all my hitman friends. I wanted to come back, put wrestling back in focus because I feel that wrestling is getting far too hokey. Boy, is it obvious so far that Bruce is ghostwriting this, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. On Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. After watching him fight Mankind, I felt that was his best match to date, and he looked fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, that sounds like it could be Brett, though, because Shawn is so much more aggressive and... You know what I mean? I, I, I get why Brett would like this much better than Sean's other work. Yeah. On the Austin Pillman angle on Raw, I thought the whole segment was deplorable. And I feel that my coming out there is very much parallel with a sheriff coming back to a Wild West town that's gone bad. That does sound like Brett. Okay, so only the first one seems kind of Bruce-ish, but whatever. On, on why he passed up WCW's offer. It was a very tough decision because WCW made me a splendid offer, but you can't put a price on loyalty. Death has been very good to me over the years, and despite how things might seem to some people, they are definitely still at the forefront of an ever-changing industry. Death is without doubt the biggest name company in the world. My legacy in WF is priceless, and my relationship with my fans is honest and true, and I could never sell them out. Boy, if you only knew what's coming in a year. You mean when Vince specifically maneuvered, tried to maneuver him into making it look like he sold out? Mm-hmm. Which... That is a part of the whole Montreal thing that no one ever talks about anymore. That part of the scenario also seemed like it was Vince trying to put Brett into a situation where it looked like he got greedy. Mm-hmm. On the WF turn into a more extreme promoting style, I think it's deplorable. I think it's a poor strategy to make wrestling more hokey than it was. Basically, there are two kinds of wrestling. Real wrestling and fake wrestling. I'm coming back to the WF to professionally wrestle for real. It's one thing to dress wrestling up to make it more exciting. It's another thing to take its credibility altogether and turn it into a farce. People are sick and tired of wrestling becoming a stage for bad actors and bad athletes. <laughs> On how his father Stu is doing, he's doing excellent. He worries a lot about Jim Neidhart, but don't we all? Thanks for asking. Brad, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, how about uh, you talk to Vince uh, about uh, but Jim, uh, the big rhino? <laughs> On whether he would ever want a team with Mark Marrow, not particularly. I'm in search of a bigger game. Maybe someday way down the line. <laughs> I wonder who asked that question. Um, on acting, I'm still actively pursuing it and shall continue to do so. I'm not really sure, but I get the impression that of all the wrestlers who have tried to bring in the Hollywood or acting in general, that I have been the best one. <laughs> I'll say this. He's the only one that got a recurring series role. Yeah. Well, other other than Terry Funk on Tequila and Benetti. Hmm. Yeah. By that point in time, I guess. Yeah. On pressure to deliver ratings, I like to hope that people will tune in to me, but it might be a little unfair for people to expect me to solely turn the ratings war around. I would most certainly watch me in the WF or anybody or anything in WCW. As for the NWO and the latest goings on down there, you would think most people would rather watch some old WrestleMania one or two days rather than watch Hulk Hogan and his honorage. I'm not trying to be mean, but a couple of days ago I saw Hulk Hogan on TV, and I really think he's starting to look like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> I think the best wrestlers down there are the little guys, and I don't believe they will ever get any recognition competing against the NWO. You got that right. Mm -hmm. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> on where he'd be in five or ten years, I would hope I'm not still wrestling. 
The Batman of Professor Wrestling has and always will be carried by the likes of Lutez, Dorfoot Jr., Harley Race, Bob Backlund, Bret Hart, and even Steve Austin. Wrestling will survive if it's built on wrestlers who can actually wrestle. As a person who grew up being a great fan, I never particularly liked wrestlers who were too loose, and I believe solely in wrestlers who could put the part, talk the part, and wrestle the part. Okay. Are you noticing what's very interesting about this answer? I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, Brett is from Stampede. I mean, that's where he grew up. That's what he watched. And, I mean, look at the wrestlers that was there. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Think about what the actual question is. Where will be in five and ten years, five or ten years? He just signed a contract yeah. that explicitly stated he'll be retiring from in ring in three years. Yeah. That's that's also a part everyone forgets. I believe the way the contract was laid out was the one and a half million a year for three years as a wrestler. I, then I forget the breakdown after that, but it was as far as the money, but then seven years um, working in a Pat Patterson type role. And then another 10 years, like, as the standby on-call legend. Mm-hmm. Which is another big what-if to everything. Two, because obviously there's a ton of different repercussions, but if he doesn't leave, he's also retiring in three years and becoming Vince's assistant booker. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know how Vince would have felt about that after the three years. <laughs> That would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but any other thoughts on Brett's uh, chat here? Oh, uh, let's see. Anything else of note? Colonel Sanders' line is funny. Yeah. Um, the Marrow thing is interesting. It's just somebody asks a question, you know. Yeah, it's it's someone who likes Mark Marrow. That's all it is, I think. Yeah, what's well, I mean, Brett's like gonna bury him. No, he probably could have been a little nicer about it though. It's Brett. Well, especially because the guy he's wrestling at the pay-per-view just feuded with Mark Marrow. <laughs> but anyway. There you go. Alright, so, uh, no word at all in the mission part of being for the, in the Yokozuna, Savio Vega, Flash, Funk, and X versus Vader, Farouk, and Razor, and Diesel match. Other than it, be, it won't be Ahmed Johnson, as he's not due back until mid-December. Whomever it is will be someone who isn't president of, yeah. Rumors are going around about Jim Helwig, but he's still got a lawsuit outstanding against Titan, so Dave can't see that happening. And Wade says, Ultimate Warrior apparently met with Vince McMahon this week about returning to Survivor Series as his major partner. With the embarrassing loss of Henning, reconciliation with Warrior may again be possible. Warrior was never fired, only suspended. He's still in the contract, conceivably, though, could even order him to wrestle. Warrior filed a lawsuit against WF two months ago because he was not paid what he felt was promised. And the major partner, Bix, was? Bad memories, brother. Super, super, super fly. fly. We, and we talk about all this on that show that we did about Survivor Series 96. He did get a big pop, though. Yeah. Um, but obviously the Warrior, I mean, there was enough discussions. I mean, he was there talking to Vince about it. This also explains why they did the mystery partner deal in the first place. Yeah. I wonder if Snuka was always the idea in the back pocket or what possible i mean it's there you know to use yeah all right so from what dave hears there will be no ecw angle survivor series although eventually some sort of angle may take place dave's heard one version of what could happen is the wf would name its december house shows a holiday hell tour which is named ecw's been using for the past few years and have a pretend legal fight to be callous for the angle 
<laughs> so one version that Dave heard was them doing an angle based on one of Paul's legal threats against WCW. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Torch. Bodybuilder Akim Albrecht. This is expected to debut in the ring for WF within a month. His appearance can give more clues as a series of WF of stero- their steroid testing. Albrecht reportedly has a great attitude when it comes to learning how to wrestle. He's been working out with Tom Bridget and Chris Candido before Candido left. Mark Henry is said to have a poor attitude towards learning. He's coming along slowly. And more, more Henry, he's broken let's keep him off for training for four to six weeks. The injury has been announced on television because they still have taped angles with Henry yet to run. Supposedly, the injury will be announced during the Survivor Series pregame show. Well, not that something? Talking about Mark Henry, huh? Uh, yeah. Um, and the difference between him and Brockus. Yeah, why do I get the feeling that one of the sources for that is Christopher Candido? <laughs> well, I mean, let's continue with that. Cause Although, in, that in fairness, same... though... Um, well, let I me don't continue think I've ever this. heard anything that Brackus was not a nice guy. Well, let me continue with this. All right, so Chris Candido, according to the torch, Chris Candido left WF because he wanted to wrestle, not be a trainer, especially given he's only 24 years old. One plan if he had stayed was to team him up with the larger Barry Buchanan, the former punisher in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Wait, so is Barry Buchanan already signed by then? I guess, yeah. He was on, re- on retainer, I guess. Yeah, I guess he's on some kind of developmental deal. Well, so, yeah. he does that much after Smokey closes, so... Well, he works ECW a little bit and does and George, George Andes. Andes yeah. But the thing is, though, is that, yeah, we have Candido here from the torch with this little news bit after we had the early news bit about Brockus. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what to make of the Mark Henry thing because he was a longtime fan. And I never really heard anything about him having an attitude other than this that I can think of. So... A little weird. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, also, here's the other thing. Which of the two of them befriended Chris Candido? Fracas. Mm-hmm. The reason that Candido gets so jacked during that ECW run is basically that Albrecht gave him a ton of workout and diet and steroid cycle tips. Mm-hmm. TV race of the weekend of the ninth and tenth saw Blast Off to a point six. Well, I've wired one point two. Superstars one point seven. Now was Blast Off a studio recap show? Yes, basically. and that was on a WGN, right? Uh, I can't remember if it's on GN or not. I think it is. I thought it was. I, I thought I called it in USA, but I no, Blast Off was not on USA. I never got Blast Off. All right, ha- uh, house show number third in Worcester. 3363 before 706. Wait, so would this be Centrum or Auditorium? It's probably Centrum. Okay. Sold to beat uh, Bob Holly. Brash over Aldo Montoya. Billy Gunn over Bart Gunn when he yanked on the jeans. Sid beat Vader in a stretcher match. Mort Marrow over Hunter. Perfect, not ringside by DQ. So Hunter retained the title. Hunter referee Dave had to argue throughout the match. At the match, had no chase Hunter away with a chair. Owen and Bulldog beat the Godwins for tag titles. Undertaker and Sean beat Mankind and Goldust in an Armageddon cage match. Undertaker got a huge pop, but Michaels came out next to top that. During the match, Undertaker was trapped outside the cage. Mankind and Goldust locked the cage door where there were Michaels. Mankind applied the mental claw on Michaels, later hugged him upside down while the heels charged him. When Undertaker returned to the ring, he cleared house. 
Undertaker chose down Gold Dust, Reverend Bass stopped match, Michael stopped the rest, set up Undertaker to add a tombstone for added punishment. Undertaker did so, and then Gold Dust was, was unable to continue. So, kind of a steel cage, Texas death, last man standing kind of thing? Yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah. How much this past week saw a number four from Halifax, Nova Scotia, do 4691-81919 gate. St. John's, Newfoundland on the 5th, 3793-81909. Sydney, Nova Scotia on the 6th, 3727-74667. St. John, New Brunswick on the 7th, Drew 3241-57717. Buffalo on November 8th for the first wrestle show in Marine Midland Arena, Drew 7672 and 144670. And Milwaukee, Drew 3103 and 49-362. Well, house show business is clearly rebounding. Yeah. Those are really strong numbers for the Maritimes, especially outside of the summer. Mm-hmm. George says, although Jim, Cornette role, Jim Cornette's role has been decreased on camera, he said he'd be happy with his position in the company. He remains part of the booking committee with Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, and Jake the Snake Roberts. Vincent Mann remains the dominant booker, though. Yes, folks, Jake the Snake is uh, one of the uh, writers here mm-hmm. in 1996. So this is this is who's in charge of creative where Vince Russo gets on board. It's actually very interesting too how even though Vince is still Vince and in charge, notice the the booking philosophies of everyone else there compared to his. Is They're all the watched by. Yeah, is this the least in sync that the creative team has ever been with Vince in terms of philosophy? Yes. Huh. Interesting. Mankind Execution will be put together as a tag team. That won't be for long. Dan Croft will be using his real name of Phil LaFon. The officials naturally denied the figure stipulations talked about when it comes to any dealings with Hulk Hogan. That was from uh, er, er, the month earlier that we yes. talked about on the Patreon show. Yes, where we talk about it more there, but based on the contract we have from May 98, it's pretty clear that they were not actually talking to him at this time. Rocky Maya Via segments continue to be great. The uh, build up. As coincidence, having Steve Austin was on the same plane almost the entire WCW crew coming back from doing the angle with Pillman. WCW guys came from Detroit, connecting to Cincinnati and route to Atlanta where Austin lives. Well, I'm sure that was quite the flight. And to close out, WF has had another point to assaulting us WCW this past week. It was on November the 7th. Jeff Katz on the WCW hotline says something to the effect that USA gave Titan an ultimatum to get the ratings up for Raw or Raw be moved to midnight. Titan claims they've never had any communication of anything of the short. Of the sort, not short. WCW would be best served into this lawsuit as suddenly keep his 900 line guys from talking about WF because they can't help but be homers on the line. With a pending lawsuit, all it does is add ammunition. And for more on the general issue of hotline guys, uh, fueling the fire of the lawsuit, please listen to both parts of the birth of the NWO series at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Yep. Also, maybe you should not be putting a teenager on the hotline in that capacity either. <laughs> well. Because isn't Jeff Katz 17? He's young. He's either 17 or 18. Yeah. Come on. I don't know if that's the best idea there. All right, let's go to Japan now. Land of the Rising Sun, and we'll begin with New Japan Pro Wrestling, as they had a special one-night tournament on November the 3rd at Corken Hall, where Akira Nagami and Michio Shiohara beat Kensuke Sasaki and Shinjiro Otani in the finals. 
The top seed team of Keiji Muno and Justin Nalaga lost in the semifinals to Ohara Nagami. Mishiro Koshinaka out there putting a lot of more steam behind the remaining members of Heisei Ishingan as a headline Corka Hall in the room of fourth with HI members like Akshay Saino, Ohara, Nagami, Testo, Shigoto, and Ken Kamura beating Tadayu Suda, Manabu Nakanishi, Oshimura, Satoshi Kojima, and Hashimoto in the best of three falls match, which was about 27 minutes. Now, November 3rd show had the tournament. We had Izuka, uh, Takashi Azuka and Yuji Nagata over Junji Arana and Norio Kensuke and Otani over Akita Saido and Tasuta Shigoto. Nagami and Ohara over Hashimoto and Yutaki Yoshie. Liger Mudo over Sam- El Samurai and Tasumi Fujinami. You had uh, Kengo and Kobayashi. Kunia Kobayashi over Asama Kido and Tadayu Suda. Kensuke and Otani over Izuka Nagata. Nagami and Ohara over Liger Mudo. Then you had uh, Hiro Saido, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Masahiro Chono over Nami Nakanishi, Osama Nishimura, and Satoshi Kojima. And then Nagami Nohara over Kensuke and Otani in the finals of the tournament. And Coach Kanemoto's when I've asked for months of knee injury was at the New Japan show on November 4th. Issue the challenge to Big Japan's Yoshiro Tajiri for the match at the January 4th Tokyo Dome show. Which doesn't happen because it ends up being Otani. Yeah. Um, the thing about um, you know, Kanemoto, he comes back from that major knee surgery. And he might be the best wrestler in the world. <laughs> and he becomes the best wrestler in the world in 97. <laughs> uh, when you talk about guys coming back from injuries, Liger and other people, that dude came back on another level. It's amazing to watch him in that, in that era. But yeah, so there's New Japan. They're, this is a, they're not on tour, so this is a special... They'll deal at Corkin, so yeah, that's what they got going on. Any no war or anything here, though? Did it's just with New Japan. No, it's just New Japan doing stuff, you know? Well, because it's mostly it's just, heavy and junior, except for... Um, it just says one night jack okay. tournament. You know, just, doing, just doing, you know, just a different show. Yeah. Now, war ran a, uh, a deal at Corkin Hall on November the night for uh, 2100. Just under like enough samurai lost international junior tag titles to Wars Lance Storm and Yuji Yashiroka in 1831 when Yashiroka pinned El Samurai with a German suplex. Another match was scheduled as a singles match with Tenugurichiro against Kazu Yamazaki. Where Yamazaki was injured last week. They ended up with Yamazaki in the ring, but they guess due to his condition, it was changed to a tag match with Yamazaki Takashi Azuka losing to Tenru and Nobutaka Araya. After the show, Liger had another doctor's appointment to check on the aftermath of his brain surgery. And the doctor said that what remained of the brain tumor was smaller than ever and gave him the okay to continue wrestling. And Liger's headed to Mexico for a CMLL tour. I Amazing. don't think I realized that they didn't get all of the tumor. No? And it was benign. So is that, like, is there even any further treatment? Do you, like, I don't think you do radiation or anything for a benign tumor, right? Mm-mm. So basically the idea is get as much as you can out, hope it doesn't regrow, and if it doesn't, you're good. Mm-hmm. Because he was, what was it, he was having headaches and impaired vision was what led up to get him getting the MRI? Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, the results of the war show, Gokaku Umibozu over Jun Kikuchi, Takashi Kimura and Masaki Moshizuki over Masakazu Fukuda and Kamikaze, Masayoshi Motegi beat Shodan Senshi Battle Ranger. Doink the Clown over Oinro. Which doink? 
Matt Bourne. And it, it's Matt Bourne. <laughs> That's right, because he had worked war a little bit more than this, right? Yeah. As doing. Yeah, I, I just watched this show recently. Yeah, it's Matt Bourne. Bam Bam Bigelow and Nobukazu Arai over Sama Tachikari and Arashi. Tenro and Arai over Yamazaki and Izuka. And then the uh, Lance Yashiroka over Liger Samurai match. Mm. Um, yeah, this, this is a fun show. Yeah, Doink and Onro is quite the interesting match. I would least. think so. And this Bigelow Hirai tag team leads to Hirai taking on the nickname sometimes of Crusher Bam Bam Hirai. Mm hmm. Which also means that these results should have said Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow. Well, they did. <laughs> well, you should have remembered to say it. Well, I'm sorry. It's like Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. Got a spots, brother. We'll blame Cage Match for that. All right, um, FNW, their major show of the week. Well, it's a tour opener on November 6th. It's Shizuoka Twin Mess in front of 2040, where Hiskatsu Oya and the Headhunters are undershot the six-man tag titles, which takes place on November 16th in Osaka against the champs, Masato Tanaka, Koji Nakagawa, and Tatsuya Kuroda. They beat Wing Kanemura, Bad Boy Hino, and Hideki Asaka in a street fight. Hino broke his leg in the match, and estimates are he wouldn't be able to return for three months. Also in the show, Mr. Pogo returned to action. Losing to Crypt the Keeper, you like that now, after being out of the ring for three months. Because it just says Crypt Keeper. All right, full results here. Ayato <laughs> Nanjo over Gosaka Goshigawara and Mamoru Okamoto. Kastoshi Niyama over Toru. Koji Nakagawa over Riki Fuji. Megumi Kudo and Kuri Nakayama over the Toxic Corp. Sharshashuya and Miss Mongol. Not to be confused with Mr. Toxic Attraction. Mm hmm. Oh, these two, yeah, you, you can go confuse them with, with Toxic Attraction, that's for sure. Mr. Pogo over Crypto Keeper, Gladiator, Mike Awesome and Super Leather over Hayabusa and Masato Tanaka, and Oyan, the Headhunters over Kanamurahito and Hasaka. So, there's FMW. I Let's always go to forget, oh, real quick, right, Leatherface in FMW originally was my Kirshner, right? He goes mm -hmm. to Wing... Tim Patterson comes in a super leather, and then at whatever point Tim Patterson stops going to Japan, it's Tony Myers as some variation of Leatherface, and then Chainsaw Tony and all that, right? Um, well, Corporal Kirshner was super leather. But wasn't super leather something that came about because he jumped? But he was super leather. Or was he in Wing first, and then FMW? And that's why I got confused. I mean, he's here. This is him. But that's, that's my super leather. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was on my mind in part because I met I met uh, Tony in he was in full gimmick uh, last night. We, you know, we had known each other before, but that was nice. And he got he got a nice moment too. They had him win the hardcore battle royal, and he got to give a nice speech about Mister Pogo and stuff after. And of course, uh, Toru is the future uh, Big Boss Magma. That's right. Uh, Crypto Keeper, of course, is the legendary Bob Barrigale. Oh, boy. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Here's your FMW uh, gimmicks. Michinoku Pro Wrestling. On November 9th at a more perfectual gym for 341 fans. Kato Kung Lee and Wellington Wilkins Jr. over in the Chicago and Grand Naniwa. Kayantai DX, Shiru, Minz Teo, and Dick Togo over Masato Yakushuji, Grand Haman, and Great Sasuke. Gen Station Zaki over Lenny Lane. That's correct. And tag leads going on. El Santo. El, El Santo. Eo Del Santo and Super Delphin 
over Street Fanaki and Takamichinoku in your main event. You got to use their official tag team name, Chris. The Dream Chasers. Yes, Dream Chasers. Um, I believe there is a Samurai TV show that covers the tournament and has multiple Santo there and is. tags. Yeah, clip, but yeah. I think there's some in full, but... Yeah, there's clip, too. It's interesting, though, that they brought in a guy like Santo, and there's not much of it on the commercial tape from this period, for whatever reason, the uh, Heartbreak video. But fun-looking Mishinoka Pro Show, as usual in this era. 96-97 is always going to be my favorite. Yeah. All right, SPWF. They ran Hamamatsu City Gym on November 7th. We have Nishiro over Phantom Funakoshi. Yes. Masahiko Kochi over Sad Man. Okay, it's spelled with an S, but given that the other guys that are brought in as foreigners on this tour from Dallas, it's clearly Sadman, Sadman, Cedric of Hollywood, Cedric Crane. Yes, yeah, because there's Texas guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Asian Cougar over Condor. Boyna Sawada, Asama Ternishi, and Yoshiaki Yatsu over the murderer. <laughs> Rod Price and California Stud Rod Price and Action Jackson. Yes. And, and then the, our main event. Well, I was, well, let me just get this in because I don't want to have to jump onto this after you read this. Uh, for those who have never seen him, the murderer is basically just a dude in a Halloween, like, lizard mask. Yeah, he was te- he was a tag team with Ichiro Gucci. And they were known as G.O.D. And your main event, speaking of, Ichiro Yaguchi over Steve do it to it cox Who even knew he still <laughs> It's all these Texas guys. I know, but who even knew he was still working in these in Dallas? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um. Okay... All Japan is not on tour, right? No. Wait, is Doc even back allowed back in the country yet, or is that not till ninety-seven? He doesn't wear Japan ninety-six. Interesting, then, isn't it that Sedman is showing up there? Isn't it all of a sudden? Isn't it? Okay. Well, the guy's Texas guys. Still, it's all the hookup. No, it doesn't matter. There's, it's the hookup. There's a big difference between the veterans they brought in and Sedman. And remember, what was Sedman described as when he was brought into all Japan? Doc's gym what? buddy. Yeah. But again, I mean, he had more connections than Dr. Steve Williams, so... Well, I would think so, but... I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's possible that he had some of the same other connections that Doc had. But enough of that. Pancrase. The contract dispute with Ken Shamrock, which is spread to affect in some form the participation of several Lions Den fighters, takes away some of their biggest stars. In a related story, Shabrock has pulled out of his December 15th match at the Fukuoka Dome with Ugo Duarte. The uh, reason given is that since Antonio Noki's people were in serious negotiations to have the show on pay-per-view in the United States or on tape de- delay in 97, Shamrock couldn't do the show because he would be working against SEG and UFC. The Shamrocks brought up the possibility of doing the match, but having it not air in the United States as part of the pay-per-view show, but everything seems to have fallen through in that regard. Apparently, one of the reasons Noki's people were able to offer Shamrock a huge money figure for one match was the ability to use Shamrock's name in marketing the event on pay-per-view in the United States. It's still somewhat surprising to see the match fall apart completely over the pay-per-view aspect. Since they have a huge stadium, after capacity 69,000, not 80,000, as was said previously, the filler car for a down on paper doesn't appear to have anywhere close to enough draw power to pull that off. 
Perhaps a threatened lawsuit for Pancrase over their claim that Shamrock will still be on their exclusive contract to them until he returns. And does the final four fights left on his previous contract also played a factor? According to Pancrase President Masami Ozaki, the company th- threatened legal action against Shamrock, but not against Universal Valley Tudo, as written here last week. Katsuji Nagajima Bix, who was one of New Japan's primary office officials, had called Ozaki about the problem, which, along with the involvement of Toyonoki, has led people to believe this show is actually a New Japan promotion under another name. I suppose all insiders in Japan know the show is going to flop because the belief is that, but the belief is that'd be okay for the promoters as well, since there are those who believe the purpose of the show is to rip the shooting style popularity in the butt. Nip it, excuse me. Because it threatens the long-term popularity of traditional pro wrestling. So what is Uh-oh. this promotion even, and what is it being billed as? There was a thing where Noki, they were going to do a show in but December. it doesn't happen, right? They're just, the no, card is canceled. No. Yeah. yeah. And they was going to... I don't know. I guess they were going to make try to make uh, these guys look bad. I don't know. It's just funny in hindsight, considering what happens. You know, years later. And also just uh, weird okay. in the context that we know that Shamrock trying to get into New Japan, too. According to Ozaki, Shamrock fought four matches under the contract and was credited with one more since he came to Japan while injured from the November 4th, 95 show on a nine-match contract of Bay of the First, 95. Shamrock also came to Japan after his knee operation this year, but Ozaki doesn't credit that as a match because he was under a separate area manager contract, which is prior to December, but Pancreas stopped paying him in October due to the dispute. So he believes Shamrock owes the company four matches, not three as listed in the Observer last week. His claim is the contract specifically states all matches are shoots and that Shamrock received $200,000 in his monthly salary for the one-year duration of the contract. Ozaki claims the contract specifically brought up participation in USC events, saying that Pancreas would allow Shamrock to do USC events, but they would not count as Pancreas matches in the contract. He said that Shamrock phoned Moscow's Fanaki many times, but it was Fanaki that didn't want to return his phone calls because of the contract dispute, and that Fanaki is on his side of the dispute, which is surprising since Fanaki and Shamrock have a long friendship. Huh. How about that? Hmm. Um, okay. I'm going to jump in with something because I'm thinking, okay, there's got to be more about this. So I googled Ken Shamrock, Hugo Duarte, and Fukuoka Dome together, and I got a Mike Glorifice Quebrada column from this period. Okay? Mm-hmm. Arguably the most controversial card in recent history, and this does not appear to have a... Actually, wait, is it in the URL? Let's see. Is there a date here? Uh, nope, but just Quebrada 6. The 6 Quebrada, that's a column. I don't know if there are any match reviews in here. So, arguably the most controversial card in recent history will take place in Japan on December 15th at the 69,000 seed Fukuoka Dome. God bless Michael Orifice for keeping all this stuff archived, by the way. Uh, the promotion running the card is Universal Valley Tudo. Okay, that wasn't really made clear in Dave's writing that that was what he was talking about. And he mentioned Universal Valley Tudo. He mentioned it, but it wasn't entirely clear that it was the same, that that was the comp. Anyway. Uh, well, it's Dave. It's Dave writing. The lineup has not been finalized yet, but the main event is a rematch from September 23rd between New Japan's Keiji Muto and Brazilian Luta Livre pack practitioner Pedro Otavio. Not mentioned here, but better known to everyone as The Pedro. Eight-man tournament with the biggest names being all like Taktarov and... Uh, how do you spell the Birdo who's not Andre's name? The one who was mainly a wrestler. Diesel. I mean, not spell. Diesel. How do you pronounce it? It is... Is it Diesel or is it Diesel? It's Diesel. Okay, Diesel Berto. Um, who they call a Luta Livre practitioner who works for Battle Arts. 
There will be two other super fights. One will be former sumo star Koji Katao versus TBA, who will most likely be Gerard Gordeaux. The other was going to be Ken Shamrock versus Hugo Duarte, one of the couple best Luta Livre fighters. Shamrock will not be appearing for a number of reasons, though, so he'll have to be replaced. Uh, Universal Valetudo is hopeful that a tape of the card will air in the U.S. sometime in early 97. The card sounds innocent enough, so why is it so controversial? Main reason is that Inoki is producing the show. But there are so many different views on why he's involved. To explain the controversy, I need to explain the various viewpoints. Uh, many people think it's a satellite of New Japan. Universally agreed that hell will freeze over before it can sell out the dome. Many people question New Japan's motives in running it. Uh, why would they do this? These people, from what I have read, include... Uh, some officials in legit groups in Japan, uh, they believe New Japan is trying to kill the public's fascination with shooting. After all, if New Japan nips the product in the bud, then their style of wrestling is safe. Several ways the show could hurt shooting, and you know, the obvious ones there, dubious shoots, obvious works, whatever, uh, would be taking place in an octagon, which is UFC's trademark, and then talking about all the legal threats and stuff over that. Um... Soon people will be saying UFC has worked because they saw this fake match in the octagon. Since the layman usually cannot tell the difference, I was just talking to someone today who swore to me that the Fight Zone pay-per-views with Tony Halma are real. They will go by what they hear, which may not be accurate. And then talking about the name um, and how there's confusion with Sayama's international valetudo. Talking about the first Pedro versus Mudo match. Um, and then the weakest argument is if you can't beat them, join them and do shoots to make money. Third argument is New Japan isn't actually involved and that the company involved that's doing it actually just decided to run a show. So helps color in the lines of some of what Dave had there. What, what do you make of this though? What do you make of this theory that it seems like is coming from multiple places that this was a New Japan idea to kill shooting, which, if it's an Anoki thing, doesn't seem to make sense. Anoki wants to... They, I guess they want to be the ones to control the narrative. That actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so there, um, that's it. Also, is it me or do something... What, what is a, I mean, what, Anoki obviously is having ideas about doing his own thing. Anyway. Right. So, his own... His own angle regarding a shoot style thing because i think shamrock was probably shamrock was gonna be the guy that was gonna be the part of that when, when it eventually became no Yogawa. right clearly actually wait a second is this maybe just was the idea maybe just to have this to springboard shamrock into being in new japan do you think yeah and everyone's yeah, overthinking it possibly and, but we know with hindsight that it's probably just that yeah pretty much okay and then there, so there ends up being a Universal Valley Tudo that mostly runs in Brazil and has a few in Japan. Let me see what the date is. Oh, so wait a second. There was a Universal Valley Tudo in April '96. Now I'm curious who's on that. As I look at your dog here, I'm just taking a bit of time to load. All right, here we go. Oh no, it didn't load. What the hell? It took me back to the event listing. But anyway, um, I think that's the simplest explanation explanation though that it's a shamrock vehicle right yeah okay so the show in april your main event was mamrillo bustamante beating joe charles 
Hugo Duarte won the co-main over Jerry Harris. Waida Smell submitted uh, battle artist Katsumi Asuda. I think or, we talked about this show on our show. Maybe uh, Hoyler Gracie had a fight. Pedro had a fight. That's about it as far as names. And does anything else happen? And then, okay, so June and August in Brazil. Oh, no, wait, no, no, no. August was in Japan, and then the rest were in Brazil after that. And, yeah, so kind of strange, though. All right. Yeah, well, let's oh, move on. Oh, the one last thought that I oh, keep forgetting to get out, though, was, is it me or is it interesting how the undercard sounds in some way similar to the first Pride undercard? Yeah, I guess. Even though Anoka's right, not involved with that, but go ahead. Ozaki also said that Guy Metzger still a pancreas. He broke his nose on the September 7th show. Couldn't fight for six weeks, which means he had to miss November 9th. Metzger was originally set as one of the four to be determined to determine the new king of pancreas, but couldn't participate due to the injury. It was scheduled to appear on the December 15th show. Ozaki also claimed he knew from Metzger about the idea of freaking and Frank Shamrock to do seminars. Didn't care about it. Claimed it was Ken's idea to do the Ken versus Frank match, and nobody in pancreas ever made a suggestion the brothers fight each other. Bob Shamrock, Ken's father and manager, claimed it was Pancrase's idea that booked such a match on December 15th, and every interviews with Frank have talked about him not wanting to fight his brother. Ozaki claimed, as it regards Vernon White and his future Pancrase's pending since everyone in Pancrase likes him, the toll of the injuries continue to add up, and it's going to add up faster as the nature of the sport itself changes. With the wrestlers running more and more out of block spot and avoid submissions, the match has become more stand-up striking matches, which naturally lead to high risk of injuries, particularly limited number of fighters and matches taking place every six weeks. From a marketing standpoint, the reality of true athletic competition as opposed to work competition is that there is a gap, often lengthy, between a wrestler's physical peak and his marketing peak. Most top wrestlers hit the drawing power peak around their mid-30s, so with the nature of the name value being what it is, many have more drawing power in their 40s when they're longer, no longer top athletes than even their 30s. In a shoot sport, the timeline's a lot shorter. By the time the wrestler gets over the biggest, as often not, his athletic skills are already in decline. In a work environment, that can be made up by learning shortcuts in the ring. It's a lot harder when the work aspects removed, particularly when it comes to recovering from injuries, let alone winning and losing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's it part is. of the danger of the profession. Which also makes it even more fascinating that we're reading this a few days after Glovich Ashera became the oldest first-time UFC champion in the history of the promotion. Yeah, you have those moments. Yep, Randy Couture. Well, Randy didn't have the downswing though that that Glover did, you know. And I feel like Randy Randy's big like later wins I think are more the light heavyweight stuff when you consider who he beat than the heavyweight stuff. Not that he didn't have good wins at the end of heavyweight, but I don't know if you can compare the end of his stuff to. You know, being a very legit UFC light heavyweight champion as a 42-year-old in 2021, when the sports changed so much. Pancras hit the semifinals of the King of Pancras tournament on November 9th in Kobe before 3,500 fans. Jason Delucio used a choke on Osami Shibuya in 145. Masakos Funaki took just a minute 43 to get the choke on Kondo. So Funaki versus Delucio for the vacant title headline December 15th at the Budokan. That's still a weak main event for building the size of the Budokan. And in this era, if a newsletter just calls a finish in an MMA fight a choke, that means it's a rear naked choke usually, right? Yes. Okay. I, I always hated that. That they're not explaining it at all or even calling it a choke sleeper or anything. 
We're just supposed, yeah. even though we already know by this point, if you're following UFC or Pancras or anything, that there are multiple types of chokes in jujitsu and catch wrestling and everything. You're just supposed to know that the choke is a rear naked choke. Mm-hmm. All right. November the 4th, All Japan Women at Corken Hall. For the fourteen fifty, we have Rumi Saguchi over Miyuki Fuji, Tanny Mouse over Sayendo, Mariko Yoshida, Karito, and Miho Wakazawa over Toshio Yamada, Momo Nakanishi, and Nani Takahashi, Reggie Bennett, but also Steam Bennett, and Mima Shimoda over Eskomita and Basai Genki. That's a match. Yumiko Hota and Yukushina over Utops, Tomoko Watanabe and Kumiko Maikawa, Takako Inoue and Yumi Fakawa over Rio Tamana and Manami Toyota. And Kyoko Inoue and Chaparito Asari over Aja Kong and Yoshika Tamura. Tamura, excuse me. <laughs> there um, you go. Because we don't have the interpromotional stuff anymore, there's definitely less depth than there was. Um, But they haven't had any kind of big exodus yet. You know, we don't have any RCN... Gaia at this point is mainly Chiguza and her students. So lineup wise, it's a stronger company than it would become in the next few years. Yeah. But it uh, it also doesn't really jump out at you anymore. No. Be- but both because you don't have the same variety and because it's becoming increasingly clear that the change in the focus of the fan base has made it that they do not have nearly the number of top recruits as they used to have. Yeah. All right. Um, let's go to Europe. CWA Auto Bonds' group at the Schützenplatz in Hanover, Germany. November <laughs> 3rd. We have Drew, Drew McDonald, Ben Doom McDonald, over Bobby Gatano. Bobby Walker. Hard work Bobby Walker over Eddie Steinblatt by disqualification. Do you think he tried to walk the ropes? <laughs> Possible. August Smysel over Uf Herman. Robbie Brookside over Christian Exide. Tony St. Clair over the Terminator Mastino. He's no longer a bruiser. He's Terminator Mastino. Fifth Finley over Franz Schumann in the fourth round. And Rambo, Luke Poirier over Cannonball Grizzly. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, PNUs in the sixth round. Okay. So your thing. Yes. I have a question. If mm-hmm. I were to ask you in 1996. Which two people in this card would be working behind the scenes for WWF in 25 years? Who would be your answers? None of the above. <laughs> no, if anything, it would be uh, it would be maybe like Luke Poirier and Paul New. <laughs> None of the above. All well, right, and we got to go to WWF anyway. But we got Brian Dixon's All Star Wrestling here, the Corden Fairfield Halls. On November 5th, we had James Mason and Steve Gray over Blondie Barrett and Tiger McGuigan. Doc Dean over Carl Kramer by, the, by KO. Skull Murphy, not the one that teamed with Root Bernard, over Pat Roach. And Battle Cat over Ricky Knight. Who okay. is Bix? The father of Paige, hey. Zebra Kid, yes. etc. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. To me, the thing that jumps out here the most, besides that I'm pretty sure Battle Cat is not Brady Boone, is Pat Roach was still wrestling in 1996. Mm-hmm. I thought he was mostly just an actor by, like, the mid-80s. No. No, he was there. Which Indiana Jones movie is he in? 
I don't know. I don't know. Oh, wow. He wrestled until 98. I know he was in one. He, I mean, he eventually became pretty well known as an actor. I mean, maybe not more so than as a wrestler. So who knows how much results were missing because I'm guessing he was mainly working for Dixon in that era because there's not many results for him after like 1988 and World of Sport ending. But there's some. But it's All-Star, you know, and probably a bunch of camp shows mixed in, so it's hard to know exactly how active he would have been. Yeah. All right, so that's halftime. So let's go to halftime as we'll have some great 1996 commercials, and then we'll come back and talk about Patreon again. We'll uh, talk about the other stuff going on, hit the plugs. And then we'll come back and go to Mexico, where AAA is trying to uh, fight back against their uh, their rival promoters. And we got an interesting story about Akira Hokuto in Mexico as well. Plus, La Parca makes a big jump. All that more after the break. Warner Brothers proudly presents Michael Jordan, Bugs Bunny, together for the first time in a motion picture event Whoa. unlike anything you've ever seen. Space Jam. Rated PG. Starts Friday, November 15th. Yoo-hoo. Pick me. Oh, no, no, no. Pick me. No, no. Not her. No, no, no. Saturday, November 9th, is JCPenney's biggest sale of the year. From 8 a.m. to 11 p.m., you'll save on thousands of things in every JCPenney department. I was so close. <laughs> this is the big one. Burger King celebrates the video release of Disney's Toy Story with some really big toys. Did I say big? Buy any tasty value meal and get your kids one of these large talking toys for just $2.69. I'm talking large and in shock. Get Buzz. Oh, Woody. Add their cool RC racer. Get them all three Toy Story toys only at Burger King. <clears throat> this is gonna be big. Nobody does it like you. The new Hoover Steam Vac Jr. helps get spots and spills before they become stains. Nobody does it like you. If you've got a Sears card, you've got the power to save. Use your Sears card and the entire store's on sale with an extra 10% off already sale-priced items. 10% off regular prices, too. So get your Sears card and get extra savings now through Saturday only. Saturday gets wild and crazy with Steve Martin in the funniest film about weddings ever. Kimberly Williams makes getting to the altar hysterical and father of the bride. Then it's more Kimberly Williams in her new show, Relativity. That's great. When a new romance threatens to break up the family. It's a whole lot of Kimberly on a wild and crazy ABC Saturday. If you've got a Sears card, you've got the power. The power to save. Because right now, when you use your Sears card, the entire store's on sale. With an extra 10% off already sale-priced items. Take 10% off regular prices, too. From the latest appliances and electronics to the greatest fashions and all the best brand names. All on sale. So get your Sears card out and get the power. The power to save. Now through Saturday only. It's the biggest comedy smash of the year and the one you've been waiting for. Disney's Toy Story took you to infinity and beyond. And now... I go on to a better place. It's finally on video. Let's move, 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 move! The wait is over. I come in peace. And the fun is just beginning. Buzz, look, an alien! Where? Ah! 
Because now, you can own the biggest adventure of the year. Bring home Disney's Toy Story, now for sale on video. On Saturday mornings, Bisquick pancakes come out picture perfect. And if they don't, they still taste just as good. Bisquick. Make the most of it. Bill Murray has one problem. I don't want it. And he's got to take it 3,000 miles. Okay, honey, where's the stairs? Yes, sir! Yes, sir! In five days. I can't drive this! <laughs> Larger than life. Rated PG. Now playing. Strap on a new perspective. Going in. This is what you usually see. This is what you're going to see. Cameras where they've never been before. MTV's Daisy Fuentes takes you to extremes. You gotta, gotta see this. ABC Thursday, you gotta see this. One week from Saturday. Whoa! Get ready for a wild network television premiere. Excuse me? It's Wayne and Garth. I'm gonna be Frank. Can I still be Garth? In the most excellent movie ever. Heather Locklear, Kim Basinger. Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Wayne's World 2. One week from Saturday on ABC. You know what mentoring means? It means regularly sharing your interests with a child. To start, all you need is a little time and a big heart. Find out more and make a difference. Children first. Hold still. Here comes an all-new Boy Meets World on ABC. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1996 commercials. As we have to the halftime seven in the show. We'll begin with talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we have a new show that has dropped in the last week. Our second part of our 25th anniversary look at the new world order of wrestling. And um, there's some overlap with this show when, uh, when we get to WCW later on. As there'll be some stuff that is on that section that we talk about on this show. But we have a lot more in-depth uh, stuff on there on the uh, Patreon show where we talk about ratings, buy rates and stuff like that, comparing WCW before the NWO and after the angle got started and all that stuff, a lot of interesting information there. Plus all the other stuff that's going on at the time regarding the angle, all the people joined the NWO who could have joined the NWO and didn't, who should have joined the NWO and didn't, um, all that stuff, the stuff we talked about uh, many times before. So, Five dollars a month gets you access to listen to that, plus uh, all the other shows that we've done in our full five years of our Patreon. And if you do it now, you'll definitely be able to listen to part one, way it looks, of two of our Patreon series on John Collins's main event championship wrestling. And uh, this is a, a story that has been kind of forgotten in the last twenty years by a lot of people. But there's Although, a lot of people that it started to come back a little bit in the last few months because of all those CM Punk interviews where he explains that when AEW and Tony Khan were first mentioned to him, he was just thinking it was a John Collins type thing. I mean, that's when it came up, but nobody really, I mean, not really many people knew what he was talking about. No. So, no. so, um, we'll have that. And, uh, Vic's been working on notes so he can, you know, I guess tell you guys, uh, the early stages here, what, what the show's looking like. Yes, as of right now, we have 57 pages of notes that <laughs> by and large covers a two-and-a-half-month period. 
<laughs> yeah, that's why it's going to be two shows. Yes. And, well, also, and, go, you say it then. Yes. And we'll have guests. We're going well, to have at least one, probably. At least yes. one. And uh, I've had another one approach me about it. And Vix has had one in his mind he may talk to. Well, more so, than one, actually, now that I think about it. But. So... Yeah, th there's going to be some different voices involved as well. So you definitely do not want to miss this. This is a crazy, crazy story. Yes. So like we one of the wildest saying, stories of wrestling uh, in the past 25, 30 years. Yes. Like we keep saying, it's the Heyman shows, the Herb shows, and the Global shows in a blender, for lack of a better term. Um, and and I, even more spacious. Yes. I mean, and I dug deep on this one to find old interviews and digging into news group posts and old forum posts that are still around to find, you know, news stories that might not be online anymore, even on Wayback, or that might be on Wayback but aren't easy to find. For example, because One Wrestling, it was crawled by the Wayback Machine, and a lot of the stories are technically on Wayback Machine. The problem is, is that the way that the scripting and whatever was structured on the old one wrestling dot com means that the navigation pages and the archive pages that would have the link are a mess and very incomplete and hard to navigate. But generally speaking, if I find the URL in like another news sites post or a message board post or news group post, a lot of the time with one wrestling, you get a working link on Wayback. It's just you need to find where to pull that stuff up or find copied and pasted stuff, which, you know, there's a lot of on older forums that are still around. And thankfully, it preserved stuff that otherwise wouldn't be available. And there is just some insane stuff here. There is one part that I thought about sending you just as a preview, but decided not to because I know you're going to laugh out loud for about 15 seconds after you read it. <laughs> and I want to save that for the show. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. I mean, this stuff is insane. And then, you know, there's who is, I won't spoil it, but like everything from who is backer turns out to be to, you know, his eventual crimes that get revealed that he goes to prison for just all sorts of things. One thing I won't say with who or what it contains. One thing that I found that will be discussed. I didn't tell you about this yet, even. An AOL Instant Messenger log where he messaged a fan who had been negative about MECW. That's in there. Uh, news stories, interviews, all sorts of stuff. Other message board posts, and I'll just say who some of them are from, that got copied and pasted to other forums, including some message board posts from Bill Barron's explaining what he had heard about John Collins when all this stuff was going down. There's just tons and tons of different insane stuff here. So I am very much looking forward to this one. And I guess what we're thinking it'll probably be is there will probably be a guest that will be sitting in throughout the shows, doing the regular format with us, and then we'll probably add on some interviews with the other people we're wanting to talk to. That's the plan, yeah. at least for now. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely want to be part of this at patreon.com slash 20 cheese, $5 a month. Now, dollar a month gives you access to the Discord and thanks in this segment, which we'll do in just a minute. And $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, make sure that you pick a show that we haven't done already. 
And uh, make sure you have a backup choice handy if it is a show that we've done. So um, either that or a show that somebody else may have picked a, a certain week, per se. So uh, you, you have two shows in your mind. So you do that and make sure everything's cleared out and it'll be all right. Because remember, 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday is in effect. All the rules are, st- are there. And you can follow the protocol at patreon.com slash between the sheets to get that information to fix. And then we can get everything set up. $50 allows you to sit in for a segment of the show, 100 for the whole show. That's if you choose. You don't have to. So, Fix, let's talk about our new and or returning patrons. All right. We got a bunch. And there are also at least a couple here that I could have sworn we read within the last month, but re-upped. So, some close enough that I'm very confused, but whatever. Thank you. So, we would like to thank Ken Raining. Thanks, Ken. Uh, actually, I was going to say this one, now I realize, I think it was more than a month ago than we last saw him, because I think he was still at his old workplace, so Aaron Rupar. Thanks, Aaron. Yes, no longer a Vox.com, now uh, a uh, Substack uh, personality. He was a tweeting madman uh, on election night, yes. Well, yes, if you are looking for news clips and all that, Aaron is the person to follow. Yes. Uh, our friend of the show and uh, indie wrestling lighting guy, Matthew Baruso. Thanks, Matthew. James Matthews. Thanks, James. Rich Malton. Thanks, Rich. Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. I need to look in the thing to see if that's uh, Pray for Patrick. That's who I assumed it was, but I'm not sure. But thank you. Uh... Oh, and then James Matthews, he had done it as a dollar at first, I think, by mistake, and then he edited it to five dollars. Well, there you go. Good upgrade. Yes. Someone going by the name Terry Taylor. <laughs> maybe it is Terry Taylor. Who knows? You you think Paul W. Taylor is a... Uh... Well, maybe it's just somebody named Terry Taylor. Well, good. But thanks, Terry. Sure. Th- well, thanks, person who's calling themselves Terry Taylor. Um, who else do we have here? Corey Santos. Thanks, Corey. Andy Toth. Thanks, Andy. Tim Edwards. Thanks, Tim. Daniel Cookler. Thanks, Danny. Joshua Gibson, not the late uh, baseball player. Uh, no, that'd be a story, but thanks, Josh. <laughs> Adam Luce. Thanks, Adam. Jared Cheek. Thanks, Jared. And Eric. Thanks, Eric, patreon.com slash between the sheets. We thank all of you, new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have come along the way, been there from the start. All of you, we thank you for your support. All right, IWTV time. And uh, I guess the big show to talk about, Bix, is the show that you attended over the last weekend. The uh, Sushi Onita Festival and uh, the H2O show with Matt Tremont. So talk about that and whatever else. Yeah, we talked about that some at the beginning of the show. Destiny. Uh, H2O. Well, it's labeled as H2O cross FMWE Destiny. Tremont versus Onita. And like I said up, up top, just quite the spectacle live. There's some stuff that actually looked more dangerous on the video i guess from how close it was um like 
I don't think anyone realized how badly Tremont got burned from the fire spot live. Because you didn't really see the degree to which he got messed up. But he, hopefully, he, it looks like he's going to be fine. But that was scary. It, 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 honestly, because I, I don't feel like you need a fire spot in an explosion match. Because I feel like the explosion stuff is more smoke and mirrors. But hell of a spectacle that they had there. And uh, definitely worth watching if you're into the Onita theater drama kind of thing and also you know like i mentioned earlier a nice moment that uh tony myers got his chainsaw tony winning the adeki osaka slash danny havoc slash bad boy hudo memorial hardcore rumble and giving a nice tribute to mr pogo after so that's on there you know fun hardcore match with 440 making an appearance uh really solid uh i think it was a uh, a four-way, no, five-way, I think, women's match for the hybrid, H2 hybrid championship on the undercard. Yeah, it was good, you know, indie undercard with the usual H2O crew. And then the insane spectacle of a main event up top. And that's obviously the biggest thing this week. There haven't been a ton of new additions otherwise outside of the three H2O shows, but... um. Actually, I was going to say, there's actually also not that much live, you know, this coming weekend as we record it, this past weekend as the show goes up, this coming weekend as of the re as of the release, though, they've got quite the tasty looking show coming up, and that is West Coast Pro Wrestling's West Coast versus the World, which is going to be, as of the time this comes out, this coming Friday... And the match that comes the most attention from when they announced it will be friend of the show, Vinny Massaro, taking on Tomohiro Ishii, mm -hmm. which would be a hell of a match. Uh, also features friend of the show, Chris Dickinson, against, I guess not friend of the show, Jeff Cobb. <laughs> At least not a friend of yours. Well, I thought we were on, we were good. I still don't really understand what happened there. But anyway, um... As well as a main event of, and this sounds like a banger too, also friend of the show, AJ Gray, defending his WCPW title against Black Taurus, which would be quite interesting. Also on the undercard, other interesting matches like uh, Ray Horse versus, I don't know why I keep pronouncing the, the, the Spanish words with the U sound so wrong, but versus Carl Fredericks, um, Asha Faslamovich on the card, Nicole Savoy, um, Starboy Charlie, also, uh... Uh, he's not wrestling. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot he got hurt, yeah. They forgot to update yeah, the card. He... Yeah, he ain't wrestling. He yeah. broke his leg. What is it? That's another guy. That's, that's the, yeah. yeah, that's another guy that uh, is on that list of people that got hurt. He's young, he'll heal quick and be back better than ever. And, uh, also Levi Shapiro, local veteran, facing uh, New Japan's Yuya Uemura. Too. It's a pretty loaded show. A Mr. Iguana on the card, too. So very much looking forward to that one, which is coming up again uh, once this is released this coming Friday night at 10 Eastern, uh, 7 Pacific on IWTV. And of course, if you are not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD and you will get a referral for as long as you stayed a, stay, stayed, stay a base of paid subscriber. I can't talk for some reason. So of course, that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. All this is also in the description, as is everything we will be talking about here. Viper VPN? Yes, Viper VPN. 
which hmm, there's an AEW pay-per-view coming up soon. I'm just mentioning that for no apparent reason. Um, anyway, of course, if you want uh, more secure browsing, like if you're on a lot of open Wi-Fi access points or you want to switch your apparent country of origin to get around GeoBlox, you need a VPN service and Viper VPN is one of the best and they have one of the best deals, which is 60 bucks for three years. Comes out to less than $1.67 a month. They've got an Android TV app. They've got extra privacy features. They're third-party verified that they don't log your traffic. And overall, just a really good, solid service. And if you want to check it out, tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. And I'll just keep saying at this point, outside of just supporting us directly, getting one of these subscriptions, especially the three-year subscriptions, is quite possibly the best way you can support us because, thankfully, Viper VPN is very generous about how they do their referral benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We we need to look at Commission Junction more to see if there's anything else we should be doing, too. And we picked this because we knew it would be a good fit because I had tried it and there was the whole WWE Network thing, but... Uh, I'm sure there's more stuff we can look at there that might be worth uh, doing referrals on. So I got to dig into that. But there's a lot there. It's just very uh, overwhelming. All right. Plug time. And um, yes, yeah, so, well, really announcement time. As uh, Cover to Cover will be on hiatus for the foreseeable future. Um, I was talking to Rob the other day, and uh, he said he's very busy. Right now, with stuff going on in his life, he has recently moved, so he's got some things going on that he just doesn't have the free time to uh, really set aside right now to do any type of podcast. So who knows? Maybe that'll change, uh, you know, soon. But we'll see. But that's not to say that the podcast is going away. I mean. He gave me the blessing to keep it going with other people. So there's a possibility that might happen down the line. But right now it is on hiatus until I decide on whether or not I will do go that direction. So there's that. Um, next week on Between the Sheets, we will have a 2000 show, the first of two in a row as we go back to 2003. And we'll be joined by Devin Hales the Oracle of the WWE. And we got quite the WWE section that we'll talk about. Uh, so we got Survivor Series 2003 featuring Hunter and Goldberg and also Team Bishop versus Team Austin. And what was basically built at the time is the end of Steve Austin and WWE. So we'll have that and all kinds of other interesting stuff in WWE. A big WWE section next week, folks. Be ready for that. So we got all the indie stuff, big indie section, a lot of results. Uh, Lucha, Japan, and NWA TNA featuring the debut of Lex Luger in TNA and uh, all the controversy around that is he was definitely not a well-liked individual plus all kind of news about creative uh, problems and all the usual TNA nonsense. So should be quite the entertaining show next week. So be on the lookout for that. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BTG Spot, Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, I guess we need to, we haven't talked about him lately, but mainly because I haven't watched 
many of them lately. <laughs> but Dark Side of the Ring. Definitely had to watch that one last week on the steroid. Yes, with uh, Jerry McDevitt and uh, Phil Mushnick. A lot of people seeing them for the first time, seeing their faces. And uh, what a show that was. They did about as good a job as possible packing as much as they could into 44 minutes. Like, I was genuinely impressed. Because remember, I, I'm i not part of production. I am not seeing these in advance. And it's such a weedy, dense topic. And I think they did as about a good a job as you could fitting it into that type tight time slot and not, you know, trying to see if they it could be a two-barter or anything. You know, there are little things, you know, that Meltzer mentions that could have been done maybe a little better, but in terms of, you know, having to fit it together into as a TV show, I don't really think they could have done a better job. Why didn't they do two parts on it? Uh, Evans explained this in a bunch of interviews. Oh, I don't know. I well, I know. I'm just saying. I, I'm saying I'm not speaking out of turn or anything. Um, that if you want a two-parter, Vice is potentially going to be more resistant to that because it means you're not getting another topic. They'd rather have 14 separate topics, so to speak. You know, it ended up being... Well, why not, just, well, why, not do, well, why not do two hours? Because that count, it's an, it's, it, you're replacing another episode. No, back to back. I mean, just make it a two-hour block. I know. Oh. No, that's how they look at it. Oh, pfft. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, what was it that aired after it? That I mean, I mean, come on. Look at what they air on their, their regular stuff. Like, really? Is, let's see here. All right, so right, I'm, I'm fast-forwarding here. All right, so, like, um, holy shit. I didn't know they played. <laughs> okay, so there is no more. Uh, that was the season finale? Yes. While the rest of us die, is that is that so important that <laughs> – you can't take an hour away from that. And you know what's playing? I mean, it is pretty important subject matter, but I, I get what you're trying to say. Well, you know what's playing for fucking uh, seven? Let's see. They're playing a fucking marathon of Storage Wars, Texas before the eight o'clock uh So just, show. Uh, so A&E uh, Okay. There's Dark Side of the Ring at, at two to three. 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. And then from 3 to fucking 8 is Storage Wars, Texas. You're like, you're that fucking hard up for time that you can't give this show. It's not that. It's relative to the order of the episodes. Uh, that's bullshit. And it's the season finale anyway, correct? Yeah, but none of the season finales have been two-parters. And, well, they've done two-parters, though. They've done two, both were season openers. Why not do the season finale too far? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. That's the net first part. I'm not, I'm not blaming Evan and Jason and them. I mean, they just do what they're told. No, but, I don't I mean, know, but I people, the network was who, well, technically the studio network. is who paid me, but. Well, I'm not worried about them, but. Which I is mean, all nice, though. I know. Jesus. I mean, when you, don't you want success? Don't no, you want ratings? I think, I would think so. Any, all of that said, though, they absolutely did do as good a job as possible fitting this all into 44 minutes. Yes. But <laughs> it, could have been, it could have been more. Oh, I absolutely would have preferred a longer one. I think everyone would, in general. But 
you know, within the limitations, I think they did about as good as possible. And I saw like a surprisingly large number of people complaining about McDevitt getting so much focus. And it's like, dude, do you realize like there's not necessarily a real episode there without him? Sean O'Shea refuses to do interviews about cases from when he was a prosecutor where there was an acquittal and he's well, here, uh, seemingly well, genuine about it and the others from the government side just won't talk so well it's like well if you complain about jeremy devitt point to me all these interviews jeremy devitt's done over the years he's done a few in the last few years but yes you're right. a few yeah exactly not many and you know you don't get that guy that much so to get him to talk like that, I mean, of course you're going to play it up, and he's the he's the focal point of this whole thing. Yes. So he's the main figure, and they and they fit in, that. and they fit in, you know, all the important stuff they talked about. Marty Bergman, they, you know, did not just take his answer about it as fa- at face value. They had the clips from Meltzer and Moshnik explaining, you know, that it's seems like kind of bullshit to act like none of the none of the marty berkman stuff actually happened you know so there's that you know they you know i'm the thing that i was kind of most worried about how do you explain this in a single episode was that the investigation did not actually come out of the zahorian stuff directly that it really was more byproducts of the grand jury for the ring boy stuff and Look, you can't explain the Ring Boys stuff and the other Titan Gain stuff in a sidebar because then it would just take forever and derail the whole thing. I think the way they did it was about as good as they could have. They explained their other scandals. They showed the Donahue clips. They explained that led to the investigation. And if someone's curious enough to find out what the other stuff was, they'll look the Donahue episode up online and fall down the rabbit hole. You know, there was a lot of care put into this episode. And... How about, I think a lot of I think most people that watched anyway knew what the deal was. But go ahead. Oh, people! No, most most people who know about the who have at least the surface knowledge, they think that the it was a direct byproduct of Zahorian. Hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I the timing, I agree. Like if you really think about it, it doesn't make sense for it to be a direct byproduct of Zahorian. But no, a lot of people think that. Absolutely. Like, it's it's one of those things that I've tried to dispel. But anyway, you know, I thought they did a great job. Loved seeing the court uh, courtroom sketches, which they also tweeted some of. Um, trying to think anything else of note here. You know, Mushnick is a... I'm trying to figure out if complicated guy is the best description. But I thought he came off well overall. Um... You know, if you're not mentioning the Ring Boy stuff, it's still a little less clear why he's on the crusade. But again, you know, like I said, I I thought they handled that side of it as well as they could have. Um, you know, I thought Meltzer and Wade Keller did great. I thought John Arezzi came off very well. Um, I would have liked to have maybe heard more from Warlord and Brian Blair, if possible, but I'm guessing they did, just didn't have that much to offer relative to the others in the context of the show, which I get. And how about the Brian Blair story? I had never heard before. Had you? That when they they first talked to him about being a witness, it was even before Zahorian was busted? Yeah. Or at least before people in wrestling knew he was busted? Mm-hmm. So that, that was the first time I had heard anything like that. 
and Brian Blair, he is an underrated interview for this kind of thing. I thought he's come off very well in all of the dark side stuff he's done. Oh, yeah. You know, well-spoken, good memory, seems fairly honest, a lot of detail, funny when he wants he's to got, be. He's got a good shoot. A good shoot interview. Out. Oh, yeah, he tells some good stories. And the book is like 500 pages, the one he just put out, right? Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see what that's like as well. You know, yeah, he had an interesting career when you really think about it. Like, oh, I mean, he, oh, oh, he's got some stories to tell. Like I said that shit interview. I mean, all I mean, this this stuff that happened, you know, in in the McGuire territory with the stuff with him and uh, Mike McGuire and Doug Summers. Those stories are wild. Yeah, and you know. In Florida with Betty Graham. It's yeah, I mean, that's cool territory, yeah. Two, I mean, different, he worked two different expansion WWF runs. Uh, all the Herb Abram stuff. New Japan. Like, you know, and then, you know, transitioning to Cauliflower Alley and all that. Yeah, he's had quite, uh, quite the uh, career for sure. But anyway... So there's that, but what else uh, is out there? What's what's going on? I should... Uh, it'll either be out by the time this comes out, or it'll come out you know, a few days after, but I will have a story at Fanbyte about uh, the the whatever of ROH. I was going to say eulogy or death or whatever, but I'm not, we're not sure yet if either of those fit, so... Uh, They're not dead. I know. Oh, wait, what, what day did that news come out on? Because I don't think we said anything last week. So, of course, you know, we, we wish Ian Riccoboni and all of our other friends and everyone else there who's affected by this, you know, well in the future. I, th I think, though, that for the most part, most of the people there are going to be fine. I mean, they'll bring, who, they'll bring back who they want to bring back when they re, re, restart, so... I mean, as far as jobs elsewhere, in the bookings, schedule, you know, etc., well, we'll see. But yeah, like Ian, and like Ian said in his statement that he posted too, he's been lucky in that he's been able to keep his day job and it pays well. So he is not he is not hurting for money as a result of this. But yeah, Ring of Honor, you know, they're going when they do start back up, they'll be in straight up independent promotions so and no more contracts. They're going to be a corporately owned independent promotion. Yes. Yeah. As close to one as as close to that as something can be, I guess. Yeah. So there's that, and um, yeah, that's it for uh, for us at this time. So let's get back to the rest of the show. Well, let's move on to Mexico now, and we got a triple A, triple A here first. An effort to strike back at Conan and WCW appears in Antonio Pena's attempt to put together a working relationship with the WF. The first hint of it was a television mention of La Parca going to the Royal Rumble. And there's talk that Pena will meet with Vincent Mann sometime in the future. Well, the Parker doesn't make it to the Royal Rumble, as we'll talk about in just a few minutes. But, uh, yep, so this is the beginning of Pena wanting to get that relationship going with WF here, and we know what happens from there. So, mm -hmm. there you go. All right, uh, Grand Apaches 1 and 2, who respect the joint Conan, have reportedly signed contracts with Pena. So, there I go with the Provo Azteca. Pena held a press conference and announced he would be introducing 10 new wrestling characters over the next month and gave the biggest sign to a new wrestler called Flying, which actually means flying, to take the place of Rey Mysterio Jr. It's believed the guy getting the gimmick was the former Venom of Los Cadetes de Despacio, who is a 19-year-old from Tijuana with a lot of potential and great guts, 
when it comes to doing moves, but it's a long way to go. He's scheduled to debut next week. And no, it's not Venom, but we don't know who it is otherwise. Um, Like, Lucha Wiki has no real name, alternate gimmick, barely any stats for him. Yeah, it's definitely not Venom, that's for sure. And, I mean, yeah, flying is one of those mysteries. He doesn't last very long. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen any matches of his, but I know by reputation he was very impressive while he was around. He's never made television, as far as we know. So I think he, yeah. no, I think he did. It, I mean, if, if he did, it wasn't many, so that way. For sure. Even with the deflections, defections, excuse me, at Triple H drew a saw on this major show over the weekend of 5,000 fans on October the 8th at Octopon for a one-night tag tournament won by Super Mineko, who is back as a Technico, and Pantera. And we we don't have results of that show. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, no, we only results we have is uh is is the semifinals and finals of the tournament. Vianos over Blue Damon Jr. Mascaro Sagrada out of Brihe in that version. Pantera Muñeco over Kinect and Hysteria, super crazy, and then Pantera Muñeco over Vianos in the finals. So there's that. It was announced on the weekend's AAA television show that the Warlord, the ref wrestler from years ago and current star cameo in Dark Side of the Ring, was coming in. If only that happened. No comment. He could have had a lot of uh, access to some great shit if he wouldn't went AAA. He could have been Gronda. He could have been. Been better than the guy that was Gronda. Wow. All right. November 4th in Puebla. TV taping. We have La Parquita, Mini Frisbee, and Super Miniquito of Espertrito 1, Espertrito 2, and Mini Carissa Momia. Socero, Torero, and Winners, Bisma Negro, of Cassandra, Mayflowers, and Pimpinella Escalada in a Lumberjack match. Dere Estrada of a Heavy Metal in a Bull Terrier match. And La Parca, Octagon, and Tenebus Jr. of a Connect, Superdico, and Fuerza Guerrero by disqualification in your main event. All right, CMLL, November 3rd, and Renato Alceo. Ferito and Perafito of Brasilito de Oro, Ciclocito de Ramirez, Chapito Sari, Lady Apache, and Lola Gonzalez over La Diabolica, Lady Star, and Martha Villalobos. Okay, I need to see what Chaparita Asari wrestling Martha Villalobos looks like. <laughs> then we had a little cibernetico here. Uh, Filoso beat Lynx, Mascarabajica, Mr. Niebla, Brandon. Not the let's go Brandon of the current uh, social media craze. No. Kung Fu Jr., Prince Frankie, and Ultimatum. They have Arcana de la Muerte, Rambo, and Scorpio Jr. over Brazo de Plata, El Fantasma, and Solar. And Apollo Dantes, Black Warrior, and Satanico over Dos Caras, Mark, and La Fiera. Now, Coliseo on the 5th, we have Ornito, Mickey Segura, Suicida, and Saigancito Dragon, Ultimate Dragoncito, over Damiancito Guerrero, and Fidanito. Guerrero Maya and Reyes Vallos over Alacrande Durango and Zambito. And then we got some grand alternative of the matches here. Rey Bucanero over Latico. Jaguar over Lynx. And Mission Niebla over Brandon. And America going to a draw with Ultraman Jr. Listed as Ultimate but seems to be Ultraman Jr. based on the tournament. These guys are trying to get into the Torneo Grand Alternativa. So this is... Yeah, a, wait, this is a... Tournament to determine the young guys get that get in the tournament, yes. In the tag tournament, which for those who don't know, Grand Alternativa is veteran teams with a much younger wrestler. Mm-hmm. Brazil Olympus and Ringo Mendoza are Cajon de la Muerte, Mano Negra and Sangre Tishkana, 
In Atlantis, you did this mark in Shocker over Black Warrior, Grumbuckers Jr., and Satanico by disqualification. You know, you look at this and you think about how successful it would become in later years. How is it that no other promotion in the world has ever ripped off Grand Alternativa? Um, New Japan did a version of that. Occasionally. Yeah. But yeah, I get what you're saying. But they also had Young Lions Cup and stuff like that, too. Yeah, but they were going against each other. I know. But they, they, did, they did tag tournaments, you know, of that type of flavor. But the All idea right, where you the have big... the, specifically the veteran giving the rub and stuff. But anyway. Here's the, the big CMLL news. Reina Jabuki, Akira Hokuto, was officially stripped of the CMLL women's title just one day after she appeared on Nitro. Although the timing was just coincidental, doing the job for Medusa. Jabuki got the title in 1984, I think they meant 94, largely because she was living in Mexico because she was married to the wrestler Talisman, future Mascara Mexica. After they broke up, she left the promotion without dropping the title, even though they were pushing a few with her against Lady Apache. A four-woman tournament was held on November 8th at Mexico with Lady Apache, who was formerly married to Grand Apache, hence the name, beating Chaprita Sari in the finals. Asari got rave reviews in the newspaper. The top two matches on the show was Dr. Wendell Jr. and Apollo Dante's teaming with Emilio Chavez Jr. to beat Atacaza, Lismark, and Dos Caras in a very good match, ending when Dop and Dos Caras were clean in the middle, apparently seven new program between the two. And then semifinal had Negro Casas, Lafiera, and Brazo de Plata, who appeared on Televisa after appearing on TV Azteca only a few weeks back, beating Rambo, Scorpio Jr., and Felino when Casas pinned Scorpio Jr. All right, our results. Supremo Dose Kundra over Ajo de Plata and Pegaso. Lady Apache over Soshiamara, Chapito Sari over La Diabolica, and then Lady Apache over Chapito Sari in the finals for the vacant title. Mascara Mágica, Miss Niebla, Super Astro over Cadaver de Chotumba, Espeto Jr., Carlos Bugatti Jr., Porky, Fierre, and Casas over Felino, Rambi, and Scorpio, Rambo and Scorpio, and then Dante's Doc Wagner, and Mila Chavez over Toscaras, Eta Garza, and Nismark. So there's your Arena Mexico show for the week. <clears throat> the story on the Headhunters and the Tab Belts is they stole the belts that were losing by DQ in the match against Atlantis and Lismark, and they left Mexico for Japan with the belts. It's the first time we've heard of that type of an angle being run in Mexico. Yeah, that's usually an angle that you see in the United States. So, interesting seeing that here. Yeah, and it's nice to have some Headhunters for the first time in a while. Yeah. Felino was wooed by both Triple M Promosteca, but formally agreed to stay in CMLL. So there's that. <clears throat> IWRG, although he released the MLO not, uh, a few years later and go AAA and then come back. IWRG, they ran uh, El Torreo de Cuatro Caminos. Huh. Yes. Uh, the UWA building on November 3rd. Antar, F- Fantasy and Neblina over Vero Infernal, Hypnosis of Viento Negro. La Vuchitiva and Princesa Dorada won a battle royal over Ulisa, Cassandra, Guerrero Infernal. Principessa, Irma Gonzalez, Sahori, La Savaje, and Irma Agua, Aguilar. And that led to a mass match. Well, they didn't win. They basically lost. as They were the last two in, yes. so to speak. La Fugitiva beat Princessa Dorada in the Mascara Contra Mascara match. She amasses Claudia Martinez, 24 years old. Adrian El Historico, Sismo, and Mastodante over Mr. Yak, Oriental, and Revolucionario. Cuervo beat Tony Rivera in a Caballero Contra Caballero match. El Mexicano beat Ultimo Vampiro. No, he team Ultimo Vampiro to beat Kaneka Scorpio Jr. in a Relevo Suicidas match, which led to Kanek putting his mask up on the line 
against the hair of Scorpio. Connect one, naturally. And then we had a cage match where Oficial was the last man in. Other members of the match would be Elate, Coco Rojo, Patero, Coco Azul, Dr. Cerebro, Coco Amarillo, Viano 5, Viano 4, and Ultimo Dragon. Okay, wait. Did he win or did he lose a match where he maybe lost his mask or something? <laughs> no, he was the winner. Okay. Because it's B after his name. Okay. Now here's some obscure stuff here that I'll see if you remember. Ultimo Vampiro at this point. Not the one we remember that did all the crazy topes circa 2000, 2001. Do you remember who the original Ultimo Vampiro is? Uh, not looking it up. I'm not looking it up. I I'm trying know. to think. Um, I don't know. Negro Navarro. Well, as I'm looking now at uh, Lucha DB, uh, there's no profile for Ultimo Vampiro. Even for the other one? Not the one on this show. Well, okay. So Lucha, I think you we, may not be right. No, no. Lucha Wiki says use the identity for a brief period in the mid to late nineties, and I, I believe in the past they specifically said ninety six. Well, um, Lucha DB is Cuz fan, so you would think it all be linked up. Uh you would think so. Um, Lucha Wiki has it as question mark to August ninety seven on his. There page. you go. <laughs> so here's question mark. Yes, and. So I didn't realize this, and also would still be an IWRG, I guess. The second one was not the f most well-known incarnation. It was uh, the wrestler who became Guardia, uh, I guess, well, Guardia, not Guardia. Yes. And then was the one who we all remember. Then it was given to Super Mega and kept getting tossed around a little more. Yeah. Monterrey. We only have one result for Monterrey on November 3rd in Rina Colosseo, Monterrey as Mascara Sagrada and the Brije be pet off to retain uh, his Mexican National Heavyweight title. Promo Azteca. The biggest news is the apparent defection of La Parca from AAA. Parker was the group's second biggest strong car behind Pedro Aguayo and arguably his most important wrestler since he's got a long future, which can't be said for Pedro, who turns 51 in January. Apparently, Parker was offered a double per match deal. From 135 bucks to 285 dollars a show, but on the second show on a new deal, he failed to get his money. We don't have it officially that he's coming in, but since he worked Nitro on November 11th in a dark match, that appears to be a sign. On the Triple H Television Show over the weekend, he got a huge push to announce on the show that he would be appearing on the Royal Rumble, which is supposed to be not happening. It's Pat Parker to debut on uh, the debut show of uh, Conan's promotion on November 15th in Soshimoko. Pena owns the rights to the Parker name. However, Mascara Sagrada and Mascarita Sagrada both left and took their gimmicks with them. Although Pena had created a multitude of characters from the gimmick. However, Parker's got a unique style unless Sagrada, so that'd be impossible to duplicate. The debut of the Conan Vampiro team isn't expected to take place that night as Vampiro's on a northern tour this coming weekend. All right, October de no, November 8th, Deportivo Espeladario Olimpico Pronacion de Ixtaco, the shooter Federal. We have brought Jaguar and Kamikaze go to a draw with Caballero Aguila and Cobra. Procesa de Oro and Chitacito over Jerito Estrada and Peter Tito Morgan. Andy Barro, Otomo Guerrero and Otomo Rebelde over Baltasar Manetico, Cyborg and Sky Day. Angel Blanco Jr. and Enrique Vera and Shua Guerrero over Dragon de Oro, Vaquero Romo and Zorro. And El Fantasma, Mascaro Sogarana and Vapiro Cadiense over Pat 
Teorita da Rin para tomar o universo do Smell by Disqualification. Yeah, Park uh, means going to WCW, so of course he's going to be leaving AAA. It's what you got to do at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the promotion sponsored by the major TV network having so many issues paying people? <laughs> well, let's, I mean, look at all the promotions that are owned by television people and how many problems they've had. But not this specific problem. <laughs> I mean, I mean, just for various problems, though. there's always a problem. So, and I don't know. he ends up being for what Pena wanted out of the gimmick, surprisingly replaceable. Yeah, he turned his Laparka into a big star. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was one of those things that was hard to explain to people when you know Laparka Junior, Triple A Laparka, Chuy Escobosa, you know, whatever you want to call him, when he died, that. I mean, you gotta look at it realistically. Uh, Adolfo Tapia was only La Parca, like, as officially La Parca on television for, like, four years. In Mexico, yes. Yes, in Mexico. Where is... But he's La Parca the, the everybody else for all those years in WCW. Right, but in Mexico, of course, uh... Escoboza is the La Parca that people consider the real La Parca because he was La Parca, you know, for 20 years or whatever. Well, he's the La Parca to the to AAA fans. But from TV, I mean. Because... Yeah. Because it, eh, it's not that but look long at all, look before at all, yeah, but look at all the years on TV. Well, yeah, but all those years he was... But all those years he was La Parca AAA. So they let you know... This not is the to... But, but, no... That wasn't his official and, name. Uh, I don't think yeah. So. Go, go look at look at how he's built and, and those early runs of Galavision. No, that's he was La Parker Junior. Yeah, but the tri- Triple R too. Hold on, not, I mean, I think I'm talking about on television. I ain't talking about online. Dick. No, I know, but I'm saying I mean, that's what you're bringing up the point of being on television. That's what we're talking about. I'm not talking about internet results. I'm talking about television. No, I know. I don't think. Are you sure that he that was way, you brought, Parca, brought like, him up. officially billed as La Parca AAA? Yes, sir. Um, on television. I, for whatever it's worth, Lucha Wiki does not have that. Yeah, I'm not talking about online wrestling results. I'm talking no, about. But TV. I know that they track. But they. But Lucha Wiki tracks that. Is what I'm saying. Uh, not necessarily. Not like that. They try to. <laughs> It's the Parker Triple R for a long time. Okay. Abrazo changes into Brazo Verado. And it appears the first major feud being pushed this promotion is Universal Decimal against Mascara Sagrada. The original one. So there you go. Alright, let's go to the independent scene in the United States. And we begin with Dennis Corluzo's NWA New Jersey. And they ran a show in Mendham, New Jersey on November the 9th in front of 300 fans. Where we have a battle royal won by Billy Real. Rasta the Voodoo Man over Don Montoya. Ace Darling over Mr. Puerto Rico. A handicap match where Cousin Luke beat Rick Ratchet and Donnie B. Jason, the sexiest man on earth, beat Chubby Dudley. Angel Amoroso beat Nasty Nikki. The Icon beat Derek Domino by disqualification. Reckless Youth over the Beach Bully. And then our main event, 
the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch, over Bad Attitude, a.k.a. Seek and Destroy. I'm not sure what it says about this show that one of the best matches on paper includes Zandig as a fake Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> yes, that's the icon. Now, my favorite thing about this, though, is that Seek and Destroy is this is Bad Attitude, so uh, Cage Match couldn't say Seek and Destroy, Destroy and Seek in parentheses. <laughs> So, yeah, we didn't have that uh, that spot there. But, yeah, this is a, quite the Dennis Coraluzzo special here. Yeah. Um, I don't recall who Beach Bully is. Very curious how Lester Spite ended up on the show, unless this is a fake roster of the Voodoo Mon. Possible. Um, Mr. Puerto Rico is there, I guess. Only the most interesting thing on the show is probably... Just because it's so weird, Cousin Luke versus Rick Ratchet and Donnie B. Yeah. And, and you know, I guess we, we need to bring this up. I guess this would be a good time to bring this up. Sure. Uh, right here is uh, Tom Cusati passed away over the past week. Yes, Royce Prophet. A Royce Prophet, man, man, we mentioned many times on this show over the years. Uh, as being uh, on the indie scene for a long time. Uh, as a working as his manager, Alter Ego, or being, you know, in the promotions or even, you know, getting guys booked on shows. So, yeah, wrestling lost a true character in Tom Cassati over the past week. Now, rest explain what you mean, though. By, I'm sorry. Yes, rest in peace. But explain what you mean by getting wrestlers booked on shows. Uh, he would pay for wrestlers to uh, get on the show. He would pay their way. So we could hang out with them. Yes. Ah, uh, wrestling. <laughs> hey, I mean, the, the boys get a payday. I got nothing wrong with that. Hell, shit. No. He probably paid him better than the promoter paid him. Yeah. Or what and, and, of course, we should also tell the one true legendary Tom Cusati story. Yes. He had gotten this money from an inheritance from his mother. And one day, I don't know if there was a specific catalyst for this, He's at ringside working as Royce Prophet. And in the back, Donnie B grabs the microphone and starts trying to do a ghostly female voice and starts going on the house mic. Tommy, stop spending my money. <laughs> it gets better, though, because then Kusadi somehow doesn't break or anything and immediately looks up and says, Mom? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's the also the... instincts, but go ahead. There's, all, there's also the Missy Hyatt uh, story. What was that one? Well, she told on Twitter about um, after he died. Uh, she was on... Uh, I think she was on that tour of uh, the Virgin Islands or whatever. And... You know, paid for. He basically paid paid for all of them to just hang out and stuff like that, like we were saying. So, yeah, I can't remember the full story. I'm, I'm trying to find it because she she said it in in a Twitter thing that we was. Uh, let's see, let me try to find it here. Okay. Oh, here it is. Okay, no, all right. So Missy said 
Tom paid me to drive from New York to watch Mania at his mom's house in Maryland. Paid me to go on a tropical wrestling tour, which was really him taking a vacation with wrestlers when the tour got canceled, quote unquote. Mama Kasati's the real hero as her son spent her money. <laughs> and it was the uh, Mania, the Chicago Mania, Brett and Austin. Uh, Missy said, I recall other wrestlers going through his mom's dresser drawers looking for medicine. Moral to the story, don't invite 90s wrestlers to your mom's house. <laughs> my god uh, and of course there's a detailed obituary on slam wrestling that everyone should check out as well by greg oliver um is there okay there's the missy stories in here because i googled for tommy society uh missy hyatt uh one note from uh jimmy cicero here uh he had an entourage that ended up traveling with him for years. Tom Brandy was mainstay. Others that were on his payroll were Steve Carino, Jason Knight, Axel Rotten, Buddy Landell, Headbangers, Balls Mahoney, Big Slam, Danny Inferno, Don Marie, Simon Diamond, Devin Storm, Gangrel, Luna, Iron Sheik, Scott Putsky, Missy Hyatt, Joey Matthews, and yours truly, Jimmy Cicero. We traveled the indie circuit where Tom integrated his quote-unquote click into shows across the Northeast. From 1996 to 1999, Tom bankrolled everything, excuse me, was wealthy from inheritance. Uh, Count Grog also said, I don't know how much money he blew through. Uh, rumors were a million or more over the years. He would basically go into all the, in the promotions and bring his crew in and pay them himself and let the promoter keep all the door. I mean, look, you know what? Is he doing it to hang out with the wrestlers? Yes. But? A selfless guy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, also, look at some of the people on that list. You know, as far as the younger ones, you know, in that era, you know, like uh, Carino, Dawn Marie, uh, Simon Diamond, Devin Storm, you know, uh, Joey Matthews. Like, he greatly helped their careers. Oh yeah, he was a character, but I mean, he was uh, he was a good good person for the for the talent. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah, yes. All right, well, recipes Tom Casati. All right, let's go to the Universal Superstars of America. Yeah, in Old Old Bridge, New Jersey, on November ninth, in front of four hundred ninety fans, as we have Hellraiser over Rocco Dorsey. Magic over Lord Zieg. I presume that uh, Shaolin Wrecking Crew magic? Possibly. Uh, Jimmy Snook over King Kong Bundy. Battle of the Dream Team. Booty Man over Greg the Hammer Valentine. And Bodyguard for Hire over Supernova. Yeah, that's a USFA show, all right. <laughs> you got these. You got these two matches of these these long time WF legends, and the main event is Bodyguard for Hire. <laughs> of course, <laughs> it is. It's, it's Universal Superstars of America. Yes, what do you expect. And the show is it's in New Jersey, no less, not in uh, New York. Every, every New York indie would run shows in Jersey in that era. I know, but normally every time we do them, they're somewhere in New York. So that's just a, yeah, or yeah, Island. in the borough. Yes. All right, ECW. The television show this week was basketball building to Terry Fonts' return. They first announced the main event is Tommy Dreamer and Pitbull 2 against Brian Lee and Shane Douglas. Then they ran the angle where Brian Lee chokeslammed Pitbull 2. It was actually off the top of a ring truck through three tables on a television production truck. 
as the truck had Ted Petty's name on it. It appeared from television because the height of the truck was higher than the heights Dreamer had gone from. It had been the most dangerous bump of that type so far. Douglas and Lee then did interviews begging for Dreamer to bring the old man back, and the show ended with Dreamer on the cell phone calling the Double Cross Ranch. He's outside the hospital. Yeah, I mean, that, this is more of a visual thing, so we're not going to play it. But yeah, the the Pitbull 2 choke slam off that top of that truck was pretty wild. And um, yeah, Brian Lee was, uh, was doing crazy shit in this era, that's for sure. I mean, the uh, the, to- the Tommy Dreamer uh, high incident uh, stuff, you know, the bump heat Brian Lee took himself. Um, Although outside of the the insane ricketiness of the quote unquote scaffold, which people have never seen that, it, it, even just pull up the uh, um, Extreme Warfare Volume Two trailer just so you can see the clip. It's not a scaffold; it's a plank tied by like bungee cords to the building supports. Yeah. And then also, like, I think they had something hanging it from the ceiling a little bit, too. They had ladders to get to it. That They had scaffolding to get to it, but not scaffolding to support it. One of the most dangerous, like, just them being up there is one of the more dangerous things in wrestling history. But the actual bump Lee takes is nothing, because they have tables and tables and tables for him. Yeah. It's actually a very easy bump, it looks like. But, yeah, I would yeah. say the truck, though, is one of the... Of the Brian Lee bumps, it's probably actually the the highest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian Lee chokeslam. Uh, Terry Funk's appearance on the November 16th show isn't a one-time deal. It's a plan right now. It's for him to work semi-regularly, at least for a little while. And no, he does. Yep. Uh, the idea of using Manami Toyota and the Japanese women on the ECW Arena show does appear in the cards. The only ECW Arena show in December will be December 7th, with them returning on the first Saturday in January. All Japan women finishes their current tour on the 8th of December at Sumo Hall, so there's no way the woman would be available for the December 7th date. The idea they were going to appear is because AGW, AJW is doing a fan club deal where Toyota, Toshia, Yamada, Mima Shimoda, and Esco Mita were going to spend a vacation with fans in New York after December the 8th. Vacation with fans, folks. And one of the idea then appearing live on a show in the U.S. to be part of the vacation deal. They may work wherever ECW is that following weekend or on a New York indie show or not or not at all, as Dave has heard anyone confirm dates with them in the United States. But they don't work anywhere as far as I remember. So No, but there's a lot here. One, which of the Death Valley Driver guys was it that made the joke about how a lot of Northeast indie shows, was it a specific angle that it was like being in the crowd for a street theater production of The Accused? <laughs> that the, was it the Schneider or Tom K? I don't remember the specific context of if there was an angle or something that set it off, but yeah, and uh, I don't know. All Japan women uh, at ECW Arena on an ECW show in 1996 sounds like that. I mean, we're, <laughs> if it's not someone they like know specifically, like as a legend or anything. I mean, this is that era where they're still going to chant tons of racist shit at Japanese wrestlers. So, yeah. throw in that they're women. Throw in whatever the hell is going on with the vacation. With fans. <laughs> with, with fans! <laughs> I'm guessing it's Japanese fans. But still. I think so. Um, But, 
Yeah. No, it would definitely... How do I put this? If it was not the Japanese fans, it would probably come off a little worse, but I can't even quantify why. Uh, (laughs) This just feels like a recipe for disaster for a number of reasons that should be obvious to everyone. Yes. We'll leave it at that. Yes. All right. The plan. The plan right now is to run debut shows in Indianapolis and perhaps Ohio the final week of December. So they're getting ready to branch out past the East Coast now. So there's that. Need a little bit further. Yeah, and Ohio becomes very strong for them too. So. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, the plan is also to build to a major show in February. Paul had to make a decision about a letter part this week whether or not they'll take a pay per view date in February. And to do pay per view right, you need three months lead time for the right type promotion. Heyman was planning on doing a Friday night if he does one and wanted to do it on the weekend without WF, WCW. Since February goes to this point, it shows UFC on February 7th, WF on February 16th, WCW on the 23rd. That was seeming to indicate February 28th as the best day possible. Although the odds were as good as not that Heyman wouldn't do a pay-per-view that soon. And of course, for more on this, patreon.com slash between the sheets, the ECW Road to Pay-Per-View show with John Philip Havage. Mm-hmm. Who I got to see this past weekend, albeit briefly, for the first time since the pandemic. Because he was uh, running cameras along with Gary and some of the Smart Mark video guys at uh, the Onita show. Yeah, it would have been good if they did a Friday night pay-per-view, but didn't happen. No. Alright, let's go to Florida. NWA Florida. They were at the venue. That's the name of it. The venue in Gainesville, Florida on November 4th for 150 fans. We have Jerry Flynn going to a time of draw with Joe DeFuria. Rob Van Dam over Firecat. Brady Boone. The Blackhearts, Dave Heath and Tom Nash over Five Delta Slam, Big Tilly and Bruno Sassy. Okay, that has to be wrong for the Blackhearts because I'm pretty sure Tom Nash has disappeared by this point. Well, I guess it's so Dave Heath and Dave Johnson. Yeah, I guess so. So, okay, so that means that Dave Heath and Dave Johnson did team up as the Blackhearts, I guess. Who knows? Uh, Dorfman Jr. over Greg the Hammer Valentine. Okay. And Steve Kern over Hercules Hernandez. Howard Brody, everybody. Yeah, a very Florida indie show for 1996. Well, we're not done. Let's go to Leesburg, Florida for also, a, w- a I just realized something. What? Look at how many of these guys were on UWF Beach Brawl. Well. Joe DeFira teams with Firecat in the opener to lose with to the Blackhearts. And wait, is there anyone else? No. Okay, yeah, so it's Brawl those guys. Florida. So no, but I'm saying Florida. it's funny though, because the open that the opener of Beach Brawl is on the show, given how few wrestlers are on this show. Uh, yeah, but it's Florida. But Brian Lee's wasn't working that many Florida indie shows, for example. Who knows? Who knows? All right, Leesburg, Florida, a WWA branded show for 150 fans on November 9th. We have Lone Star Kid over Mad Matt by DQ, Butch Taylor over Buddy Valentine by DQ. Look at all these screw job finishes and opening matches. The Bounty Hunter went to a double cutout with Bad Medicine. The Cuban Assassin over Dirty Dave. And Hercules over Dick Slater. Yeah. So, so wait a second. So, okay, how many matches do we have here? One, two, three, four, five. Five matches. Only one name versus name match. Only two have real finishes. And one of those two is the name versus name match. Yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> I have no idea. That is strange. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, uh, let's go to the USWA. 
November 4th of Memphis, the show it was headlined by Brian Christopher's Wolfie D, so the crowd pick up to 480 pay and a $2,300 gate. Okay. This makes me want to ask Bo what he thinks the total payoffs for a show like this would be. Because I know it's USWA, I know they're operating on a ridiculously tight budget, but knowing how wrestling paid in the past, a territory that paid honestly would probably pay a little under $800 out of this, maybe like seven to seven fifty to the, you know, if they were paying on a legitimate percentage, which I doubt they were here. But would you really, like, would $500 or whatever really cover everyone on this show? Well, let's go. Uh, well, let's run down the results and see. Mm-hmm. All right. Opener, Crush Your Bones with Randy Hales beat Tony Williams in 402. Before the match, Hales said Williams is horrible. Bones rolled up wins from behind when Williams turned his back to go after Hales. Stephen Dunn over Tony Falk in 644 with a small package. Sean Venom and Flash Flanagan over Mike Samples in the Wolverine. Tony Myers in 918 when Flanagan filled Wolverine. When Samples and Wolverine came to the ring, Wolverine jumped around the guardrail. Fans yelled they wanted Dougie, i.e. the departed Doug Gilbert. Samples eventually tagged in. Wolverine kicked the ch- Venom for tagging in Samples. Flanagan eventually got a hot tag. Wolverine came back with a DDT on Flanagan. They put Venom snake in the middle of the ring. He went to the top rope to splash the snake, but Venom snaked the snake in time and Flanagan pinned Wolverine. And speaking of people I saw over the weekend, finally got to meet Tony Myers in person because he was there as a Chainsaw Tony helping with some of the FMWE stuff, and also in the uh, Danny Havoc, Adeki Osaka, and Bad Boy Hito Memorial Hardcore Rumble, which he won, and then got to give a nice speech about his uh, his late mentor, Mr. Pogo, after. So that was nice. Then we got Tasha Simone, trainer of uh, Carry Off of the Carnies and others, over Miss Texas in 819 to win the USW Women's title. Hales told ring announcer Corey Macklin he hates him, Oh, come he on. Said, and he said in the six weeks he's gone from USWA, then booked Miss Texas on the cards, and then he made her career. Hales told Miss Texas to join his crew. Miss Texas said thanks, but no thanks, and she's done well without him. Tasha need Texas from behind as Texas arguing with Hales on the ring apron. Hales bumped to the floor, but then distracted the referee from making the pin. Crusher Bones then came out and hit Miss Texas, leading Natasha pin in Miss Texas. Stephen Dunn told the ref what happened, pulled Bones out of the ring where he was hiding, and the heels fled. By the way, if anyone's wondering why this is so detailed, this is a Torch House Show report, not from the Observer. Mm-hmm. And they tended to yep. have fairly detailed it's South Coliseum or Big One Expo Center. Uh, yeah, the, the Observer had no, yeah the Observer had nothing on this show. Oh, it didn't have any. Uh, wow. No, okay. well, it just had just had the the like the main thing, the bare about, bones. Okay. The Brian Christopher Wolfie D thing. Okay. Brickhouse Brown. Yeah, Brickhouse Brown beat Bill Dundee by DQ in 9-13. Jamie Dundee interfered, holding Brickhouse as Bill hit him with a chair. Dundee's there walked towards the back, but Johnny Rotten came out and backed him into the ring. Dundee still escaped to the back, which led to Johnny Rotten beating Jamie Dundee by DQ in 73. Rotten went for a choke slam on Jamie, but Bill came out with a board for a DQ. Brickhouse made the save. And by the way... We should, Sid's friend, Johnny Rotten. Yeah, I was going to say, since we haven't talked about him in quite a while that we can remember, this is Sid's childhood friend, Johnny Rotten. Yeah. Colorado Kid with Burt Prentice. Well, <laughs> read it how it's spelled in the torch for some reason. Well, it's just P-R-E-N-T-I-S-E. So Burt Prentice. 
That's I've known about other people that had that had that name spelled that way. There was a uh, football player named Travis Prentice. He's running back for the Cleveland Browns. That's how he spelled his last okay. name. I'd never seen that before, and even Google Docs is like flagging it as a spelling error repeatedly. That's interesting. Yeah, I'd never seen yeah. that spell. I'd seen the other two spellings. You know, Bert, the the gimmick Bert Prentice spelling and the real spelling. You know, his actual birth name is P R E N T I S S. Yeah. So yeah. Multiple spellings. Fought Macho Warrior Rick Hogan to a no contest uh, night. So Kid retaining SW Unified title. Hales and Bones attack Prentice for the match. Kid and Brickhouse helped it to the back. Randy appeared during the match. Burt came back to the ring for the save. Heels fled. Okay. I think we should. When did have we last talked about Macho Warrior Rick Hogan? Uh, probably last time we did this era of USWA. It's been a while, though. I think we did play a promo once, didn't we? Yeah. He's doing all of the above promos, basically, is the gimmick. Uh, Probably actually better known as Tower of Doom, as a deathmatch guy in the late 90s, early 2000s. Eventually went to prison for years for child pornography possession. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we get Brian Christopher over Wolfie D in 1029. Wolfie said Christopher's garbage, just like the Memphis fans. They brought the starter ring sign to the crowd. Wolfie just section seat and sign as a weapon. Wolfie get the garbage can out of Brian's hands and the can had a fan. Brian superkit Wolfie as he came out of the top rope and scored a pinfall. Pull apart brawl resulted in the locker room emptied. Yes, and these guys are tag champions, but not for long. Ron and Don Harris, as the Bruise Brothers, as opposed to the Grimm Twins, catching the USWA tag toss from Brian Christopher Wolfie D on the November 9th live television show when Wolfie refused to tag in and Brian was finally pinned. And for those who don't remember, they are at this time the Grim Twins in the WWF, although they're barely ever on TV. Yes. You could probably count their TV matches on one hand and have several fingers left over. Which is it's so funny because they, they're there as the Grim Twins here, and they had just been there as the Blue Twins a month earlier. I mean, a year earlier. In WWF, yeah. Yes! <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Did and they, they look exactly the same. Well, no, they had they had the haircuts here. They did. Yes, as the Grims, they had haircuts. I thought they had the hair as the Grims. Let me double check. Let me pull up the Hardy squash. I'm not going to play the sound, but let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah, they have the they have the shaved heads with stubble okay. to light hair. You're here. right. You're right. You're right. Yes. And they're wearing singlets because this is after the botched uh, surgery, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Oh, well, yeah. And they, right. and they've been wearing, what am I saying? They've been wearing the shirts everywhere for a few years. But yeah. So yeah. I think this might even be their only TV match, right? Uh, I think so, yeah. I'm not, I'm also not sure this one ever aired in the States either with the, the Hardys in the Willow suits as the Jinx brothers. I don't think that one did, no. Yeah. All right, WNCTV has banned the use of blood on a television show. So, yeah, there's that. Randy Hales and Burt Prentice started a feud. Well, they've been feuding, but started a feud where uh, Randy was out yelling about Prentice and uh, what happened. And I'm not going to read the description. I want everybody to hear the description. So let's go to uh, Dave, Mr. Cora, everybody, and Jerry Lawler, the king at the desk. And uh, Randy comes out, and he's uh, he's hooting and hollering, and Bert comes out, and craziness happens. Let's go to the clip. This sounds delightful on paper. Mm-hmm. Qualification on Jamie Dundee. 
Uh-uh, Bills try to declare Jamie the winner. That's not the way it'll be. Colorado Kid with a victory. And Barb Quinn is costing the match. I saw that. If the referee had been doing his job and been there where he belonged, he would have counted. This might be the most mid to post-midlife crisis Bill Dundee has ever looked. He's looking like he's wearing the leather chaps and studs. I mean, he's wearing basically Samantha's gear, the way it looks, which was a bullpack. And he Assless is, chap. He is wearing maybe the tightest jeans I have ever seen on a pro wrestler. In assless chaps. And you can basically see every inch of his dick through the jeans. <laughs> Colorado kid out a long time ago. The referee had been up there wearing... And he's going his hair back out, too. And Bill Dundee earlier. Disqualification on Jamie Dundee. Burt Prentice! Burt Prentice! Burt Prentice! Burt Prentice! If you have any guts, come over here, Burt Prentice. I got something to say. He's a big, fat, gunless wonder. You're a big, fat, gutless wonderful. Calm down. Let me tell you something, Burt Prentice. I got a match with you. I hate you. You're a big, fat, soft. Hey, hey, this ain't right. Just like a while ago, yeah, two on one. You're the world heavyweight. Hey, you're a big, fat idiot. Hold it, hold it. I'm trying to... Uh, have an altercation with you? Hey, Burke Brennan. <laughs> yeah, you just get out of here, Colorado kid. This is between the... No, this is between you and Randy Hales. Get out of here. Beat it, idiot. You're right here with Randy Hales. It's his job today to talk to me. That's right. What are you or the world champion? I said you can't wrestle no more. You might as well be a comic. I'll wrestle anytime. time. Don't, don't, don't you don't run your mouth to Jerry Lawler like that. Hey, I'll hurt you talking about my friend Jerry Lawler. I'll hurt you. Don't talk about the lawyers are great. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Come here. Come here. Wait a minute. Yeah. Now, wait, wait just a minute. Hold the phone just a second. Don't say I can't wrestle anymore. I'll wrestle anytime I want to. As far as I'm concerned, punk, you got that belt for a very short time. You heard the macho warrior Rick Hogan. He is going to beat your brains out. You're going to kiss that belt goodbye. But I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing right now. If they, you think I can't wrestle... How about you? At least I'm out there wrestling. I'm not sitting behind the counter over here talking to people on TV running my mouth. I'm out here showing my business. I'm out here. All right. Hey. Colorado, huh? How about this? Don't worry about it, Fesco. Hey, you challenge him, I'll tell you what. If there's anything left over when, when the warrior gets through with you, how about me and you right here next week in this ring, okay? You want to see? Yeah. Yeah, right. Time any day, Lola, because I do got your number, and it's one, two, three, pal. Okay, that's fine. You heard that? I heard it. You're going to destroy him just like I'm going to destroy you. Say something. Say something. Say something. You know, I come out here. I have my own wrestling company to run, but I come over here. He's the world champion. Yeah, that's what you're trying to tell everybody. No, we're doing very fine, thanks. But I got to stay here every week and watch his back because it's like you running around. You, the town drunk of professional wrestling. You're out there. You're out there. You're out
You better go sit down somewhere, Burke, before you have a heart attack. You're proud of that? You're proud to call that your friend? You're proud to call that? Get out of here. Just take 210 pounds lands on that body. You won't see him again. 210 pounds? You need to get a new scale, Orca. This leg weighs 210 pounds. Get everything organized. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Wow. God. (laughs) I hate to say it, though. You know, we can talk about it because he's been open about it. Holy shit, is Randy not in a good way here? No. He looks skinnier than ever. He is slurring his speech. It's bad. Yeah. 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 Thankfully, I mean, he is, as far as I know, he's been clean for like well over two decades. Yeah, yeah. So good for him, but he he was in rough shape here. <laughs> but yeah, that was the what I also like how Bert doesn't even try to chase him. So he doesn't <laughs> blow up. Because he knows he still needs to talk. The town drunk line seemed like it actually might have legit said Randy off too. Uh yeah. Ah. <sighs> I think I think Bert was uncomfortable. He didn't come off as Bert Prentice. He didn't come no. off like he was performing that much. No. Lawler kind of looked uncomfortable too. <laughs> yeah. And God knows I wouldn't even pay attention to Dave. Well, Dave was barely on camera in this. Yeah. But yeah, this is the uh, latter days of the USWA. Uh, we'll something else. All right, so let's go to the Universal Wrestling Federation. Okay. In Morgan City, Louisiana. November the 9th for the 5 and 35 fans. Huh. We have Bill Ash. My God, Bill Ash uh, working shots in 1996 over Doink the Clown. That's got to be uh, Dusty Wolf, right? I would think so. Killer Tim Brooks over Joey Como. Samu over Highlander. Samu over War Machine. And Brother Love. I can't, I can't be Bruce Pritchard. Is he living in... Because he doesn't move... Wait, when does he move back to Houston? It may be Bruce Pritchard. I don't know. Because... Be. I, think, I mean, unless... He could even be a fly-in. We don't know. It's not like he's working house shows most of the time. And the main event, Junkyard Dog going to a double disqualification with the one-man gang. How many times do you think that match happened in Louisiana in this era? Probably quite a bit. All right, let's go to the CWA in Dallas on the memory 8th at the Sportatorium. Said man. All right, let's match this up. All right, so said man's here on November the 8th in Dallas. Yes. And, and... Sedman's on the SPWS show on September the I mean, November 7th. Yeah, that can't be right. It can't be the same guy. So we There's have, gotta be somebody so it's somebody somewhere. else that SPWF. So wait, so wait a second. Well wait, are any of the other guys on the SPWF no. show listed in the results here? No. Hmm. No. Well, wait a minute. Action Jackson is. So I guess it is. So they flew well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. 
So they yes, were Japan. Well, yes, because you can you can gain time because you can gain time flying from Japan. Yeah. You can't right. You can't gain time flying to Japan. Yeah, you're going back in time when you're flying. I like to say you're going back in time when you're flying from Japan back to the states. Well, it's yes. like a fourteen hour <laughs> difference, and the flight is in the same range, right? Yeah, you're going back in time. Yeah, you're yeah. Time so traveling. it's it's. Well, it's more than 14 hours. Well, maybe a little different coming from Texas. I don't know. I think it's 14 hours from L.A. or from the East Coast. But it's, yeah, wow. And it's a TV taping, too. So we got Seb Man over Doug Masters, the Grappler over Derek Stone, the Renegade, Sam Houston and Charlie Norris over the Sicilian Studs, Guido Falcone, oh, and Vito Mussolini, oh. oh. Big Country over Bullman Downs. One man gang and Manu over the rude dog and polite dog. <laughs> <laughs> Tretch Phillips Jr. over Dapper Danny Davis. Black Bart over Shots. Yeah, who's obviously not Nightmare Danny Davis, I presume, is just Dapper Dan now calling himself Danny Davis for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Black Bart over Shots Suburbs by DQ, the retained TV title. Maniac Mike Davis over Chico Cabello. High Voltage, Bo Vegas and Devin Michaels over Wild Bill Irwin and Mike Blackheart. Sergeant Scott Braddock over Tony Coletti, said man over the grappler, Mark Valiant over Doug Masters, Big Country over Diamond Dave, and Action and Al Jackson over the awesome Kong and King Kong by disqualification. Wow. So at this point, are they Confederate or Continental? Uh, this late, I think they're that? Continental, right? Probably. All right, so the EWF, Empire Wrestling Federation, they ran San Bernardino, California on November the 3rd. We have Gary Key over Vic Victory. The Haystacks brothers of a third dimension and Ultra Taro from the show. No, 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 no. He's Ultra Taro Jr. Oh, well, maybe it's his dad. Well, he, no. <laughs> his gimmick it, dad. He, yes, his gimmick dad. Yeah, but no. But our uh, friend of the show, Taro, all, all caps Taro on Twitter, is uh, he was Ultra Taro Jr., then all caps Taro, as the gimmick son of the previous Ultra Taro. There you go. Bulldog Samson and Cincinnati Red of the Ghetto Boys by disqualification. Christopher Daniels over Suicide Kid. Dick Danger over Eddie Williams and the Irish Assassin over Bobby Bradley. So Christopher Daniels very early in his career here. Yeah, well, he's actually a few years in, right? Because didn't he start wrestling even earlier than people realize? Like, I was going to say, it's still early in his career. It's still yeah. early in his career, but he started in like 92, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Suicide Kid, of course... Probably Mikey Henderson. Iris Assassin would be McTierney. And Cincinnati Red, best known as the original trainer of Samoa Joe and some others in the SoCal area. Yeah. All right. Uh, AWF, Paul Alperstein. And we got the TV review from The Torch. Should I p try to pull this up on YouTube? <laughs> I, not, I don't think it is on YouTube. I don't think anything from this era oh, of AWF. from the Road Warriors era is on, is on the DVD set. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, wait a minute now. Let's see here. All right, so this is a that's two, two, six, eleven, nine, ninety six. Okay, I'm. There is season two up, but I think it only goes to October. I'm looking now. Yeah, October nineteenth, ninety six is the last air date that is on YouTube. Ah. Yeah. So, but anyway. Um, so Ken Resnick and Missy Hyatt, let's make Missy Hyatt, open the show. And, Tito's well, we should remind people, though, 
This is not the Missy Hyatt you are used to. This is roving investigative reporter Missy Hyatt. Which I haven't seen this stuff, so I don't know what's the difference. I don't is. know if I've ever seen it, but she is not doing the the bimbo gimmick from WCW. Which the thing is, she had just been in ECW, you know, doing the the deal with the Sandman. So but she's not doing that either. Yeah. All right. So Tito Santana pit Bob Orton Jr. to recapture the AWF Heavyweight Title. God, these guys wrestle on this way every AWF show. Well, uh, the they mention- did the original title win twice too. They did one in the original run of tapings, and then they just did it again at the second run, and when they did the second run for the '96 TV. And now this one, because the one the version I have is from the uh, era before this. No, no, no. That's what I'm talking about. This is this is this is Tito actually regaining the title. Is what I'm saying. This is Bob had won the title from him, and before this was the title win from Tito that set that started off the second run. But they had already done it previously during the first run. So anyway, matching in progress last week, it was joined where it left off this week. Sardner Slaughter was handcuffed. She got nine ringside. Match still was pretty good in the sense that they were di- efficiently and displayed detail worth to added credibility to the match that many matches in other groups don't have. The obvious liability was the lack of 90s athleticism. Mick Karch, Lord Alfred Hayes, handled commentary. Late in the match, Santana accidentally hit the ref with a flying forearm. A moment later, when he hit the re- net breaker, the ref was still down. When Santana got up to check on the ref, Orton poked Santana's eyes and dropped him for a pin with his feet on the ropes. The groggy ref counted the pin. Karsh did a great job selling the false finish and discussed with Orton's tactics. Resnick entered the ring and interviewed Orton. Orton said 20 years ago he won the Florida title, and since then he won the World Tag Titles, but finally won the World Title. Commissioner Jim Brunzel then came to the ring. Or the match restarted because of Orton's cheating. Shortly to the restart, Santana reversed Orton's pin attempt, a nice looking reversal too, and scored three count. Half dozen big faces joined Tino in celebration. Resnick interviewed Tito, who's thanked Sarner Slaughter for keeping the chic away and thanked his fans for their support. He said he was done with Bort. So then we get Missy Hyatt interviewing Rico Suave about his team defending their belts against the Road Warriors. Which is it still Tommy Rich and Greg Valentine at this time? I think so. Fidel Sierra with Tasha beat Mike Marcello with a sleeper. Chris Not Adams Tasha over Simone. I know. I just said Tasha. I'm just telling people since we talked about her uh, earlier. Chris Adams over Butch Long. Uh, Lord of Race said AWS not an infomercial for an upcoming cable show. Okay. A promo era with a blacktop bully with Big Mama, who said Tito and Slaughter are scared of him. I don't know who Big Mama is. The MVP over Billy the Kid. MVP is a direct ripoff of Steve Lombardi's WF gimmick, which could, coincidentally, was called MVP. Do you know who Car this is? Uh, no, I don't know. Because I pretty, I'm pretty sure this is Dale Torborg. Well, I guess it would be as MVP yeah. most violent player. I can't think of anyone else it would be. I guess so. Um, Impact Mixling's Car- Dale Torborg. Yeah, Mick Carr's talked about being in seventh heaven at the Cauliflower Alley Convention recently held in Florida. And said all the old timers talk about the AWF. Yeah, they well, think they're sure they payoff. I'm sure they were. So this is right up the old timers alley. Uh sound by air to Texas Heyman promoting their TV main event next week against Charlie Norris and Scott Putsky. You know what's sad about the AWF? They have this great production values, they have like the round system. I don't know if it ever could have worked, but at least they're trying to do something different. But they're filling it in with these guys. And somehow think you can you know, nothing against them, and some of them are still good. Of the older guys, but 
you think you can make a successful national promotion out of this while paying out the ass for TV and paying everyone at your TV tapings instead of having regular fans? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's again, what do we talk about with uh, Heroes of Wrestling? I mean, it's the same type of thing. It's Paul Alperstein going to the people that used to be on TV and using them because he sees them as stars. You know, it's exactly what it is. Yes, yes. By the way, I'm shocked that Wade Keller praised McCarch's commentary. <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. All right, let's close out with World Championship Wrestling. Right, Piper. Excuse me, I scrolled down too far. Way down too far. All right, it appears that Kurt Henning may become the latest wrestler to switch affiliations from WCW. Henning met with Eric Bischoff late this week. The two sides apparently reached a verbal agreement on a deal where Henning would return as an active wrestler. However, Titan Sports is contesting the agreement, claiming an illegal letter from Jerry McDevitt to WCW to WCW that WCW was interfering with Titan's contracts. In the letter, Titan was under the assumption that Henning would make a surprise appearance on the November 11th Nitro and warned WCW that it would take legal action as such was the case. In any event, Henning would not be able to use the name Mr. Perfect. That name is a WF creation. And WCW was believed to not be planning on using Henning so quickly due to his WF contract, which is expected start, starting date with WCW being early February. McDevitt declined to state how long Henning was under contract, just that the contract was valid and there was no provision in it to give 90 days notice at this time. Henning did appear as a scheduled guest on Livewire Saturday, the Livewire we played, but the circumstances during the week may have altered the plan for him at that, sh at that show. Uh, an excuse they gave was that he wasn't there because of a problem with planes landing in New York that morning. They could have been accurate as far as there being weather problems that morning. Henning, 38, one, only one year, is only one year older than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, but has been collecting for years on disability insurance ring injuries. He's also two years older than Barry Wyndham, who during the same period was there but his equal in the ring, and his comeback after lengthy absences from injuries has been thus far a flop. In his heyday, Henning was one of the best wrestlers in the country. Because he was always protected and pushed as a major star in WF, he had a strong name identity, and because of being pushed better, it does mean more than just name value than Wyndham. Of course, what he can do in the ring at this point is questionable. So, seeing the WF with a badly damaged back in 1991, Henning has made a few comebacks that were nowhere close to his previous working stand in the ring, and walked out once on an apparent agreed upon comeback of a turtle called Lex Luger due to referee gig at WrestleMania. Whether Henning was ever considering returning in the recent angle with Mark Merrow and Hunter Hurst Helms, it depends upon who believe, what, whom believes. Talking of returning as an active wrestler, surprises in a recent newspaper interview, he talked about not wanting to go back in the ring because he didn't want to aggravate injuries to the point he wouldn't be able to enjoy his life at the wrestling and is willing to be in great financial shape. So I presume that at this point the story of why this is happening has not come out yet? No. Which I guess I should explain then. So when they were doing the angle where he's Mark Marrow's mentor and then he's going to wrestle Triple H and then, you know, turn on Marrow to manage Triple H. And they advertised, uh, now as we, I think we alluded to, was it earlier or was it on the Patreon show that we briefly alluded to, uh, whatchamacallit, to the tease at least. Because it was the same night as the Bret Hart return. And, th yeah, they advertised Perfect versus Hennig. They do the thing where Triple H injures Hennig. 
turns out it's a ruse and he's going to manage Triple H and then I think maybe works the Superstars tapings and that's it. And what happened was, though, and this is I never understand the why of this, even though they knew his plan was not to wrestle. Someone from Talent Relations called Lloyds of London asking what it would take to buy out the disability policy. Mm -hmm. And that badly fucked things up for Kurt. Yeah. Who, rightfully so, was pissed off at them and walked out on the run with Triple H. Yeah, I mean, he had great reason to do it. Yeah. And also one of the funnier attempts at covering for someone leaving in uh, World Wrestling Federation history. To write Hennig out, they showed the clip of Hunter, quote-unquote, injuring him to set up the turn as if that was him taking Perfect out and injuring him so he can't come back. <laughs> yeah. And this was like a few weeks later, too. It wasn't like there were a lot of time passed. Yeah, silly. But... They Look, they did him dirty here. Oh, yeah. Like, there is no excuse for what they did, and he is absolutely right to just say screw it and try to go to WCW. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't end up coming in until the summer, so obviously they had him locked up. I'm curious, though, is the thing about McDevitt refusing to say how much time is left on the contract, does Dave mean in the letter to WCW, or does Dave mean when he reached out to Jerry? Oh, I don't know. Right? I didn't think that was a particularly... Well, it says declined. It doesn't say he did it. So I guess that means Dave reached out. Well, anyway, we know what happened. So there. Yes. Randy Savage still with a torch here. His contract expires this month. But apparently he's not resigned with WCW yet. It may still be WF bound. And they worked a weekend house shows for WCW. Several sources within WCW heard rumors that Savage is asking prices between $1 to $2 million per year to renew with WCW. Eric Bischoff has shown signs that his heart wouldn't be broken if Savage were to leave. I suppose he's already got the payoff of a Hulk Hogan Savage match at Halloween Havoc. After Havoc in the locker room, Bischoff and Savage got into an argument in hearing range of others said to be over the way the attention shifts from Savage to Piper so quickly after the main event. There are skeptics throughout WCW believe the entire Savage contract negotiation ordeals will work exclusively between Bischoff and Savage. Although if that's the case, Savage and Bischoff are most definitely not letting anyone else in on it from Hulk Hogan on down. If Savage doesn't resign with WCW, he may take time off from wrestling, or more likely would end up in WF within a few weeks. Savage is still scheduled to take it, make his upcoming house show appearances. So, obviously, if there is a deal happening to get, I mean, in dealing and you know being talked about, it gets done because he he's there. Yes, and but I don't I don't remember if this is a real thing or not. It is. It is because he disappears from TV for months. Yeah, yeah, but it's savage, you know? It is. Well, there is also the uh, savage Stephanie truthers believe that it's this negotiation with Vince that leads to Stephanie, quote unquote, telling him. Which is funny because Vince in this, I mean, there's negotiation for Savage and WF at least two more times after this. So, OK, refresh my memory on that, because I've been trying to figure that part out. 1999, that was talked. That was talked about, and 2000. Okay, it w it was talked about as a thing that was happening. I I couldn't remember exactly when the other ones were. Now the 2003 thing with um, why am I forgetting? Why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? I feel bad. What's his face? Uh, 
Our, our friend. Yeah, two thousand three. Two thousand three was the same thing too. Yeah, well, he was talking no, about. Well, not necessarily. So why am I forgetting his name all of a sudden? Our friend, our friend that used to write for WWF magazine, that did the Sheik book. Well, well, I'm just saying there is something from two thousand three. No, 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 I know. Just, I, why am I blanking on his? Why am I blanking on his name? I don't know what you're talking about. The the guy who did the bio of of the original Sheik that's coming out. God damn, I feel bad. I talk to him fairly regularly. Um, oh, Brian Solomon. Oh, uh, okay. He talked yeah. about recently um, that, like, by the time he's at the magazine, they don't really care about anything. And he made clear, because people used to read a lot into it, is to try to figure out the timeline of things, that when he did that interview with Savage in 03 to push the rap album that was just him reaching out and savage said do they know you're doing this so that is one i think we can write off as being a vince negotiation period excuse me or anything well i just read something that that was talked about though okay. savage in 2003 so in fact i'm trying to find it now let me see if I can find it because it was rumored would he go to TNA or WWE. So, hmm. Let's see. Uh, where's it at? Okay. Okay, it's not there. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> we don't have to go that deep. I mean,. Well, I'm trying to prove myself right, which I, I, I want to do. Uh, okay. Let me see here. All right. In the meantime, okay. So as you, um, hold on. Okay. As you find that, I'll, this is what's in James Dixon's Titan Sinking book, okay? In the chapter about Savage leaving and all that. So. Got it. What? All right. So Randy Savage was on the Pain Clinic radio show. This is in the late November 2003, saying that uh, he may be working for TNA or WWE in the future. Apparently, some major fence major fence mending has been taking place between Savage and Vince. Huh. After their after their jumps to WCW, Vince told once told the Torch he couldn't see any circumstances where he'd be willing to work with either Hogan or Savage again. Hogan has returned twice since, but Savage hasn't. But Savage, I mean, this is Savage saying this on a radio show. Okay, so here's what's in the Dixon book, at least as far as 96. In late 1996, his, Vince's, opinion of Savage suddenly went and un underwent an unexplained shift. People who worked closely with McMahon recounted that after a few years of him having championed a potential return for Savage, he would now behave completely out of character whenever his name cropped up. On one occasion, when agent Michael Hayes pitched an idea that involved Savage coming back into the company, Vince stared into the distance and forlornly stated i have no interest in doing business with that man but on other occasions would fly off the handle at the mere mention of him vince's staff were warned never to bring savage's name up for any storyline merchandise idea or feature ever again and you know then gets to the hall of fame stuff and then starts dipping into the various theories including the stephanie one which at this point, I don't believe it. I believe that it was a rumor in the company for some reason, but I, I don't buy that that happened. No. 
No, especially since we have a pretty decent idea of who planted the story in the sleet thread. Yeah. Alright. Well, Roddy Piper has signed with WCW. Although on television, they're playing it up as if Piper has yet to sign, and Bischoff's going to be working hard in the coming weeks to lock him in and doing the match with Hulk Hogan. In rea- reality, the tender plans for Piper to face the Giant on pay-per-view, probably at Starcade, and then face Hogan on there in January or February. The January pay-per-view from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, will actually be an NWO pay-per-view, not a WCW show, according to the storyline. Starcade main event will see Hogan defend the WCW title against the winner of the World War III Battle Royal. The expectation is that Piper will only work sporadically for WCW and not be a weekly presence on Nitro or monthly presence on pay-per-views. Uh, all this has changed. Um, so it's Hogan and Piper at Starcade. Giant wins World War Three, and that's the impetus for him turning from the NWO because he doesn't get his title shot with Hogan. But they were so, hinting at the turn for weeks before that, the World War Three. So they've had the turn in mind for most of his time in the NWO. Yeah, but... Still. It made more sense the way they did it than the way it's laid out here. Yeah. How? I mean, think about it. Wait, this is the torch. How do you not have Hogan and Piper do all that and not do it at Starcade? I mean, that's gotta happen. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it just... You, you can't save that for... January and Cedar Rapids. <laughs> I mean, no. you got to do that on your on your main show. Well, you, also you can't do so. it at the NWO paper. No, but anyway. All right, so um, Nitro, November fourth in Grand Rapids, Michigan, drew seventy five sixty eight, and a Nitro record of one hundred two three three forty house. Is it only the fifth event of any kind in the new arena? There, crowd made the show as it was super hot from the start. It began with Marcus Bagwell beating Brad Armstrong in 1029 with a cross-body blot in a match where Bagwell did various subtle things to begin his heel turn as an insincere goody-two-shoes babyface. Yep, it's beginning. Diamond Dallas Page pinned Ice Train with a diamond cutter when Hall and Nash attacked Train behind Teddy Long's back. Train actually didn't sell, getting pounded on with a belt, but when he was distracted by arguing with Nick Patrick, Page had a diamond cutter on the 632 of a good match. The fact that it was good says only that Titan has Titan train has improved, but just how good a worker Page is turning into. Oh yeah, Page was definitely uh, coming into his own in this time period. This is when he's really getting it together, and um, yeah, this this match here, it, this is where they're doing the subtle teases of Page maybe becoming an NWO well, member. I wouldn't call it subtle. Well. He was, Jesus. <laughs> he's, he's he's with Nick Pat he's whispering in Nick Patrick's ear and something like that. So they're like in cahoots. Mm-hmm. And uh Shivani's like, There's no been never been more evidence someone's joined the NWO. Talk about Paige. So Yeah. But we know what happens there. And Ice Train had improved. So yeah. It's a little bit of both. Paige gotten really good and uh Ice train improved. Yep. All right. So, um, Dean Malenko kept the Cruiserweight title, beating Scotty Riggs in 320 when Bagwell was mad at Riggs for how he was doing and threw him into the rain to be pinned. Scotty ain't a Cruiserweight. <laughs> nope. Chris Benoit pinned Hector Guerrero in 1203 with a schoolboy when Hector was distracted by a woman. A great three and a half star match. 
Hitler was using the Cien Carter's hair coloring treatment, and with the black hair, it looked almost like Brother Eddie, and wrestled as good, if not better, than Eddie. They did an interview with Jeff Jarrett. Okay, let me let me talk about this. This is the match that Dave was talking about earlier on, on the uh, Raw thing that uh, the fans were like distracted by. This, I mean, this really was a damn good match. And Hector in 1996, you know, who hadn't been on the, the major scene in quite a long time. Well, he had you know, been in WCW a little, but this is this is by far his best performance oh, in this run. In a major scene, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was fantastic here with Benoit. So, and yes, he did dye that hair. <laughs> <laughs> An interview with Jeff Jarrett, who's actually out of action for a few weeks with a messed up ankle, suffered a match five days ago with his ankle buckling underneath in a TV squash against John Tenta that aired on Saturday. But the injuries and knowledge, uh, since there are enough work injuries and Benoit and Arn and real injuries like Flair already. And the horse. But Michael and Ben Yeah, but ben- ben- Michael and Benoit were there and they basically pointed out Jarrett wasn't a horseman. <laughs> yes. And for more on all this, listen to the newest uh, My World podcast where Jeff uh, Jarrett goes over the first half of this horseman run in WCW. Yeah, Jeff um Jeff wanted to be in the horseman. Talk about Sting who you know, was walking around some catwalk now, turned his back on WCW and all this other stuff. So, and Sting is in the upper deck looking on with an expressionless face at, at, during this promo. So he shows Sting in, in the rafters. Yes. Also, everyone forgets this now, but Jeff's a babyface at first. Yes. Next, we get Medusa beating Reina Jabuki, Akira Hokuto, in a women's title match at 314 with a German suplex. This is the beginning of a three week long tournament for the WCW women's title. Uh, that Medusa like will win. Watching that match at ringside with Zero, who is referred to as fully being Chagusa Nagaya, with Sonny Ono, who faced Medusa next week. Zero is the name of the planes the Japanese used on the Americans in World War II. So it's a major offensive stereotype, except that, except, except that, except for whoever came up with the name. Nobody even knows it. Ono's that is doing that Dick Tracy early 60s Japanese character would be the pits, if, even if it wasn't racist. Basically, Zero would be the equivalent of Hogan going to Japan and wrestling Hiroshima under the name H-Bomb. That's for the term. Hokuto is actually two different... And as two different wrestlers. Under the hood is Reina Jabuki, and without it, as herself. Also in the term would be Karu of Gaia, who's a solid worker, Malia, Malia Hasaka, and two younger women from the Gaia office. Expect Medusa and Hokuto's championship match on November 18th. Okay. All right, well, let's, let's watch this. Although, real quick, before we get to the clip, Zero was a gimmick she was doing in Gaia. I'm not sure if she had even done it yet there, but that's Chiguza's idea. This is not a WCW idea. Well, Dave's going off the handle about this. So, uh... yeah, <laughs> let's see what uh, one Kazuo Sonyono is doing here as he brings out Zero. You have? I don't want to go. I don't want to go into that. Not one. by the neck, though. And she's biting her fingers. Now that's a nitro first. Just when you think you've seen it all. Yes. A manicure by mouth. And now biting the toes. I mean, Yabuki. Has... Well, you know who this is. This is Zero. This is Zero, one of the most famous women wrestlers in the world from Japan, formerly known as Chikusa Nagayo, now known as Zero. And she is coming out in this tournament. Tony, I had to take a look at some bracketing upcoming for this tournament. Quick cover by Medusa. One, two, no. 
And in looking at that bracketing, as we see Sonny Ono accompany Zero to the ring. Everything that's wrong with this country. Look at her. She's a, literally a chemical dumping ground. Look at her. What? She's full of peroxide and falling plastic. <laughs> oh, would you? Come to think of it, she reminds me of an American car. <laughs> well, I did have a chance to look at the bracketing, and obviously Sonny Ono and Zero are out here scouting this matchup. And should Zero be successful against Malaya Hosaka in her first round matchup, she would face the winner of this bat next Monday night right here on Nitro. We do understand we're going to have first round matches as well on WCW Saturday night, as well as here on Nitro, until we crown a new WCW ladies champion, Medusa. How's that for a flying hit scissor? How about it? Oh! And Yabuki sidestepping that one. Doesn't go the, for the cover, though. No, you're right, Brain did not go for the cover. How about that bridge suplex one? Got a one count only. They were, the fans are behind Medusa. Sonny Ono can say all he wants to about Medusa, but she's a fine athlete. A boot. Missile drop kick off the top. And the cover one, two. McPatrick down, and Medusa bridges out. Zero watching on along with Sonny Ono. That tells me that Medusa still has a lot going for her because she didn't kick out of that. She didn't power out. She bridged out. That means she's got a lot going yet. One, two, and... She got it! Medusa! And a big triumph here. Looking right at zero, and it's Sonny Ono. Defeats Yabuki and advances into round number two. What a way to kick off round number one of this women's championship tournament. She waist-locked her, got her in that German suplex with a bridge, and Medusa gets the victory. She's on her way to round number two. She's on her way to round number two. Will she face zero? That She's remains to be seen. Right now. And Sonny Ono obviously out of the intimidation back to here. Here it is again, Brain. Let's get a look at this. Medusa does a handstand. In okay, Sonny Ono barely did anything there. I mean, Sonny Ono. <laughs> he did the rubbing his hands together thing, and he had the line about Medusa being a toxic waste dump, and that's literally all we see him do in the segment other than stand there. I mean... And I'm not defending the Sonny Ono gimmick, but I don't understand why this is the catalyst for Dave well, going off like this. I mean, it's not good, per se, in the in in, in hindsight, the, the the way he's playing. But at least he's not doing the I mean, over stereotype gimmick where he's like not pronouncing the the letters wrong, or he's he's not dressed up in like uh, stereotypical Japanese attire and none of that stuff. I mean. I don't have a, a biggest problem with Sonny Ono as other things that we've seen, especially in like WWF. Or even in WCW. Or even in WCW. Um, so. Honestly, you know what the most offensive thing about the Sonny Ono gimmick might be? What? That when they did the kind of left field thing where he accidentally drops the accent and uses his real Iowa accent... They dropped they dropped it after the one week where he's like, well, I thought that maybe people would treat me differently if I had an accent or blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of refreshing and interesting. And then they never followed up on it. It's WCW. <laughs> yes. But it, that almost makes it more offensive that he I don't know if that's him on his own or what, but 
there was some nuance added and then nothing. Well, maybe that was maybe he 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 went back to being Mister Shikawa or Kensuke Shikawa. Kensuke Shikawa, yes. All right, Chris Jericho beat M Wall Street with a small package, and after the match, we get another one of the Jericho Teddy Long Nick Patrick, and yes, one of the Between the Sheet favorites, Alan Sharp segments as Alan Sharp, WCW's PR director is playing the role of Nick Patrick's lawyer on screen. So let's go to that, shall we? Thank you very much, Tony. The center of controversy in world championship wrestling remains senior official Nick Patrick and Mr. Patrick. Mr. Patrick, we need to learn anything from last week there, Mr. Tanay. You talk to me. I'm the legal counsel, okay? Listen here. Everybody here... And everybody at home knows it. Nick Patrick, there is nothing wrong with your neck. He's not a doctor. And on top of that, you are a paid employee of the NWO, and we all know that too. He puts a mask on on Saturdays. Referees are matches. Mr. Sharp. You don't know that. Mr. Jericho, your wall does appear to be tumbling down. Is it not true, Mr. Jericho, that your father was an NHL hockey goon? Is that not true, Mr. Jericho? We won't go there. This has nothing to do with my father. This is between you, you, and me, and everybody else here. I went, Tanae, I went to a fight the other day, and a hockey game broke out. I've got one thing to say right now. Everybody saw earlier what the outsiders did to Ice Train. They beat him in the back of the head with those belts. You stood there. You did nothing about it. Then Dallas Page took advantage of it by catching him with the diamond cutter. He may be back there right now needing medical attention. Nick Patrick, not only are you a player hater, but you are with the NWO. I know it. Your attorney knows it. And this young man on his way to becoming another superstar, you become a thorn in his side. I know it, Patrick. Wow, look at that. Long, of all the people to be talking about character... Should it be you, Teddy Long? Because if I am correct, a few years ago, you were a referee that was suspended in WCW for some infractions. Continuity. What do you have to say about that, Teddy Long? We're not talking about past mistakes here. Everybody has mistakes in their past. What we are talking about is the present, the here and now, and mistake, Nick Patrick. What you're doing is not a mistake. It's a premeditated plan against everybody in WCW. And I think that says it all. Tony, take it away. Now, wouldn't you know the eve of election day, as the NWO watches on, Dirk would be flying here. Well, did you hear Teddy Long say, I, 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 I? He has more eyes than uh, premium optical. Oh. We will be back. I, 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 I. Uh, Ken DiBiase. Uh, 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 what were they watching? Uh, uh, uh. Well, he can stutter, can he? And what are they waiting on? What do you think? We're waiting on the phone call from Eric Bischoff. Come on back with us. Hey, a fan had the 14-inch LJN Hulk Hogan figure. <laughs> um, okay. Alan, Alan Sharp was great in this gimmick, and he yes. could have been a character. I mean, he was really good. He is very good at doing the smarmy heel lawyer gimmick. You know, that uh, I guess Mark Sterling would be the most notable example of these days. 
he's very yeah. Funny. Well, Clarence Clarence Mason was first, and then Alan Sharp. Well, Clarence Mason's an actual lawyer, though. Yeah, but he's playing one on television too. Yes, yes. Um. Okay. So the two highlights there, besides Alan Sharp in general, one. Teddy Long using the term play a hater on national television in 1996. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his white jacket and white shirt. Yes. And Tony accidentally revealing that he did not watch WCW at all while he was in the WWF. Because <laughs> that was a genuine what? <laughs> when Sharp brought up the Teddy Long heel turn. <laughs> yeah, because Tony was gone. But what time that happened? And Jericho, this is when you see Jericho showing that he had something. You can see the charisma, but the other thing I noticed is, and this is an issue until he turns heel. You watch Jericho in this era, every promo feels like he never saw any wrestler cut a promo outside of Stampede. <laughs> every pro babyface promo he cuts is a, you know, one of those Stampede babyface promos. If only they brought in Diamond Jim Davies. Recently passed away, R.I.P. Yes, rest in peace, Diamond Jim Davies. Legend. But you get what I'm saying. And by the way, is there any other territory that has a singular style of babyface promo other than Stampede? It's, yeah, it's very similar. Well, Pillman, Pillman kind of did a, a different version of that. He so. did, but he's also not Canadian. But all the Canadian babyfaces did the, uh, you know, I'm, had enough of these illegal tactics kind of promos. <laughs> yes, it's definitely Owen, Owen Hart esque for sure. Or uh, who am I else? Am I thinking of? Uh, oh, what's his name? Not not Vinny Valentino. Who's the? Um, I guess he wasn't Canadian though. Like you know, your Ron Richies and your you know Benoit's and Beef Wellingtons and Bruce to a degree. They all kind of have the same promo style. Yeah. All right. Um. Finale saw Lex Luger over Booker T in A27, a match way better than you'd figure from these two. When Colonel Parker came to the ringside, Booker came. Booker saw him and got mad. Luger schoolboy Booker. After the match appeared, Sherry was mad at Parker. So, there's that. Yes. Oh, I did check cage match, assuming they're accurate, which, for this era of Japan, you would expect them to be. Um, They... Uh, they had not done Zero and Gaia yet. I don't know if they had done any teases or anything, but as far as matches, the first two matches she has as Zero are at the November 11th tapings, where she does the uh, quarterfinals against Hosaka and then loses to Medusa in the semis. And then uh, she doesn't do the gimmick in an actual match again until Double Destiny 97 on... Uh, September 20th, 97. So, it okay, it does make sense that Dave doesn't know about this then, I guess. Well, something well, something else that Dave fails to mention is this is not the end of Nitro. Yes, I almost forgot to mention that. Well, there's also it's a the last thing, thing at he the mentions. end, too. It's the, la it's the last thing he mentions in his report. Is Booker Luger. Yes. Weird. Because, yes. Well, there, there is There is this. Nitro is built to, to a supposed announcement of Eric Bischoff, who wasn't there, signed the Hogan Piper match. They're going to stall that off for a while. It's planned for Starcade, but Dave's heard talk maybe help to Super Brawl at the Cow Palace. So Dave's is uh, co-signing Wade here, and that Piper will first get a pin on the Giant before getting at Hogan. Oh, well, that's interesting. 
But anyway, all right, so Eric Bischoff is not a Nitro. And they talk about all the show, they're waiting on a phone call from him because he's supposed to go on from the Portland, Oregon to sign Piper. Well, let's go to that. Let's, let's hear Eric Bischoff on the telephone with Tony Schiavone. All right, fans, we welcome you back live here to WCW Monday Nitro. And never before in my broadcasting career in doing world championship wrestling and years before that doing the NWA, can I remember a time where there's been so much talk, so much excitement based on one match. And that's because of what this match means, not only to us, but to the entire wrestling world. And as we said this weekend on all of our television programs on TBS, Eric Bischoff was on his way to Portland, Oregon in the contract negotiations to sign the match. And we do believe we have Eric Bischoff on the telephone right now. Eric, I know it's been a very busy weekend for you. I know it's been a very trying time for you. And uh, let's, uh, Eric, do we have Eric on at this time? Yeah, Tony, I've got Okay, you. Eric, uh, I know it's been a very trying time. I know you've been in negotiations. And how are things going right now between you and uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper? Well, uh, things are going extremely well between myself and Roddy Piper. Uh, and I'd like to be able to Pause. announce here to the crowd and, and all the people. Boy, the quality of this phone call is amazing compared to the Austin phone call we had on Raw. <laughs> I always found it very strange that with this kind of stuff, mainly the Lee Marshall 1-800-Collect-Road reports, that they don't bother doing it over a real phone and have it sound so fake. (laughs) So fake. Now, granted, here you can at least work it into the storyline if you wanted to that it's fake. Yeah. Because, of course, this turns out to be that Bischoff never went to Portland and never had fiber. But they, but but they never did this part though. They never mentioned this. So no, yes. they never said that it was a fake phone call. Or anything. No. Watching uh, coast to coast, that we have a match signed. Unfortunately, as well as things are going between uh, Roddy Piper and myself, and as much as I think deep down inside he really would love an opportunity to get into the ring with Hulk Hogan. Unfortunately, uh, Roddy Piper, like at a lot of uh, top athletes and and in his case uh, actors. Uh, have agents and they have attorneys and unfortunately I have to report that uh, things are not going as well as I would have hoped with uh, Roddy Piper's uh, management let's what, just put it that way what's the hang up Eric is, is it money is it uh, is there something you can point to that's the one hang up that you're having right now no there's no one thing uh, like I said deep down inside I know Piper would love to do it <laughs> but I'm not exactly sure if it's a WCW thing, or if it's because of movie commitments, I'm not exactly sure. I wasn't able to pin his management down. I just got stonewalled three or four times uh, over the weekend and then again today. I do want to let everybody know, though, that I am scheduled to fly to Toronto next Tuesday uh, to continue conversations with Roddy. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get a little farther with Roddy Piper than I did with his management. Well, I, I think they realize, and I'm talking about Roddy Piper's people, the magnitude of this match. And, and my feeling, guys, is realizing what it means to the sport. That's why he's getting the stonewall. Eric, would you agree with that? I would I would agree with that. And again, hopefully next Tuesday when I can sit down with Roddy uh, on the set of his, his latest movie, we can sit down and we can talk about it. And I can find out from him because his management works for him. He doesn't work for them. And hopefully we'll be able to get this thing resolved because I know a lot of people, based on faxes and emails and internet, a lot of people would love to see this match. And it would be the match of a decade. And I I have to say this, and I hope Roddy doesn't take this offensively, but these two guys both have egos the size of Mount Hood as I look at the, you know, the the situation here. So Eric, yeah, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. You you know what Hogan's going to do, don't you? He's going to spread the word to everybody that Piper's hiding behind attorneys and he's told his attorneys to make excuses. You know, the kind of liar Hogan is, that's what he's going to do. 
Well, who knows what's going through Hogan's mind. I certainly don't. Well, the match has not been signed yet, but, Eric, we all know you. We know you will work until that match gets signed, so stay with it, okay? Do my best. All right. Eric Bischoff, executive producer of World Championship Wrestling with us. I'm going to go back now. Roddy Piper said... All right. Okay. Um, A few things there. One, why is there that reverb when they're very obviously not playing it into the arena? (laughs) Um... That's one thing. Um, another, okay, wait, I'm going to press play and let the uh, scrub bar disappear so you can actually see what this looks like without the controls overlaid. Um, they, have a, they have a map of Portland. Let me go back a little further because it didn't stay on screen long there. Um, yeah. Were the arrow pointing at Portland? The arrow's not exactly pointing at Portland. <laughs> it's pointing no, it's more at Milwaukee, Oregon. Yeah. WCW, everybody. <laughs> A little weird there. Um, also, they don't have him going back to Portland after this, right? Not on TV. So because it's WCW, they fucked up their own continuity by saying it was that he said he went to Piper's house. Yes. WCW, everybody. Of course. Yo, you piece so of shit. At- <laughs> so after this, Hogan, they did the Ho- replay of Hogan and Piper, and Hogan and Giant DiBiase walked to the ring. <laughs> Hogan introduced a clip from his movie being released next week, Santa with Muscles. The scene saw Hogan dressed as Santa confront two men trying to steal Santa's donation bin, and Hogan beat him up. Talk about violent, Wade said. And they say wrestling's bad for kids. Kids' movies are bad for kids. When they went back to Hogan in the rain, the fans were booing. Hogan said the movie is sure to be an Academy Award winner. And he turned his attention to Cable Ace Awards, complaining no one in the has received their invitation yet. Hogan took credit for making Ted Turner who he is today. Hogan said they'll crash the party if he doesn't get invited to the war ceremony. Hogan keeps Piper having no heart for not agreeing to the rest of And he closed the show by posing. So he has okay. a show closing pro- a show closing promo. <laughs> I'm sure the fans love that. But there are, there was a dark match. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but uh Yes, I do remember we're not gonna play the Sound of Muscles thing, but I do remember that. So that was funny. Yes. Also Dave is right that uh, kid movies are bad for kids Wade. in this era. Oh, that was Wade. Still. Yeah. We're two years removed from the likes of Blank Check and Milk Money. So, uh, yeah. I, I think that's <laughs> fair. Uh, do you remember the uh, issues with either of those movies? I never watched them because I, I, I was too old yeah, for that. Yeah, I guess you were aged out of that. Just bare. Yeah, you were. I was about to, but you were not. Um. Well, I was aged out of kid movies in, in, in the late 80s. <laughs> well, Milk Money wasn't necessarily a kid's movie per se. Milk Money is the one where Melanie Griffith is the um, prostitute hired by the kids. I remember it. And then Blank Check is the Disney movie where... Um, is that Brian Bonsall? I don't think so. Hold on. I had a, a Blank Check. Oh, no, it is Brian Bonsall. Yes. God um, Almighty! How did I remember that? And Duff from MTV, Karen Duffy. Oh, Miguel Ferrer's in that movie. James Reborn, Tone Loke, Michael Lerner. A lot so, of yeah, a lot of interesting actors. So everyone remembers what Blank Check was, I think, in the commercials and the trailer. It's a kid, like a kid's bike gets run over by some rich guy. The guy writes him a blank check, and the kid cashes it for a million dollars. Um, and. Where it gets problematic is that he gets a crush on the Karen Duffy character, 
and sort of takes her out on a quote-unquote date, and she is way too reciprocal <laughs> to this uh, child. Wow. But yes, kids' movies in this era are very bad for kids. Alright, so uh, going back to the torch, Lance Luger beat the giant Betty Q in a dart match after uh, Hogan's promo at Nitro. WCB has issued a policy now providing the main event caliber dart match following the live broadcast of Nitro. Fans have been leaving Nitro tapings unhappy because these sudden anticlimactic conclusions of many of their events. The Giant Luger match may not have changed that trend, though, since their match lasted less than four minutes. And our correspondent reports that both wrestlers seem to be eager to get the match over with. November 11th is scheduled to be Luger versus Hulk Hogan. Only the second time those two have ever faced each other. What? Why are you even doing it if you're doing WCW? Well, WWF did did kind of shit like that too. They had we would have short matches at the Raw. More lately, but it's... My point being, though, is you just added a dark match specifically to make the fans feel like they're not being ripped off. Like, if you're specifically adding it for that reason, then this is a particular... I think they're adding it more as they want to at least end it with a match and not end it with a problem. Yeah, yeah. An empty arena NWO match was taped before Nitro, where Six beat a 355-pound mass wrestler called the Bounty Otter. NWO may take over the first time Nitro in a few weeks as a counterface of Raw. It appears all plans for NWO take over WCW Saturday night have been dropped. Patreon.com slash Sheets on that. <laughs> Disney taping start this week. Beside the women from Gaia, Bull Nakano is coming because she went with JD instead of Gaia. That doesn't Come last for the- long, I guess. No, coming for the taping from Metsco will be the regular crew, plus the return of Super Kolo, along with Halloween and Damian. Conan tried to put together a deal to bring in Felino, but his last words, Simo from Motor Paco Alonso, didn't want one of his best wrestlers going to the United States. Of course not. Hmm. Um, of course, Halloween never ends up being Halloween in WCW and becomes sequel play because do you remember the story? Uh, no. Kevin Sullivan saw the pumpkin-y Halloween mask and said that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. So we made him a Cyclops. <laughs> And that's coming from Kevin Sullivan. Yes. <laughs> and he made him a Cyclops, which is apparently less ridiculous than a pumpkin mask. A Cyclops is supposed to be evil, though, Pigs. Well, I, I, I guess I guess Pumpkinhead, the movie, hadn't been out yet. I don't know. When did Pumpkinhead, the movie, come out? Let's see. Pumpkinhead. Uh, oh, God. That came out in 88. So, yeah, that was way, way older than that. Well... His pumpkin head wasn't like pumpkin head, so. Anyway. All right. Uh, other weekend ratings saw main event do a 1.5, Saturday night a 2.5, and Pearl 1.7. So there's there's that. We did the raw ratings, or not your ratings earlier. Uh, Dave talks about Disney tape. It's not much on the Disney tape. It's a place starting November 7th and continue through this week. Staying out was going to continue for a while because on a worldwide show tape for late December, he was in the same Marcel Marceau gimmick and black coat and didn't do any of his moves, used reverse DDT as a finish. So yeah, he worked a worldwide, he worked a Disney taping in the gimmick. How about that? Hmm. I remember that. Besides Seacliff as a jobber, the only other newcomer taping we know of was Horace Boulder, Hulk's nephew Mike Balea, who was a jobber, who wasn't a jobber, and didn't look at all that bad. But that's thing that's never di- aired, right? I don't remember it airing. Um, you would think it would. Let me see if there's anything on history. WWE, WCW '97. HTML. All right. So, 
No, the only Steam matches we went over was what we went over on the Patreon show, the house show matches. So no, obviously. Well, we were going, Didn't. but I think we were going by cage match for that, weren't we? Or no, was I was going by history. You may have been. I was oh, going by history. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So this is week. They take two weeks of Saturday night on, on November 5th in Gainesville, Georgia, Georgia Mountain Center, where I saw the 1,400 fans. Highlights of the November night show saw the American male screw themselves again and losing the psychosis of Hubert to Guerrero. Regal over Duggan by DQ. Uh, where the tape. Uh, tape on Duggan's hands. Page over Ice Train, setting up the Nick Patrick Taylor Long argument. Amazing First Canadians over Hall Heat by Canada when Heat was beating up Parker outside the ring. Chris won over Hugh Morris, but was destroyed after the match by Kevin Sullivan, Big Bubba, and Max Muscle. Just from the interviews, Dave gets the idea of Sullivan Benoit is that Sullivan and Woman had a past, but not a present, and that Benoit and Woman have a present. You're right. Lenico cut the Cruiserweight belt, beating Ray in a good match. Then on November 16th, we get Benoit and Hector again. They're supposed to run in during a jobber match and beat up everyone, challenge Hall and Nash. Malenko cut the Cruiserweight title being the Hoovy in a match not nearly as good as it sounds. Cadillas over Chavo Jr. and Bobby Eaton in another match not as good as it sounds. And Regal retained a TV title beating Psychosis. And no, it doesn't look like that aired. Okay. All right, uh, Torch continues. Scott Steiner's out indefinitely with a ruptured disc in his back and may need surgery. Rick Steiner teamed up with the Great Muda in Japan last week and made it to the finals of the Super Great Tag League Tournament, which I watched that not that long ago. And Muda and Steiner made a really fun team. Yes. Did all the Steiner Steiner uh, gimmicks where Muda played Scott. And, of course, he has the Frankensteiner. So <laughs> Yeah, they did, they did the double-team bulldog. They did the pose. They had yeah. good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene Oakland may not have signed yet after all, but it's still set to sign soon and return perhaps as soon as this coming Nitro. That's why Mike today was interviewing yes. Alan Sharp. That's what I'm about to say. Also, when Scott Steiner comes back, um, guess whatever treatment he did for that ruptured disc made his arms grow exponentially. And and how about Gene and his um, uh, going away in WCW like he did in WWF here? Yeah. The first Hogan Power match pretty much a definite Starcade. So this is the later edition, uh, the, the week later. Uh, so Dave's not sure if that means Piper wins the Battle Royal or Battle Royal winning a shot at some other point. The only Starcade matches he's heard is something of Benoit and Sullivan, probably a tag involving Arn and Conan, the finals of the women's tournament, which would be Medusa versus Akira Hokuto. Only Hogan Piper and Medusa Hokuto happen. Yeah. Benoit gets Jarrett. Arn has wrestled his last match by then, and Conan, I don't believe, is on the card. Arn has not wrestled his last match by then. He wrestled in 97. Oh, he does? Okay. How late into the year? Uh, ooh, I think February? Let me see. I, he, Didn't he already I, get a surgery or something by then? Arn wrestles Luger on January 3rd. He wrestles Barbarian at Saturday Night Tapings on the 12th or something like that. Uh, he wrestles Rick Steiner on Nitro on the 13th. Oh, it's the 27th. Him and, him and Mongo over Eddie and Jeff at, at Nitro on the 20th. And he wrestles Saturday Night Tapings, Team with Mongo against uh, Team with Mongo against uh, uh, being a Barbarian. 27th is his last match. Him and Mongo over the Amazing French Canadians. Yes. Now, he does technically have two matches after this in 2000, but this is his last real match. For yes. For intents and purposes. Yes. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, the torch slated plan for Ric Flair's eventual return next early next year is for his son to be involved in an NWO angle. The idea is to make a huge deal where Rick returned WCW rings at the Charlotte, North Carolina Nitro, Flair's current hometown. The limousines would drive up, one with Flair's family, another one with the other horsemen, another one with Rick, Charles Barkley, and Kevin Green. And NWO would drive up in their limo, pull Rick Flair's 18-year-old son David out of the limo, beat him up, drag him to the ring, and continue to beat on him while Rick is held back from making the save. That would inspire Mongo and Kevin Green to reunite and team with Flair, Benoit, and Arn against NWO at WCW Uncensored. David Flair is apparently interested in getting involved in wrestling. Talk about having big shoes to fill. Huh. That's interesting. So two years before we actually get a David Flair angle. And this is pretty detailed, too. Oh, I wonder who. Well, wait, this is the torch, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Pretty, well, who's in WCW working in uh, creative at this time? I'm not sure where you're going Paul, with this. Paul Taylor. Oh, okay. Um, uh, stay with a torch. Ted DiBiase was interviewed at seven on the Seven Hundred Club by Pat Robertson on November the seventh. He said the Million Dollar Man character nearly ruined his life because he lived that lifestyle, playing that character outside the ring. He said they took him everywhere by uh, Learjet limousine, and because of that he had trouble separating the character from himself, which left his personal life in shambles. He said wrestlers don't really try to hurt each other. Called wrestling controlled violence, but the injuries are commonplace. Enlisted his. He says he's born again. He says toughest match was against the Lord, and luckily the Lord won. Well, looked like the Lord eventually ended up doing a job, though. <laughs> well, uh, boy, did it seem like he wanted to live the Million Dollar Man's lifestyle again recently, didn't it? Well, here's the thing, um, you know, with with religion and stuff. Um, we had a, a preacher years ago that, I mean, and openly said this in the pulpit, the, the two biggest things that tempt preachers and i would you know dbs I, I could put it in that category because he would go around doing stuff it's money and women and uh it's took down many many a, a preacher over the years so yeah that's the that's the big temptations money and women and yeah. uh dbs obviously very tempted by the money so so do yeah. do we think he and his kids are gonna do you think do we think they have enough liquidity to pay back the stuff that they effectively embezzled from the government or i don't know i have no idea i, I don't know i don't know how that's gonna play out i mean it's it's gonna be interesting um they have to file bankruptcy i don't know no i don't know how that how that plays out all right hogan hulk hogan appeared on reach to kathy lee on november the 6th a clip aired of Hogan dressed as Hogan beating up bad guys in his movie. It says, a clip aired of Hogan dressed as Hogan. Thanks, Wade. Beating up bad guys in his movie, Santa with muscles. Should be Santa. Hogan, they came out wearing black in the NWO shirt. Reed just talked about how lean and handsome Hogan looks. Hogan bragged in a nice guy voice about being the bad guy, but put the mainstream spin on his character change. All those years of being a good guy just couldn't let loose out there, Hogan explained. Now to form my new organization, the New World Order, I own Ted Turner. I own everything he's got. I'm getting ready for the Cable Ace Awards. I know I'm going to be nominated to win. And you know what's so cool about this thing? All those kids with the training, the prayers, and the vitamins in the 80s, that stuff all works. But when Hulk Hogan enters the ring now, no more politics. I got a new band of renegades with me, all my brothers in the New World Order. 
they're bad to the bone and we just take over. And I am the world heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> world heavyweight champion of the world. Yes. Kathy also, Lee's... I love that he's saying all this in the Terry voice, too. Yes. Kathy Lee said, you were a role model for kids. You were a good guy. Hogan responded, I'm still a role model for the kids. Kids are smarter than the adults. They know that Hulk Hogan's a good guy. But when I step in the ring, Hulk Hogan doesn't play politics anymore. I just take over, take control, and cut to the quick. The kids are pretty sharp. You know, I'm a bad guy. I still go out there and strut and wrestle and do all the stuff I usually do. And I get out there and have people cheer me, have people boo me. It's just as loud as ever. The volume is unbelievable. He talked about a house his wife built on the west coast of Florida. All 19,000 square feet of it. He said the roof came from France. And when he plays hide-and-go-seek with his kids, he can never find them anymore. And that is true, by the way, that it, the, the roof was tiled or whatever in some kind of imported stones that were obscenely expensive. And so Way gave his personal thoughts on this. Hogan continues to top himself when it comes to whoring himself, no matter how, <laughs> no matter how critical, <laughs> unbecoming of respect he has to be. During his appearance on Reason Cave, Lee talked about how he's still a hero of the kids and how the demandments he preached in the 80s about vitamins and prayers still apply today. In other words, he wants it both ways. He doesn't want the backlash that would result from mainstream media ties. He has a full understanding of his current wrestling character, especially his abuse of women. Oh, those are recent weeks. He wants to play the old Hulk Hogan on tall shows while pushing his movie. He should play a full-fledged egomaniac O.J. Simpson admiring he on WCW. His euphemism, he's still a good guy, but he throws politics on the windows reminiscent of his euphemism for steroid use years ago. I know it's all just a character, but to say with a straight face that he's still roaming off for kids is deplorable. Unless Debbie said makes some issue out of it on TV, talking about Hulk Hogan faked his way through an interview with Regis Kathy Lee and tricked him into thinking he was still an okay guy. It's also interesting to hear him talk about the NWO as being an organization that he formed. Last Wade recalls, Hall and Nash started and he was invited to join. Oh, well. Wade just banging him. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, and Wade's right. Hogan, I mean, yeah, Hogan is just, he doesn't play politics. I'm not even sure what that means what? in this context, though. I mean, the what? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, he. that's the thing about Hogan in this era. I mean, he's doing he's doing the Hulk Hogan shit, you know, but he's NWO Hulk. It's yep. so interesting to see him do this. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this is not on YouTube. No, believe me. Yeah, I was hoping it was. But, wow. <sighs> we talked about this on the Patreon show. It had to really eat at Hall and Nash that this motherfucker's out there talking all this shit. But the problem is, he's getting them more mainstream attention than they would ever got if it was yeah. just them leaning up. You know, it's that take the good with the bad, you know, and this is part of it. But wow. What is he even doing? Like, he because he could do whatever he wants. He's Hulk Hogan and the media loves him. Regis Capulet love him. So, of course. Let's think about this deeper for a second, though. Do you think the fact that he took this tact means he's still second guessing the turn? Yeah, uh... I think I don't know if I say he's second guessing the turn, but I think he he's, he's always keeping it open for when that time came for him to come back as a babyface. Mm. 
because he's Hulk Hogan, smartest man in wrestling. I mean, he knows he knows that he's going to be a babyface again. So when he makes these major media appearances, he has to be that guy. He still has to be Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan. So, all right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Between the Sheets. Next week, we'll make a trip back to 2003. Oh, boy. Yes, and we will be joined by a Hales brother, Devin Hales, making his return to Between the Sheets. Been quite a while, as we'll, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so we'll talk about TNA, where Lex Luger makes his TNA debut. So we'll have all the news and stuff about that, plus Brian Alvarez going down the TNA pay-per-view, as only Brian Alvarez can, and Lex Luger endearing himself to the talent in the TNA locker room, plus all the TNA creative issues that you normally would hear about. And uh, we got an interesting story about Jimmy Hart's financial backer at this time, which I totally forgot about, and I cannot wait to talk about that. Um, we got some uh, Japanese stuff, although not as much on this show. We got more. We got way more indie scum Japanese stuff than any of the majors, so we got that. We got uh, TNA guys starting to come into AAA Mexico, so we'll have that news. Atlantis' 20th anniversary. We'll talk about that in Arena Mexico. Rey Mysterio Jr. making his return to Tijuana after a few years. We got Teddy Hart's interview with Get in the Ring <laughs> and other Teddy Hart foolishnesses. This is that era where Teddy Hart's doing his thing. Basically, we got a Lucha Extreme Wrestling show from the Amazura Ballroom in Jamaica, New York to talk about. Is this the one with uh, Shoker versus Ultimo Guerrero? Uh, yes. Which I was not yes. at, but uh, yes, it is. apparently drew so like we'll have, 80 people, but they put on a hell of a main event. So yeah, we'll talk about that. We got other all kinds of other indie stuff. Lots of indie stuff. Lots of indie stuff. And including Dave Brown making his return to Memphis after a few years. Memphis Television. And we got Jesse Ventura being exposed in a new book by one of his former uh, confidants, so to speak. We got some crazy news on the death of Mike Lockwood, Crash Holly. Craziness involving the funerals. So we'll talk about that. We got Ohio Valley, and we got World Wrestling Federation, which we have uh, some stockholder news. We got Stephanie McMahon and her some of her new creative staff news. We got the differences between the Raw and SmackDown locker rooms at this time. Plus, we got Raw, SmackDown, and... Survivor Series 2003 featuring Triple H and Goldberg as your main event and all kinds of other shenanigans as well, including Team Bischoff versus Team Austin at Survivor Series and what's going on there. Plus, yeah, all kinds of crazy uh, creative stuff, as we mentioned. And uh, Bill Goldberg also has his own Santa movie we'll talk about. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets with Devin Hales. So it should be really fun. And we should probably just say it now then. We're going to have back-to-back 2000 Survivor Series weeks because week after that we got William William Lanham's 2001 pick. That's right, yeah. So, yeah. Should be a couple of interesting shows. So there you go. All right, Vix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Sheets, Patreon special edition number 61. I'm your host, Chris Zona, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. It's time to go back 25 years and talk about the NWO again in part two of our uh, series on uh, the birth of the end of New World Order. Yep. And thankfully it didn't end up being too long to fit it in through our intended endpoint, so... Everything worked out. This is part two of two. And then next month, I guess we'll explain that at the end of the show. Yes. Yes, we will. Well, let's venture to September now. Week of September 2nd. Torch, September 7th. Observer, September 9th. Blair, it's September 11th. Cover story. Giant joins NWO. Bulldog almost joins WCW. Secret plans for Bulldog joining NWO fell through. Waltman's delayed, delayed due to unresolved release by Way Keller, Torch editor. Some promoters book meticulously and with confidence, planning each progression of ongoing storylines months ahead. And others wing it. WCW is definitely winging it. Or at least they wing it when their best laid plans fall through. The Giant joined the New World Order on Monday, and he and WCW bookers had all the 48 hours to ponder how he would turn. The subject of him joining the NWO had been discussed in the past or discounted. After all, the NWO needs someone to wrestle. A week earlier, WCW had at least two other ideas in mind, one of which would have been a major bombshell, but fell through. Sean Waltman had been scheduled to join WCW as an employee and the NWO storyline in them for a number of weeks. The plans for him to find debut on September 2nd fell through when legal matters weren't settled yet. In fact, he had neither seen his release to WWF nor worked out the final details of WCW in time to debut on Monday. In addition to Waltman de- Waltman's debut, WCW had a major surprise plan. The British Bulldog Dave Boy Smith totally planned to join WCW without getting, giving notice to WWF. On the one-year anniversary of Nitro's debut, Air Bischoff was going to unveil a jump of the same caliber as Lex Luger's a year earlier. Bulldog had not signed a contract with WWF, although he had a verbal agreement to stay, and his lawyer signed with an attempt to sign an agreement. For the last two months, Bulldog had been receiving contracts from WWF's front office, but he kept sending them back with minor changes. While it was aggravating for WWF and McMahon, McMahon didn't suspect Bulldog was playing a similar game as Luger. Bulldog hadn't let any, or at least not many, fellow WF wrestlers in on his plans, but did make a joke out of how he was messing with Vince by sending the contracts back. Fellow wrestlers thought Bulldog was just ribbing Vince in return from Vince making a few promises. It was more than just that. Last week, Bulldog's original WF contract expired, and he still hadn't signed a new deal. Vince then found out about Bulldog's secret plan, and sources say that man blew his top and immediately called the Bulldog and demanded he put on paper what he had already agreed to, a five-year deal for $250,000 per year. Bulldog agreed with McMahon and flew to Stanford, Connecticut on Thursday and inked the five-year contract with a promise from McMahon that he won't be punished 
for his alternative scheme, but will instead get a major push, including a tag title run this year. McMahon, though, probably didn't put that promise in writing, although it is not to his advantage to bury Bulldog now that he has him under a five-year guarantee. Now to the Observer. The original offer made a Davey months back was a three-year deal of $400,000 per year, and the latest offer had to be at least that figure, if not higher. When Smith gave notice to WF three months back after his messed up pay-per-view title match with Shawn Michaels, which wasn't that, that he necessarily was leaving, but to avoid his contract rolling over, WCW officials secretly believed he was coming in. However, uh, several weeks later, Smith's attorney sent WCW a letter saying that the two sides weren't able to come to terms. And Smith had also moved from Tampa back to Calgary, which most assumed meant he was no longer concerned going to WCW, as Tampa would be perfect city to live, given where most of WCW events are scheduled. At this point, Smith agreed to stay with WF, with the lower money figure guaranteed reportedly not being the crux of negotiating problems, and it was more that he was unhappy about not being told his future programs ahead of time and not getting what he thought was the push he was promised into the title picture. In particular, Smith was reportedly unhappy about having what most considered the two to three best WF matches over the past nine months. Title match against Brett and Hershey and Shauna Milwaukee. In neither case was he programmed for rematches at the house shows, and instead used at the house shows lower and more of a stepping stone role. The other side of the coin is that even though he had two extra title matches, neither drew huge buy rates, and Davey was thought of a guy as of as a guy who can be a great worker when he's motivated, but not a great draw on top as a title challenger. Titan and Davey have been going back and forth over the past few weeks regarding actually signing the contract when negotiations with WCW picked up, as WCW informed Davey they had no problem flying him in for Calgary, as they do routinely with other regulars who live in foreign countries. With any verbal deal Davey may have made with WCW is unknown, but when WCW shot the angle August 26, where Teddy Biasi thought to introduce a number four and number five, at that point, WCW was apparently believing Smith was to be number four. When Vince got wind, which was believed to be on August 28th, when D- that Davey was on the verge of making the deal with WCW, he made a phone call to Davey, along with WF attorney Jeremy Devitt, and finally reached him the next day and said they'd been furious. The bone of contention was that Davey had apparently made a verbal agreement to continue with WWF and sign a five-year contract, even though he had not signed, actually signed the deal. And, um, and Smith's attorney had already signed a preliminary entering a contract several weeks ago. The latter basically was that two sides agreed that Davey was staying, but all terms hadn't been agreed to, so he wouldn't have been phased out on television, while details and negotiations were still ongoing. Where the legal threats in regard to what we see as going back on both verbal and written agreement were made, as Titan was under belief that had written an agreement with Davey and is obviously going to enforce it, are not clear. By the end of the day, both sides had agreed the terms and Smith signed a deal. Now back to Wade. WCW tried once again to get Waltman's deal done, but there just wasn't time to work through all the lawyers. Therefore, WCW had to come up with a new plan. Or whether they could write Wolf a few times really in the NWO storyline, WCW didn't want to renege on their promise, more specifically Teddy DiBiase's promise of revealing the fifth man. That led to some brainstorming concerning all the obvious choices, Luger, Sting, and some not-so-obvious possibilities. The decision obviously turned out to be turning into Giant against WCW. Giant beat Brad Armstrong in a singles match on Nitro. Jimmy Hart was in his corner in a match. Led him to show four horse and battle Dungeon of Doom. Kevin Sullivan, Big Bubba, Barbarian, and Ming. Late in the match, Hall, Nash, and Hogan interfered, jumping all eight men. Sting and Luger out of the picture, having stolen a police car to chase Ted DiBiase's limousine around town. Now that for Andy Savage and the Giant, as the two WCW big boys left make the save. Savage ran to the ring, but was soon overwhelmed by the fresh NWO threesome. Giant then made his way to the ring. Fans who popped big for his ring entrance and chokeslam finished earlier the show gave him another babyface pop. When he got to the ring, though, he chokeslam Barbarian. As Eric Bischoff screamed no for the announce move, Giant and Nash hugged. Giant explained afterward, or tried to, since Hogan interrupted him, that he was lured to the NWF to meeting with DiBiase. He was so impressed with DiBiase's 25,000-foot-square-foot mansion 
that DBS and DBS lifestyle that he won't be part of that. Nitrogen went off the air before there was any t- time for any follow up. All right, let's talk about Davey first. Um, boy, if Vince didn't find out, that would have been something. Yeah, but I also, reading this, don't necessarily get the impression he ever had real intentions of going to WCW. Possibly, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like he was, you know, really concrete in it, no. It seems like he was using it entirely for leverage and only started to consider it once they told him they'd be happy to fly him in from Calgary every week. Yeah, and if that's the case, then why do you want to turn that down? Yeah, um, I get that they apparently thought they had two different options for the fifth man, and neither went through. But yeah, you could have gone with Luger or DDP if you really had to. You had to deliver something. You absolutely did. And for a main event angle, it probably would have had to been Luger, but we don't get the Sting angle, but in the moment... Now, granted, they probably already have the Sting angle planned to some degree. I don't know. I can see... Like, I see the argument of not using Luger because he's more important to the Sting angle if they've already started planning the Sting angle. And I can see why DDP wouldn't work in this angle. But the Giant was still a terrible idea. Yeah. But I'm just not sure what the exact right answer is. Luger's probably the best one, but it affects so much other stuff. But DDP wouldn't be weighty enough to put in this one, to have him join the NWO here, after you did the DiBiase thing the previous... Well, it does because of the benefactor thing. That's what makes it work. But it's still... It's a letdown, though, at this point, because he's not not that guy yet. No. (sighs) If nothing else, they were between a rock and a hard place, and it wasn't entirely their fault. No, it wasn't. But... mm. That said, they should not have shot the angle until they had what they needed on paper for either Walton or Smith. Yes, and and, and, and Giant... I mean, yeah, like I said, I guess it says here, I mean, the fans got were into him as in this new character version of himself. You know, he still is with the Dungeon of Doom, basically. You know, I mean, he's still, he's become a baby face because of he's feeding with the NWO. So, yeah. But yeah, it's sucks that the giant, uh, the giant turn because there, there was stuff that could have been done. And then, and then here's the thing, though, Bix. They turn him back just a few months, three months later. After turning him three weeks after Hogwild, yes. That's the thing. It turned, they turn him back quickly. You know? They that, turned him that, here because they needed a turn on or surprise on this night. Yeah, and then they turn him back because they needed somebody to be, in WC, be a WCW guy. That tells you how, many, how much everything is being winged. And probably also because they realized where the Sting thing was going, because I gotta think he was, we'll talk more I think later, I think I have it in here about how his hiatus was about using up his maximum dates. But that's gonna expire at some point. I'd have to check when his calendar year started. I mean, excuse me, his contract year started. But I gotta think it's by December, they know they're going with Sting as a long-term thing where he's not wrestling and that's why they turned Giant back. Yeah, but still. Now, all of you know, that said, 
the best work that Paul White does during this period is once he turns babyface, for the most part. Yeah. The, yeah. The Luger stuff that leads into the turn is also very good. But they were in a bad spot. Th- their fault was shooting the DiBiase angle before they had anything in writing from Davey. Or Just get Jeff Jarrett to show up. He ain't got to wrestle. Just get Jeff Jarrett to show up. Also, after the DiBiase angle, you can have Jarrett in the crowd. Yeah. I mean, that's probably playing with too much fire before his release, but... There's stuff you could have done. They had other options, though. All right. Well, back to the torch. Throughout the first hour of Nitro, Larry's Bisco repeated that while the NWO have leaders in DiBiase and Hogan, WCM has them anyone who be considered the coach of their side. That might suggest that, well, like Bret Hart. Is waiting in the wings, ready to join Team WCW, and even the odds are at Giants like, on a covert mission on WCW's behalf. But Ashes Abisco was laying groundwork for a Dusty Rose proposed idea that he become the honorary coach of WCW's wrestlers against NWO. Because the NWO original is going to consist of just Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, and Jeff Jarrett, but now includes Hulk Hogan and the Giant. WCW is considering not having Jarrett join NWO after all. Although it appears that Waltman's a lot because of his friendship out of the ring with fellow clip members Holland Nash. It does appear the idea that Nancy Boys joining NWO is back on the back is on the back burner. But given WCW's pattern declining, deciding on major shifts in storylines just hours before they go in the air, nothing can be said hundred percent. And while it's not by design, that's the way WCW likes it. And look, Jeff would not have been a good fit in the NWO. I don't know. At the, well, look at some people they had in NWO. No, but I mean, if he's a continuation of Double J, I don't think he. Well, he would. He wouldn't. Have, he wouldn't have been. I don't think he would have been. You think they tried to make him at least when this is the plan into like 1997 WWF return Jeff Jarrett or something like that? I don't think he would have been in the Double J type gear persona. No. Okay. He's just Jeff Jarrett. And maybe th- maybe this would be the chance that he would have a different hairstyle. Yeah. So, I don't know. Also, something to note, too. Other than Hogan, until this point where Giant turns, everyone that's either joined or is rumored to join the NWO is someone who left WWF in that calendar year. In mm-hmm. 1996. Hall, Nash, Walton, DiBiase, Jarrett. Yeah. Or was going to leave Davey. Yeah. You know, Mabel. If you want to go way back. Yeah, that's also why Luger would have worked because it's only September 95. It's right before all that. Mm Mm-hmm. And the timing of everything. So. And how about him him turning heel on the anniversary of his debut? On the first anniversary Nitro? That would have been the best part. Yeah. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.